Hello, welcome to some Derps Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to answer your questions. But before we do that, Buddy, why don't you show the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast. On this podcast, we talk about games. And as of this podcast, we will have talked about games a hundred times. Which, I don't know if that's important to you guys. But it's really important to me. Me too. Two years, uh, 100 episodes. Very proud, very proud. And I'm super thrilled that... Honestly, so many people. I expected way less questions. Uh, I don't know about you, but uh, so, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, let's kick let's kick this off with um, a question that's technically came in before we even asked for them. That's just how great um, <laughs> listener Alex Zhao is at asking questions. But uh, this this comes in by email. Um, it says a friend of mine had a roommate who went to Bard College who was part of a D&D game where he, the roommate, and his college friends all played bards so that they'd be bards from Bard. How would you balance that kind of game? Sincerely, Alex Zhao. So I don't know what he means by balance, but I did have a great campaign pitch for the, an idea of like of like a game of all bards. Um, because, so, so I was thinking about it, I was like, oh my god, so uh, they're all bards, and I think that one of the cool things about about like bards is like the tavern life. You know what I mean? Like inns and yeah. taverns and going to taverns, right? And like playing songs and like they're a band or whatever. But then I was kind of like, you know, like I don't necessarily think I want this to be like a road trip thing. They should they should have their own tavern. Like maybe they were adventurers in their past, in like the past, and then they used that cash to become to become uh, tavern owners, which I thought which I thought was fine. I like to use that plot hook in a lot of my stuff. And then I was trying to think about, like, okay, so what other gimmicks are there? Um, you know, like, what's something that multiple different bards could use to, like, be weapons or whatever in order to kind of, like, flavor them in a certain way? And this is going to sound weird, but the answer I came up with was, like, construction tools because there's actually a lot of like <clears throat> and like supplies and stuff like that because there's like a lot of variety that you can get into <clears throat> when it comes to when it comes to that stuff um so you, are you basically do, saying that thing. that this group of bards is the band stomp well <laughs> kind of and uh and well they 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 kind of were you know what I mean? They like they were like adventurers going out and doing things, and now you know like they they live in like a small town, and then I'm sure there's like some kind of hook somewhere that gets them involved in things, and they have to pick it all back up. Um, but I just I don't know. There was something really appealing to me about the idea of uh, a bunch of bards who own a bar and they fight bad guys with rebar. Uh, rebar, yeah, they f they fight bad guys with rebar, and uh, uh, and that's 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 the pitch. That's my pitch. Okay, well, uh, I think balancing this game is going to be more on the players, and I think you can do this in Pathfinder since there are seven thousand and one archetypes for all the classes, especially the base classes like Bard. I actually think you could build a competent party around this because there's like uh, arcane duelist, and like there's like a like a clericy one that's like all about healing, whatever. So I think you could balance it if you pick the right archetypes. But I like where you go with this weird flavor with this weird flavoring thing. I think it'd be really cool. Um, although you you need the right GM for it to have like a party of bards, and they're essentially the village people. And so they each like theme themselves after one of the village people, and then they can pick up uh, oh my god <laughs> different things from there. Um, but yeah, I think that's how I'd do it. Pick your archetypes wisely. 
have really fun flavor for it and have a GM that knows that it's going to be stupid. Um, cause you know, GM needs to, to have fun too. Um, like, like ju just to be clear for all you players out there, if you get together with your friends and you decide to surprise the GM with all five of four or five of your characters being bards, be prepared for that GM to be angry with you. Unless, unless, unless you know that this will fly with that GM, right? Like, but yeah, I don't think you'd be too happy if we if we all showed up to Hell's Rebels and we were all bards and we decided. Yeah, that probably wouldn't work out super well. Yeah. I also just really don't like bards in general. <coughs> well, there's no. there's that. There's um, that. Um, but I, I think we've covered that question. Uh, okay. Uh, this next co question uh, comes from my boy Sarian. Uh, which actually is uh, a, a comment on another question. I guess I'm doing these out of orders, but whatever, I don't care. Uh, his question is, um, instead of who is my favorite raid leader, who is an objectively better raid leader uh, that I that I have that I have been led by raids on? I guess you've only ever seen you've only ever seen Enoch, right? Like you haven't had any other raid leaders besides yeah. Enoch. Yeah. yeah, well, let's wrap in both questions with this, right? Because that would be, um, who is your favorite raid leader and who is a better raid leader, right? Because so the first one's from Rachel, uh, the second one's from Sarian or Arahe, whatever whatever words we uh, want to use for this. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I had who was directly after Enoch because he quit like midway through when I was playing. Uh, really? That was Sarian. And he's been that doing was Syrian? It, and he's been doing it straight since. Okay, yeah. So if for me, it's between Zoo and Syrian, um, and I would say that, uh, huh, who's my favorite? Um, probably Zoo, but not because like I like Zoo better, but that's because like Enoch being salty is hilarious to me. Um, <laughs> And so, obviously, the the answer to the other side of this is that Sarian, I think, is is the better raid, le raid leader. Sorry, sorry, Zoo, uh, but that that's just the way it is. Um, uh, yeah, I'm gonna bitch out of this question a little bit in the sense that I think that there are just kind of upsides and downsides. It's very hard for me to rate better or worse when it comes to this sort of thing. Um, I suppose my favorite raid leader is probably Rachel by default, uh, since we are dating uh, and everything. But like the, I, I think I think the real answer is that they together form a complete raid team in a way that I don't think either of them individually would be able to, if that makes sense. Like I kind of think both of them would be bad raid leaders without the other one. That's gonna be harsher than I mean it, but it's kind of true because like so Sarian is a very good people person and he's very good at the kind of um, you know uh, keeping people level headed in the moment and. Um, and you know like not letting like not letting like failures get to people and stuff like that uh being being kind of uh cautious and deliberate in in his approach to the fights um and uh and especially very good at like talking to people you know what i mean like if somebody's not up to snuff or whatever he's great at all of that kind of stuff basically any of the any of the instances where you need to talk to another person sarian is spectacular at but he doesn't really put any time into the actual raids their administration their organization uh which would be to his detriment if he didn't have someone on the flip side like rachel like so for instance for the tomb of sargeras the most recent raid tier um 
she went through and did all of the research about all of the individual fights and boiled that research into like a blurb script that she could read to people when they walk into the fight for the first time to understand what to do and 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 how to and how to do things um and so from that aspect like i think you need kind of both halves of that if that if 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 i'm making sense yeah yeah and and without the other one you know like things would kind of just like fall apart and be uh and be bad so i think the ideal state of affairs is the two of them together i guess my favorite is rachel and i probably think sarian is on the whole better on his own because it's probably easier to construct a raid based on people skills than it is to construct a raid based on kind of um yeah because before before uh Arahe got deep in with us i think it was you and me who were kind of like like who or or josh or somebody who had done the raid before who just basically like said oh this is what happens and we fucked around with it until it worked and it yeah. was definitely workable in that state yeah all right i think we've answered that question bounce back again another one from uh from from uh our friend zao uh pr master extraordinaire very simple question are you going to play starcraft remastered and my answer is no. Really? <laughs> yeah, I have no interest. Wow. I, I, I realize that I, I really don't like RTSs as just kind of like a genre. Wow. Okay. Uh, I definitely have plans to play StarCraft Remastered. StarCraft is one of my, like, kind of all-time most formative gaming experiences, I think. I, like, I just... It, it's one of those it's one of those foundational kind of building blocks that if you were to remove from my history I would just be a vastly different person I'm pretty sure um, and uh, yeah so I, yeah I definitely have plans to, to play it at to, to play it at some point uh, I don't know that I have any plans to play like the multiplayer in the way that I used to uh, like like when I was so when I was in high school one of our friends owned an inter or one of his friends moms uh, she owned an internet cafe. Uh, and what we would do is after the cafe closed, we would all go, uh, and play Starcraft on, on the machines, like on these big LAN, uh, you know, Starcraft and I would play battle.dan at home and stuff like that. Like I was playing a lot of multiplayer Starcraft and I wasn't very good at it or anything. Um, but it was like, it was just like, a, a like, I don't know. It was like a very fun aspect of my gaming experience. And I don't think that I would, I would go Back to that in a way like i'm sure the cracks would really show and i know enough about games now to understand kind of the optimal way to play starcraft and starcraft brood war and i really have no interest in playing that way like my favorite tactic was mass wraiths <laughs> just because wraiths were my favorite unit and i really liked fucking with people with cloak um but uh uh yeah, I don't know. I definitely, I definitely have plans to go back to. What don't you like about? What don't you like about RTSs? Um, I basically don't like. So, so, um, this isn't true for all. Like, a, like for like a, a paradox style game, which is technically an RTS. Um, it doesn't apply here. But I basically don't like kind of having to split my attention. I'm like notoriously bad at that. Like turn based games, I can do like one thing and then another, and then just be done with it. Um, but like RTS games, that constantly have to be context switching and like. It's kind of like a very basic thing. It's like you you can't watch a fight happen in an RTS because you have to be constantly dodging back to your home base to make sure that things are being located. And that kind of time pressure um, centered around um, kind of like a bunch of different things just doesn't... I'm not very good at and I don't have fun doing it. Um, like like the the closest thing I get to, to RTSs is MOBAs, but I only have to worry about one character, which I'm okay at doing. 
Interesting. Fair enough. Um, yeah. Yeah, I guess that makes I guess that makes sense. Uh, I don't know. I also just think that StarCraft is kind of one of the best, uh, especially like in early gaming um, story experiences. Like, I doubt you'd really find another game on its level when it comes to like the depth of that story, um, which isn't even all that deep if you like if you kind of hold it up to a to a to a mirror. It's just like in the context of 1997. Like, what other incredibly like. I don't know, just, like, what other, like, deep story experiences were there uh, for people? Like, probably the Lucasfilm Adventure games are kind of the only one. I don't know, maybe Final MGS, Fantasy. MGS is that. Oh, yeah, Final Fantasy. But still, anyway. Uh, like, that's the same year as Final Fantasy VII. Yeah, that's true, that's true. Um, <clears throat> and so, I'm definitely, I'm definitely into it to go back to the multiplayer um, uh, because, or I'm sorry, the single player, just because, like, that story is so great, and I, and I think that you know, uh, yeah, like I, 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 don't know. I think it's a very seminal game. Like I think it really it oh, belongs yeah. in the in the pantheon. And I and I like to think that like in the same way that I might go back and watch like the Maltese Falcon or some shit. Uh, I like to think that I would do the same thing for for games, but it's a much harder thing to do for games. I find. Um, yeah, I mean, on at base level, it takes like. It takes many more hours to play a game than it does to watch a movie. Yeah, and it's also there's just like a huge, huge difference between what what games we're consuming now. Like I went to try and do the uh, the Age of Empires two remaster, and I was just like, oh my god, I can't do this. This is like impossible for me. Yeah, um, I mean uh, th th that's another thing, right? Like the the kind of standards for for how games work and how interactions work has evolved in the in a way that doesn't happen with film or television. Yeah, like film techniques evolve but like the way you consume it is still fundamentally the same yeah. whereas like things with rts is like the ability to the way you hotkey things is, is just different now yeah that's definitely true okay uh our next question comes from chakra uh and the question isn't actually a question it's technically a statement uh game of thrones predictions for next year um well, the first prediction that I want to mention is that we do plan on doing a Game of Thrones extravaganza at some point next year leading up into the final season because I have done all of the research. I've read all the books multiple times, actually, uh, and, like, watched the show back-to-back, -back like, eight or nine times, uh, front-to-back, like, eight or nine times. Um, so I'm very hyped for Game of Thrones. I like Game of Thrones uh, a lot, and I think it's, I think it's some pretty top-notch television uh, Mango hasn't yet yeah, been, I've, been bit by the Game of Thrones bug. <laughs> nope. I read the first book, thought it was okay, and never looked back. Uh, but yeah. Um, so my predictions for next year are that there will be a throne, and there will be a game around it, presumably <laughs> one of the political nature. I don't uh, know how much I should really talk about what my predictions for Game of Thrones are in the sense of we're going to do an epi like episodes on them and... Uh, uh, I don't want to spoil things for you, but what I will say is that I have my boss has an incredibly awesome prediction for next year that I don't think is plausible for a very simple reason, but I want to outline what it is before I kind of debunk it, right? So what he thinks is going to happen, and so, you know, Mango, obviously, uh, like the White Walkers, I'm sure you've heard about the White Walkers, this big army of the dead, they raise zombies. Yeah, like I, I, I saw the gif of the dude throwing the spear at the dragon. And yeah, all yeah, that. yeah. So so he threw the spear at the dragon, then he turned, then he took control of the dragon, and he used that to melt the wall. Um, 
and let his big army of zombies into into Westeros, right? So Westeros is now under attack by the army of the dead for the first time or whatever. Um, but what you see when that happens is like the army of the dead starts moving and the Night King on top of the dragon immediately flies out and uh, kind of over the ocean, right? And so what my boss uh, thinks at work is going to happen is, uh, is that dragon is heading straight for King's Landing where, uh, where you know, kind of like Cersei and her, like, her shitty entourage of people um, are currently located. And that the White King and that the Night King is going to show up, kill everyone in King's Landing, turn them all into whites, and then march them north so that the, so that, uh, the north is now being sandwiched by the, the Army of the Dead from, like, you know beyond the wall and the army of the dead from the uh from the other side um uh from the king's landing side it would be incredibly poetic if this were to be the case uh since cersei is so clearly insane and mad for power and everything and she's willing to let everyone die even though she said that she would send her forces up there like it would be it would be nice and ironic for that state uh cersei also has the mountain uh as her as her uh, bodyguard and we were basically promised game bowl so the cool thing about this series about, about this theory is that um game bowl then happens because the the night king has gregor clegane as a white but like also a super powered zombie white in the first place because robert strong is like already a super powered zombie or whatever so that when he shows up uh like him and the hound can go 1v1 and it's just the best thing ever um, and, uh, and so that, so that's his theory. The reason I don't think this theory, theory is all that plausible is because we don't have information that says that the Night King even understands that King's Landing is there. Uh, oh, the other, the other piece of information that's kind of like contextual information that makes a certain amount of sense is, um, is they keep talking about how many people are in King's Landing. They're like, oh, a million people live here. A million people live here, right? And and so and so the idea is like they keep foreshadowing the, the number of people that live there in order to like up the stakes and up the drama if someone actually gets uh, if someone actually gets there, right? And turns them all into zombies. Now you have a million people in your white army uh, who are who are uh, you know marching north and ready to just like fuck on everyone else. So, so do, do the whites retain any of their former personality? No, okay. the whites themselves uh, don't. We don't know about white walkers. They're kind of enigmatic, but they do seem to be better. Uh, like they seem to seem to have like some kind of like personalities and shit. What uh, what what makes something a white walker versus a white? Uh, the white walker are kind of like the iced guys. If you've seen like the ice dudes, um, versus a white is just like a zombie. It's just like okay. a skeleton or, or a corpse. Right, but we, we don't know. Like, like are they are they related to each other mm-hmm. the uh, white walkers um uh the white walkers raise the whites okay do, do we know what like w-i-g-h-t how, by the way right 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 do we know how how a white walker gets formed uh yeah they uh in season four or five um they show there are these kind of like elf people like like plant people um uh, called the children of the forest and they had a big war with men in like the olden times um, and one of the things that they did is they performed this like crazy ritual and then shoved a piece of obsidian into a dude's heart. And that is how the Night King was created. 
Right, but is that is that like every White Walker has like an obsidian shard shoved the into The other thing that we have seen is uh, is White Walkers take babies uh, from wildlings in the north, um, and they take these babies up to uh, like the Aurora Borealis, I guess, of Westeros or whatever, just like this place in the glaciers. And the Night King touches the baby, and it becomes a White Walker. Okay. All right. I, I feel like there's, like, a 100% chance that Ned Stark gets resurrected at some point. Like, that that's my only prediction there from everything oh, you told me. Like, that just seems like an obvious thing that's going to happen. But, you know. Uh, yeah, I mean, his bones are in the crypt of Winterfell, so there's something that, you know, there there's something to be said for, uh, uh, for like the like the bones in the crypt of Winterfell being raised, you can see the Night King raise whites um, from like he doesn't need to touch them; he just need, like does something and they rise up. And I think it, it, it is an entirely plausible thing. Like if there's some kind of siege of Winterfell, battle of Winterfell sort of thing, um, where the uh, uh, where the the Night King like shows up and all of a sudden you know skeletons in the crypts start flooding out from beneath the castle that would be legit yeah anyway oh so the last thing is uh oh wait did i already did i already say the debunk that like the white king yeah, has yeah, no yeah. reason to know that yeah that yeah already... is there okay yeah okay so the last thing about that is that the only plausible answer to that debunking is if bran time travel shifts into the night king which people have suggested as a theory i don't subscribe to that theory theory i think that's dumb uh, but if that is the case, then Bran would absolutely know where King's Landing is, how many people are there, right? And understand that he should go there in order to get a million, a million whites and go fucking nuts. All right. All right. Well, let's, uh, if, if that's that, do you want, do you want to move on to the next question? Mm-mm. This next question is from, he wishes to be referred to as Sour Patch with three H's. Um, <laughs> Sour Patch asks, what kept you guys going, although your viewership never exceeded 1,000 people, what motivated you to continue to 100 episodes? I will point out that we're on the crest of 4,000 total lifetime listens on this podcast. <laughs> so, you know, not not anything crazy, but, you know, we, 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 we do have, over the course of the lifetime, we, we've accumulated a number of unique views, I'm sure many of which are the same people listening over and over. We love you, loyal fans. Um, but, uh, I don't know, I like talking about video games. that's basically it uh and like it's a thing to do um those those are that's it yeah like like it's a good creative outlet but like like yeah i mean it's not like it's not like i've got like some burning like i enjoy talking about games and i enjoy this outlet but it's not like i feel like i'm like it's not, there's not like some deeper thing driving me. Like it's not like it's not like uh, you know, I feel like this will eventually cure AIDS or something. Fair I just enough. Do it because uh, it's fun. Uh, I have a couple of reasons for continuing to do the podcast. The first one is that it, it is a fantastic outlet, specifically because it really allows me to categorize my thoughts in uh in kind of like um uh, concrete ways, if that makes sense. Um, I feel like before the podcast, when I would think about things, they would be much more kind of like ethereal and disjointed compared to what they are now, because I feel as though I need to, um, you know, I need to take some time to consider them and communicate them in, in a, in a, in a good way, which also helps me 
categorize them in a, in a good way, right? And so now when somebody asks my opinion on a movie or something like that, but it's a movie we've done for the podcast, I already know what my opinion is, and I can basically just recite it uh, in like in in a in a strong concise format right and make uh and make uh real kind of argued points about it and i really appreciate the ability of the podcast to do that like it forces me to kind of um buckle down on my thinking in that way which i find uh eminently useful just from a practical standpoint uh the the podcast not having listenership is doesn't mean that it's not uh a useful thing to be a part of just for like like practically uh even from a kind of like a uh like a professional standpoint um this is something that's very true of los angeles but i doubt is true of other places just because los angeles is so um kind of predicated on freelancing and the film industry and like the way that that structures things but when you meet people a lot of the a lot of time in la <coughs> very commonly You'll have conversations with people that end up in, you know, do like, do you have a YouTube channel? Do you have a podcast? A podcast, right? Do you have a, a screenplay, right? People have stuff to share with other people, just like, and and you know, it might be a YouTube video of a short film I made with three hundred and one views or whatever, right? But like, it's very common for people to have that kind of thing, and the podcast is my version of that, right? Where if I meet, you know, uh, if I meet someone, like for instance, I met a uh, I met a film writer uh, that I like a lot not too long ago, and he and I were talking about it, and one of the things that he did to kind of see whether or not it would be cool for him and I to spend some time together was listen to the podcast, right? And so that sort of thing, at least in Los Angeles, is like a very real kind of stepping stone to, uh, you know, like relationships uh, with people. And it allows you to kind of have some bona fides uh, to yourself that put you in a different kind of category of people. In a weird way, there's kind of like wannabes, which sounds mean, but it's sort of true of, of people who want to be successful in, you know, like the games industry and the film industry, right. Or whatever else kind of thing. Um, and these people you can read pretty quickly because a lot of the time there are a lot of talk, talk, um, you know, all bark, no bite sort of thing. Um, but as soon as you can demonstrate that you have committed yourself to these sort of things, uh, by having a podcast, by having a YouTube channel, um, by, you know, uh, writing for a garbage, you know, no-name kind of outlet that talks about movie gossip news or something like that, right? Like, uh, these are things that, that, that set you into a different category. Um, so that, that is its primary use, I, I would say, from a professional standpoint. I, I think that's fair. Um, I haven't obviously had, had nearly the same experience as you have, but, like, I was at PAX this weekend – um, I actually made a couple of friends kind of based around the same kind of thing. Uh, shout I actually made friends with, uh, another small time podcast, shout out to the square time podcast. Uh, you guys should check that out. If you've got the time They're they're a similar podcast. They're a little bit different format than, than we are, but, uh, you know, similar kind of like, uh, small, small time people doing a gaming podcast. Um, yeah, I definitely think it's, it's valuable in that way. Like this, this goes. This podcast goes on my resume whenever I apply to anything like vaguely game related. Um, uh, I think we should maybe. He's got a couple more questions in the kind of like m making a podcast vein. I think we should hit those if that's all right with you. Yeah, it sounds good. 
All right, Sarah Patch also asks, for people who want to start a podcast slash YouTube channel, etc., what is the best advice you can give them? What are some things people can't avoid? Um, you know, set a schedule, keep to it. I think that's the single most important thing. Like, I think if you lose the thread, you'll you'll immediately unravel very quickly. Um, I, I think, you know, we, we've, I think this podcast has survived as long as it has, primarily because we do it every week and we treat it as a serious obligation to get it done every week. Yeah. Um, and I, I think it's kind of like 80 to 90% of, 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 of keeping it going. Yeah, it's definitely something where you have to really hardcore commit to it. I mean, even our schedule, like... We don't, it's, not, it's not like we have a super set schedule in the sense that, like, every week we record at the same time on the same day. It actually fluctuates uh, a lot. You know, we'll make we'll make accommodations and everything. Um, but it is just the commitment to it, right? Uh, I, I think if you treat it as a hobby, you know, or, or if you treat it as something that you can skip out on for a week, um, then you'll skip out on it for a month. And then you'll stop recording, right? I think that's the kind of... That, that is the process of the thread, uh, uh, quote-unquote, unraveling um, uh, yeah. when it comes to... I, I actually agree. I, I think, you know, as, as much as I love them, I think that's kind of what happened to the Unwise Index is is they they are not, like... They, they were not, like, dedicated to getting it out every, like, unit of time, and mm. they just they just, it just eventually got away from them. Um, and I know they tried every once in a while to get it back together, but I don't think they'll ever have, like, the kind of uh, consistency... Uh, that we do unless unless they really decide to dive in on that. Not not, Man, not that as is, yeah that and that's really sad too. I love the unwise index. Yeah. The only reason we're doing this podcast is because they did the unwise yeah. index. Oh yeah 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 ab- absolutely that that's you know cre- credit to them for kicking us off. Yeah um, definitely definitely. Um, um, I also think that they you know like the, to their credit they put a lot more time into editing the podcast uh, and making it uh, sound you know like sound good and sound professional. Um, uh, we do we do enough of that that I'm you know like I'm happy with it, but I'm sure that if we spent another two hours right like really combing over the podcast like editing the podcast every week, we could get uh, we could get the same kind of results. But that like that's a lot of time you know uh, to put into to put into editing the podcast, and I think it's also a hard thing to do to edit um, uh, to edit stuff like it's not something that comes naturally, and it's not something that people think about being a, a time intensive part of uh of the podcast so you really have to take that seriously i think yeah we, we also don't edit for content which i think is a valid choice but it, it's one that makes it significantly easier on my end since i do um almost all of the editing um the fact that we, we we choose to let everything kind of like like everything we talk about on the podcast is in the podcast the only things to get cut are like um things that like we like th- that are like very necessary or like audio errors um Otherwise, uh, other, otherwise, just kind of our, our thoughts kind of raw. Yeah. Uh, uh, something that I would definitely recommend to people is, um, especially for things like the movie episodes, uh, I do this with basically all of our podcasts that we know the topic of beforehand. Um, and to be honest, this is, this is something that I use for most of the creative outlets in my life. Um, but, like, so something I'll do on my commute, for instance, is I will – Go through my own spiel on what I'm, on what I think about a movie or something, if that makes sense. Like after I saw Death Note a couple of weeks ago, and you know, like our Death Note podcast is going to be coming out next week, right? Um, I have already kind of talked myself through my opinion on Death Note and how I view 
Death Note and the nuances of that kind of in just just by myself I was just talking to myself essentially but just the the act of translating those thoughts into words right and uh and speaking them out loud I think is hugely important to kind of walking into the podcast prepared right I don't very often come with notes for instance um but it's pretty common that I'll come in with kind of um you know like baked in like 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 points and topics that I want to cover because I I I've put uh I've put a bunch of prep time uh into into it yeah no, similarly um you know, doing this podcast has for me like forced me to kind of whereas like before I go see Ghost in the Shell, I'll be like, well, that was bad, and like leave it at that. Um, the the process of kind of articulating to myself why it's bad um, is, is how I prepare for the uh, for for the casts um, individually. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, and then the last thing I would say is that uh, don't skip out on audio. Um, Mango and I both use uh, a special mic. Uh, I think it's called the Samson like Q something mic. Q two Q two U. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's it's not super super high end, but it's much better than like a, a headset mic. Yeah, I think um, there's. Uh, I think that there is. Uh, it's not a good idea to use a headset mic. Um, a couple of our guests have come on the co- the podcast using headset mics. Uh, using laptop mics, and while we don't begrudge that, right, we love having guests and everything like that, the the, the audio difference between myself or Mango talking um, versus, uh, you know, I, you know, Mark, for instance, you've been on the podcast a bunch of times, but, um, the, like, that audio difference is real to a listener, and it's, it's a forgivable thing when it comes to a guest, but if you structure your podcast such that every week, you know what I mean, the the main the main uh uh people are going to be using heads you know like crappy headset mics um i think that's a very noticeable thing and i think that's something that'll turn a lot of listeners off yeah um, so i definitely recommend getting uh uh getting a good real microphone and going nuts about it yeah and, and if you're and if you're going to be separate like buddy and i are um i would suggest getting the same microphone it makes my job a little bit easier um on the editing side um, uh, yeah, that's true. We both use the the same mic, which is uh, yeah. which is really the, helpful. The same model mic. We don't like mail the microphone back and forth and record our parts separately. That'd be weird. True. Fair uh, enough. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, um, uh, but kind of. Uh, the, uh, this ties into his next question as well. Uh, what's the biggest mistake you guys have made through the years while doing the podcast? Um, honestly, I don't think we've made a ton of mistakes. In fact, I've managed to foresee some of the problems. Like we lost, we've lost audio a couple of times. Um, and I have a backup recording um, of the kind of VoIP, VoIP program that we use to talk to each other. Um, so basically, peel back the curtain a little bit. Buddy and I record our parts separately on the um, on our own machines, and then Buddy sends me his part. Um, we also have a that we, we talk to each other over voice over IP program. It's Mumble, um, and I also record that both for syncing up are parts of the podcast and for as an emergency backup, which I've had to use a couple of times. Um, uh, the biggest thing is, is kind of like at this point, I have a checklist of things to remind guests to do, which are essentially like check for background noise and remind them that, um, just because it's not appearing on mumble doesn't mean it's not appearing on the waveform. Like, um, you know, not, not, not to, to shit on him or anything, but, uh, Zhao, um, when he was on for, I believe it was the Avengers 2 podcast? The, the Civil War podcast. The Civil War podcast, yeah. Um, 
he did he you know he his microphone was was somewhere else and it wasn't coming through on mumble so he didn't realize it but he was like fiddling with something with his hands and that showed up all over the waveform on his individual recorded thing and it sucked to edit out so you know um the biggest the big my our biggest mistake i guess was kind of like not warning get or at least from my perspective is not warning guests how to properly uh record ahead of time mm-hmm. um uh, but that, that that's the only thing that really comes to mind. Do you, you have anything that, that comes to mind as a big mistake? Uh, not in not in terms of production wise, maybe. Um, I'm trying to think of content. What are some of the episodes that we have? Like, what are some of the things that we have made episodes on? Oh well, I have said things that I don't agree with anymore. Like, I'm trying to think of like what. Are, well, what are so so, so if you want to talk about that, the single biggest mistake that was ever made on this podcast was edited out. Um. Like, that's, like, literally the only piece of content I think I've ever edited out. And uh, somebody on the cast made an uh, made a, an allusion to how something was like um, the atomic bombs. Oh, my God. I remember <laughs> that. Oh, that was so bad. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that, that is, like, literally the only piece of content we've ever edited out. <laughs> Um, that was that was just like too too dark for for us. Uh, yeah, that was uh, that was that was that was pretty funny. I remember when we were recording that episode, just kind of my my eyes going wide as uh, as that comment got made. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, I'm just trying to think. Like, there are definitely some things that I've that I've evolved on. Like, I think about in more complex ways. Um, uh, like for instance, I do regret not kind of going back to the Warlord after I made it and like finalizing it. Uh, I did kind of one round of edits on it, uh, which were the which were around those two episodes that we did, um, but I never actually got back into like really really polishing it all the way off, uh, which uh, uh, which I always kind of wish I did and I never did. Um, I guess it's not too late. I can go back right now, right? Um, what are some other things? I regret not talking about movies and television sooner. Um, I think it was a great uh, I think it was a great idea to do. Uh, episodes of the podcast that were based on movies and based on TV. And I yeah, think yeah. We had hit that. We had hit that earlier. Like we didn't talk about episode seven. Yeah, I mean, but, man, which, is, which is probably the single biggest, biggest flaw, like big, biggest missing episode. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I'm, I'm excited. We're going to get to episode seven, uh, loyal, loyal listeners. We're getting to episode seven later this year. Um, when in a, in a, in a couple of big Star Wars episodes lead up to episode eight coming out in December. Um, but yeah, I'm actually kind of a little bit glad that we didn't do episode seven because I think I would be far nicer to episode seven if we had done it right after it released rather than now. I've yeah. really soured on that movie over like the adjoining two years. Yeah. Um. So, uh, yeah, I agree. All right, these next couple questions on podcast generation are kind of rapid fire, so I'm going to go through them quick. Uh, do you guys plan on making a YouTube channel to pair with your podcast? We already have one. Um, it's mostly just replays of our, uh, of, of our streams. Um, but we, um, you know, if you mean in terms of like doing like, uh, videos of the style of content, um, it's this thing that we've vaguely talked about at times. I don't know if, uh, if, if, if anything concrete will, will ever come of it. Um, at least not for like the, the immediate, like the next couple months. Uh, I do want to say, uh, that we do have plan. I have plans, uh, with, uh, uh, Another friend of the podcast, Charles Powell, that we are go- he and I are going to start a YouTube channel together. Essentially doing the same kind of thing in the podcast, but a little bit more structured and deep divey, I guess, um, when it comes to certain movies uh, that we think of as being particularly good or television show or games, right? Um, 
and why. Uh, it's more of a video essay kind of. It's it's more it's much more structured and scripted than what this is, right? This is obviously a conversation, so they're not going to be necessarily similar. But the point is, uh, the the goal right now. Um, is that we are going to put out one uh, one of these videos a week uh, for about six months uh, and see where and see how that how that works. That might be too ambitious. Uh, it might be right on the money. It might be not ambitious enough, though. I kind of doubt that it will be not ambitious enough. Um, but uh, that is the plan, and those should start going up at the beginning of next year. Is is when that uh, is when that will happen and that will take place. Uh, so that's something, I guess. Uh, We've also talked a little bit about uh, doing doing a, a like a live recording of the podcast. Though we ultimately decided not to do that, just because you know editing and and things are useful. Uh, but we did talk about you know streaming the podcast to Twitch, getting webcams and stuff like that. That's been that's been a topic before. If people feel strongly about that, uh, I, I I am absolutely willing to reconsider our decision uh, on it. But. Uh, I guess uh, for now, I, I think we like the format of recording it beforehand, releasing it a couple of days, you know, making sure we get our editing done, making sure that we can edit out atomic bomb jokes uh, that are incredibly tasteless. Uh, <laughs> so that. Yeah. Um, all right. And then the next one is uh, what is the weirdest podcast you guys have done? Um, which uh, I, don't, I don't know. I, I, I might have to say the derpies, but that's just because the derpies are like. Like we, we like I purposely injected some some weirdness into that with like my my weird categories, um, but I don't think anything else has been like super 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 weird. What, what do you think? Um, I don't think anything. I mean, I'm I'm actually gonna go back to our very early episodes because there's sometimes when we do really early episodes and we did a couple of really early episodes that I think were just kind of like, uh weird and not and not super great i guess um but i don't know i like as i'm as i'm moving through uh as i move moving through some of these i feel pretty good about uh uh yeah i feel pretty good about them uh i i didn't like uh our games media episode as much as i wanted to i, I like the idea a lot but i think we got a little bit bogged down and we didn't talk about as much diversity as i wanted to maybe it's not really weird though yeah i mean it's kind of weird in concept where we're, we're producing a games media podcast and we talk about the other games media that we consume like that's kind of a weird meta thing but yeah i agree too there was also some weirdness around that i believe we recorded that episode when i was in europe um, so there's some oh, weird yeah, timing I on that. that. Yeah, yeah, that's the the one episode that I think you edited. Uh, uh, so, um, I I also think that we had uh, our our Pokemon Go uh, AR and VR episode was uh, was was just weird because like both of us were kind of like I don't really pay attention to this stuff and I don't really think it's very good. But that also kind of meant that we couldn't really have a great or nuanced discussion about it, and so it ended up ending in some in some weird places. There have also been a couple of episodes where we've gotten like really off the rails. Like I feel like that happened to our Ghost in the Shell episode. Uh, do you remember a couple of our episodes that have like ended in 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 places not that we began them? Yeah, I feel like that happens a, a fair amount. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I can uh, pin down anything. Uh, beyond that, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, funnily enough, 
that episode of Pokemon AR is one of our top listened to episodes. Well, um, I think we got that out at the right time. I'm glad everyone. That I'm is. glad everyone paid attention. I yeah. guess, for that. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, it's their third most listened to episode behind uh, the hype train, <laughs> train starts to derail and uh, some and uh, X Men Apocalypse. Uh, X Men Apocalypse. Yeah, I love that. That one is so is so well yeah. regarded. I think I think we just kind of hit hit the right timing on that one too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then the kind of okay. So the, the last question. On the on the process of making podcasts from uh, Sour Patch is, what are your thoughts on episode two hundred, um, which will be I guess in another two years. Uh, I mean, awesome. if things continue the way they are, we'll do another one of these. Yeah, I think so. That save makes your questions. Sense. Yeah, save save your <laughs> questions. Well, actually, don't save your questions. We will answer any questions at any time on the podcast. Uh, but uh, episode two hundred, I like I like doing Q and A. Uh, I think a Q and A format would be really cool, and I would love to get get back into it uh, at episode two hundred. Yeah. All right. Uh, now we can move back to to, to your questions. Sorry okay. For... This one is also from Sarian, and it's kind of a three parter. Um, but uh, so he says another question for the podcast, but aimed at Mango, who I think was on that No Man's Sky hype. I do want to say Mango really was on that No Man's I Sky was. hype. Rachel had been has been re-listening to the podcast, and she listened to the episode, whatever episode it was, uh, where Mango like gushes for fifteen minutes about how good No Man's Sky looks. And then, like two episodes later, it comes out, and well, that that part is uh, that part is is well known. Anyway, uh, he Sarian goes on to say, "I'm way back into the game lately after recent additions that have made it what many people argued it should have been from the start. Uh, have these changes helped reverse the negative press around the game? Does it feel like a fully fleshed out game now? I don't own the game, and I haven't played it mostly because I was on the No Man's Sky hater aid, and I was right about it." Um, but have you, pl- have you got back to play it at all, uh, with the new additions? I, I have not. Um, I, I do want to kind of wrap in this last part in here too. And, and should Hello Games have held on releasing the game for an entire extra year to perfect it? Or was it good that they released it when they did? Um, so any other game, like, I, I think, I, I think ultimately kind of looking back on this, No Man's Sky kind of fell victim to being published by a major publisher, being promoted by a major publisher, more than anything else, and being priced at full price. I think that, like, you know, if this game had come out in early access, like, say, a player unknown's Battlegrounds, and, like, built to this point over a year and had, like, a full release, like, now, um, it would have been fine. Um, and if that price point was at, like, $30, it would have been fine. Because um, the, the stuff they had was pretty cool. It just kind of, like, didn't feel like it was finished, at least to me. Um, and, and, you know, the stuff that I have read about the, uh, the updates... Um, didn't push the game in a way that I personally thought was particularly interesting, but I understand why they why they made the decisions they did. Like, I, I don't think base building is, like, the kind of way I would have gone with the game, but I understand why they did it that way, and that's that's fine. Um, but I, I do think that they should have... If they didn't hold on to it for another year before releasing it at all, they should have done, like, the, the early access program um, style of it instead of, instead of releasing... Um, instead of releasing when they did. Uh, they, there just wasn't things just weren't finished like you things at the level of like it had multiplayer on the back of the box which was covered by a sticker because it changed so late in the game like that's that that's like before release that that's it's uh i don't know i i think that's that's a lesson that uh uh we like that that we can like uh that they could have that we can all learn from right like is that uh you know don't put out a game before like uh what's there's a famous quote from somebody from nintendo that's like um a game that's late 
is late and then is late he's, once. He's, yeah, yeah. It's like it's, it's late once and then, or but a bad game is bad forever, something like that. And I think that's definitely the case here. Uh, Let me see if I can get the full wording on that. So, uh, in answer to this first section, I do want to say um, that I think the negative press around the game was less press around the game itself and more press around people's reaction to the game. Um, I actually was surprised to see that not as many critics savaged No Man's Sky as harshly as the gaming populace did like the gaming audience did and um and i think the gaming audience savaging the game as hard as the, as hard as they did right uh is really what generated the news and what generated the negative press right um i actually have like there are there are more than a couple critics that i pay attention to who really liked the original release of no man's sky um particularly because it was kind of like uh a a, a, a like a veg out game in the same way that I kind of describe playing World of Warcraft sometimes where I talk about, you know, like having a movie on in the background and mostly watching the movie, but every once in a while moving around and killing a dude and completing a quest sort of thing. There's a certain amount of like Zen, you know, like serenity that, that came into the original release of No Man's Sky. If these, you know, like if these critics are to be believed. And I felt like most of the reviews basically said something along the lines of like, yeah, there are a bunch of good systems here, uh, but they don't really tie together very well. And the whole thing feels kind of pointless. Right. Um, but what, what, what struck to me, what's like, what, what, what stuck out to me were these huge Reddit threads, right? Or like 15,000 negative reviews on Steam that push it into like mostly negative territory or whatever. Talking about all of the features that were promised that didn't make it into the final cut of the game, right? And I didn't really see the press talking about that stuff. A couple of people did, right? Jim Sterling definitely did. Total Biscuit definitely did, right? Uh, but most of, most of that came more from the user's... Uh, of the game being uh, uh, given a microphone, a megaphone, uh, compared to, I think, uh, the certain members of the press, you know, like really railing against the game. Yeah, I, I think I think part you kind of hit on it right there is that, like, I don't, I think the game critics kind of took it for what it was, um, whereas the, the kind of, like, gaming community took it against its set of promises. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it got... A, a, a fairly like Stephen Molyneux style set of promises to go with it yeah. that just were never fulfilled. And I, I think that, I think that the community is much more hostile to unfulfilled promises than the press is. Um, I think that's just what happened. Um, and by the way, I looked up the full quote. It's a delayed game is eventually good, but a rush game is forever bad. And that is by Shigeru Miyamoto um, of Mario fame. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm also, I, I also think that there are just kind of some business aspects that go into how Hello Games, uh, made this, uh, if, if that makes sense. Um, like, I don't know that their company had the option to do something kind of like, uh, uh, Blue Hole does with PUBG, um, you know, like do an early access kind of release when they were being given such a, like, such a clear platform, I guess, if that makes sense. Um, essentially what I'm saying is, yeah, maybe they should have held on to it for an extra, for an extra year to perfect it, but it's really tough for us to make that kind of call just because we don't know the business aspect yeah, that's uh, fair. of it. And you know, that's, that's shitty, but, uh, at the, at the end of the day, uh, it's, uh, I don't know. It's, it's, it's the way things, it's the way things are. 
Um, for what it's worth, I do think the negative press has, has, has turned around on it a lot. I think there are a lot of people who've been saying, No Man's Sky is good now with all of these updates. I'm kind of with Mango. I think base building is really uh, antithetical to what the game wants to be about. I figured uh, that they would... Like, the game seems nomadic and transient, so the idea of building a base seems very odd to me. Um, but I don't. I haven't taken a really deep look at the system, so I don't really know what what they've done to kind of make things uh, work out. Yeah, similar. All right. Uh, since I pulled a bunch of questions from Sour Patch last time, you wanna you wanna hit the next one? Yeah, we can do the next one too. This one comes from Ray Lana. Um, what do you feel was the game slash games uh, that made uh, that made or changed the way I looked at games? Do you have a good answer for this one? Um, huh. If I have to answer off the top of my head, it's probably Baldur's Gate. Um, just because that was the first real kind of deep RPG um, that, that like, had, like, some real choice in it that I ever played, and I ever mm. played, like, a lot. Um, so prob probably Baldur's Gate. Uh, my my answer is, uh, I'm sure, uh, do you want to take a guess? Do you want to guess what my answer will be? Is it Mass Effect 2? <laughs> yeah, dude, it's Mass Effect 2! Dude, <laughs> Mass Effect 2, my favorite game of all time. Uh, my pick for the best game of all time. Uh, Mass Effect 2 came out in 2010, though I didn't really play it until 2011. Um, the reason that it was so monumentally game-changing for me was because it dramatically redefined how I looked at uh, how I looked at games, which was mostly a product of how I was. Um, uh, which was mostly products of like how I was uh, conditioning myself at the same time, right? I think if I was a different person in 2011 when I played Mass Effect 2, it wouldn't have, it wouldn't have hit so like it wouldn't have hit so square, squarely on the head. But this was precisely when I was getting into film and film theory for the first time. I was really starting to consider, uh, you know, like kind of media in a more uh, kind of like deep and complex way, and I was training myself right to be able to do things like pick up on themes, right? And, and understand story structure and characters and all of this kind of stuff, right? This was right in the middle of all of that, where I was, I, I talk about my analytical instrument, right? Where I was really sharpening that for the first time and, and grappling with the idea that, like, I was a person who could do the kind of English class, you know what I mean? I, I wasn't being dictated, um... I wasn't being dictated these, like, English class readings of what you know, Lord of the Flies meant, I was the person discovering what these things mean, right? And that's, and to this day, that is the most fulfilling part about any of this stuff, right? I love to watch something and pick it apart and understand what it's, what it's getting at, right? And read the subtext um, and all of that kind of thing. Um, and right in the middle of me learning to do this, I played Mass Effect 2, right? Because I had a Gamefly account, you know, Gamefly was kind of Netflix for video games where they would send you the discs. I was cheap, you know, I was in college, I didn't have a lot of cash, right? So 20 bucks a month in order to play these unlimited games was a huge, huge deal. I had just bought an Xbox 360 at Christmas for like, you know, maybe a hundred bucks with like Christmas money or something uh, because of like a huge sale at GameStop or whatever. Um, and so I was playing, you know, so I was able to play these games on my Xbox 360. Um, and in the midst of playing other games that were kind of a ramp up to this, um, I played the first couple of Assassin's Creed games. Assassin's Creed 2, for instance, was probably the first stepping stone along this path where I was kind of like, oh, wow, you know, like there's a lot, there's a lot of kind of uh, like family stuff going on here, like thematically and everything like that. And 
I and I could first see it for the first time. Mass Effect 2 was the first time that I played a video game and I was unpacking it as I was playing it and I was seeing the subtext and I was seeing the allegories and everything, right? Um and and I was understanding how how the game was constructed to be a character-driven story. Um, inside of this kind of freeform narrative structure, right? And I was rethinking about how I how I thought about choice um, and the nature of choice uh, in games and perspective and the nature of perspective and framing in these kinds of games and stuff like that. Um, and it just hit at the right moment that I was able to like really crack it open, right? And that, it, it, that's actually the best metaphor I can think of. It's like I was training myself to learn how to like crack a walnut right so for like a year or something right i was i was trying and i was getting better at figuring out how to crack walnuts and i still wasn't good enough mass effect 2 was the first time that i actually successfully did it right uh and that's why it was so satisfying and that's why it kind of radically redefined it was the first game that proved to me like yes the same kind of thematic nuance and depth that i get out of movies or that i got out of uh comics uh, which was my big focus at the time you know that stuff is absolutely present in games and i can do I, I can apply the same kind of processes to it all right then yeah yeah uh the next question is what was the first video game you remember playing uh super mario brothers one really yeah like i so wow. that game that game i don't remember not playing like there there are a set of things that like have always just kind of been in my consciousness like i guess i like played and or watched them um like around the time that i was developing my sentience or whatever as a kid and i just don't remember not knowing them and those are uh super mario brothers one and like star wars episode four um yeah like like i just don't remember the first time i did any of those things those things always were as far as i can i am concerned yeah, uh, fair enough. I definitely uh, that remember, and Duck Hunt, because uh, it's on the same cartridge. Uh, I definitely remember playing games. Like, I don't think that this is the first game that I actually played. Um, but the first game that I remember playing, and probably the foundation of a lot of my game things, I guess, uh, was uh, GoldenEye for the N64. Like, that's, that, that's the only, that's the, the oldest game that I can think of uh, that I have, uh, that I have, like, memories of, I guess. Yeah, well, that's, that's a simple question. Uh, the next one is, what elements do you think are required to make a game memorable? Um, I, I, th I, I think part of it is just kind of exceptionality in some form, right? Either an exceptional story, an exceptional set of mechanics, an exceptional mm. set of emotions evoked. Like, um, PlayerUnknown's Battlegrounds is incredibly memorable, but in a much different way than uh, the way that Bastion is memorable. Um, sure. Um, but I, I think the common thread there is kind of exceptionality. Um, and you can be exceptional in, in a number of ways, um, including being exceptionally bad. Like, there are games that, like, uh, that are memorable kind of in, in, the, in the zeitgeist um, just for, like, being, like, near non-functional. Um, but, you know. That I, I think that's basically it. You have, you have any deeper thoughts? Uh, I think there's kind of two aspects to this. One of them is kind of iconic, uh, and the other one is kind of like quality. Um, I think exceptionally high quality games are very memorable. Uh, where that quality comes from, kind of being, uh, you know, uh, be, be, being being what it is, right? Um, I think you don't quite get to that level of memory of of memory without being extremely good uh, for some games, right? Like Halo, for instance, right? I think has very good mechanics. It's it's just like 
the mechanics are that good. I think it also has a good story, right? But I don't think it necessarily pro propelled itself to the top because of that. Uh, because of that story, but I think that's the reason that that game has been such a such a kind of like a landmark uh, for modern gaming. But I also think that there's just kind of games that are like iconic and that are remembered more for their circumstances and context um, than anything else. Um, I think, for instance, that E.T. would be a great example of this, right? Like the E.T. game that was so famously bad for the Atari that it caught like basically, you know. Uh, caused like this, you know, they, they, they actually found the big hole, like the, the big landfill, the yeah, landfill, the landfill yeah. where all of the ET cartridges were. Um, uh, yeah, like that, that, you know, like that game, it, it's not that the quality of it was so bad that it made it memorable. I actually think that that game is more memorable, memorable because it struck us such a certain chord right at the, of the appropriate time. Uh, in in history, uh, Super Mario uh, 64 I think is another good example of this, right? Um, I don't think Super Mario 64 is a very good game, uh, in the same way that I would say something like Halo, right? Like it's a good game. Uh, I think that it it is it, it it gets to that memorable level because it was the first game that did 3D all right, that did 3D successfully, um, which kind of like makes it so memorable, if that well, makes sense. Well, I, I, I think I think part of that is that like it's except it was it was exceptional in that it was the like it was the best three D platformer at the time of its release, which is part of what makes it memorable, right? Like yes, moving forward from that, we can see that it's it's not as good as maybe some other titles moving forward. But I do think that um at the time it was the best that we had seen and the best in like a way above that, like, like you suggested, was, was above kind of like the, the kind of basis of being terrible, right? Like it, it was, it was a decent to good game, but was the bet was, was the best of all time at the time, right? Uh, do I think it's the best of all time at the time? Uh, I mean, whatever the case may be, I, sure. I think that that, 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 the, the point is, is that like, it's a huge major stepping stone, right? And sure. it's memorable because of the context of its history rather than, it holds up, you know what I mean? It holds up 20 years later or whatever. And I think that there are games from that era, right? I think the Pokemon games are a great example of this, to be honest with you. Um, and you can see that because, like, the Pokemon, like, like, the Pokemon game formula has expanded, but it really hasn't changed fundamentally from Pokemon Red and Blue, right? Um, I, I, and, and I, I, those games, I am very comfortable saying, like, yeah, these games are great and they, and they will continue to be great throughout history uh sort of things compared to something like super mario uh, 64 which i think has been eclipsed but because it was such a leap at the time right that's what makes it memorable this, this is a little bit of the difference between iconic ex ex and and like being being good because you're iconic and being good because of your quality, uh, i mean sense. i don't know if i agree with that. I, I think like there's a version of pokemon that eclipses pokemon like there is a a a, a jrpg essentially a monster collection based jrpg that eclipses pokemon it just hasn't happened yet um i don't necessarily know what that looks like but um i i don't i don't necessarily think that's because pokemon is 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 particularly exceptional um in kind of that way i, I, I like it's like so so kind of timeless i i think that um super mario 64 is kind of like still holds up as a pretty solid 3D platformer. I just don't think 3D platformers are as compelling as 2D platformers are. Um, and I, I, I think that's just kind of the, the way that things 
are generally. Okay, another example of this would be StarCraft then. I mean, it's the exact same era, right? The The point is, is that, like, a game like StarCraft, I think, holds up. A game like StarCraft, I feel like I could go back to um, 20 years later and play it again and be like, oh my god, this this game is fantastic, right? This game is great. Uh, and I think that there are games that, that stretch back to kind of, like, the Atari, you know, era. I'm sure there are games that fit this this moniker, right? Tetris would be, would be a good example of something kind of before the 3D era, um that that i would consider or that i would think of as being like like a great game but i think that there are games that are made great by their context rather than their yeah text, okay if that makes sense yeah yeah I'll, I'll give you that uh then uh the next question is what is the worst game you've ever played and why I have a really answer, easy answer to this game. I'm not even going to name it, partially because I don't remember the name and partially because I don't want to look up the name. But I have played one game once, uh, essentially kind of as like a like a thought experiment because I heard of its existence. Um, it is a web-based browser game uh, made by white supremacists where you get dropped into a prison and you beat up gay people and black people and uh, Latinos... Um, and it was morally repugnant and awful, and uh, that's why it's the worst game I've ever played. It's pretty, it's it's straightforward. Don't look it up. Don't play it. It's it, don't don't even. But how? But what, did it control well? No, no. I mean, it was just like a it was just like a flash game, basically. Right, but um, like basically, the question is, is like, if you had reskinned this to be like not morally repugnant, would it have held up? Uh, it wouldn't have been as bad. I, th there might be another answer that goes on this on, uh, in this spot, but it is the worst game ever because of its subject matter. Uh, I, I played it in college. I think I watched like an ep extra credits episode, and they mentioned it, and I was like, "Well, now I want to play this game and see what and see what it's about." And I honestly almost regret that decision. Like, I feel like I am a better person because I have actually like experienced this for myself or whatever. But I still like. Kind yeah. of just wish I never did. <coughs> um. So, I'm gonna go with what's, what's, what's going to be a controversial answer, but um, I'm gonna do <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> That'd be funny. I'm I'm gonna and so just to preface this, um, I'm not saying this because I thought the game was like this is not a game that's like non-functional or incompetent or particularly offensive um it just feels like kind of nothing to me um and i'm gonna say that that's gone home um wow and, yeah uh wow. um and i'm saying this because i didn't like i thought that story had serious narrative problems brought about but i think i've talked about this on the cast before um essentially that the kind of the kind of decisions that the that the that the that the the character in the story within a story makes are um, kind of nonsensical in my mind. And I think that's because kind of like it's essentially a story is about a, 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 uh, a girl who comes home after a trip to Europe to find no one home. Um, and it mostly falls narrative of her family members um, kind of revealed through notes. And uh, the, the big main one is what happens to her sister who is um, kind of, goes through a, a journey of uh, self-discovery and discovers herself as a lesbian and then runs away from home. Um, and to me, it failed to land because um, the way that she runs, like, the, like she runs away from home, but that doesn't seem like, a, a, like, that decision doesn't seem justified in kind of the lens that they paint 
the parents in, which is as ultimately as kind of like viewing it as a phase, but not like not being like 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 hateful or anything about it, right? Like the the, the fact that they are just kind of like passively like, oh, you'll get over this. Um, I think they do that because they have their own storylines each, and you can't make them objects of 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 your despise. Um, if you're going to sympathize them for their own storylines. And so they, they kind of get boulderized, I feel, um, in kind of the role in that main story. And I don't feel that, like, her... Um, kind of, like, the through line in that main plot line is, is as justified as it should be. And if the the main plot lines fall apart in a walking simulator, you've got nothing left in the game, right? Like, it's basically a walking simulator with a bad story, which makes it, like, nothing. Um, and then and that's, that, that's kind of... That's why... That's that's why I think it's 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 kind of the the worst game. Do you ever think played. do you think that the uh uh to what extent does the story frame her running away as like a good decision, I guess? Um so um uh part of this is, is they actually do a decent job of building tension, right? Like uh, do you, do you care about spoilers? No. Okay. Um so the last thing you do is you open the attic and like when you open the attic there's like Essentially, at least in my mind, there was fifty-fifty chance that like, um, either she had hung herself there, or that like, um, or you know that that there was something else that happened. And this is something else that happened. She left behind another tape, and that tape was basically I ran away with my girlfriend, um, on a motorcycle, um, and, um, none of it felt like anything was ever driving her towards these eventualities, right? Like there was the kind of, uh standard kind of like my parents just don't get me but again it's not like her parents were 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 mean to her they just kind of like expected this to be a thing that would like in in a kind of very kind of like non-hateful way we're like oh this is probably just a phase right like that like that doesn't that didn't feel like it, it it justified her feeling so despondent that she would want to, to, to either run away from home or potentially hang herself, which is kind of the read I was getting as, 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 uh, as you went through the story. Uh, to what extent do you think malice is necessary in order to fuel a decision like that? Um, like, cause there's a certain part of me that's a little bit like, yeah, I, I guess the, 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 like, I understand the parents not being kind of like comically, uh, well, you don't even have to be comically, comically or exaggerated. Like, I feel like there has to be like, a level of kind of like, uh, of kind of like, a level of malice, right? Like, kind of like just this is like like a base level of not understanding, is like not enough that that it feels like it, it, it makes this decision feel like a, a good decision, right? Like when I when I experienced the ending, I kind of felt like, I kind of felt like the the, the point that this was like the right decision for her to like they frame it as a good decision for her to make right like they do okay yeah right like 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 the end of like the end of the, the what is it the graduate they frame the couple running away as potentially being a bad decision for them to have made right. um but this is filmed as like this is rather portrayed as kind of like the right decision for her to have made and it didn't jive that way with me it didn't seem like it was a great decision for her to be making um or a justified decision for her to be making. Yeah, I mean, I I, I don't know because I, I I when you explain it, it sounds to me like there's plenty of opportunity for nuance for that to be all right. Uh, I definitely understand story. You know, stories don't always earn themselves, and characters don't earn their decisions through storytelling. That that happens. Um, but I definitely think there's something to be said for kind of like you know like even kind of the brush off 
as being a devastating thing for someone. Because it's kind of just like saying your existence is a phase in a way. You know what I mean? And I and I get how that, you know, like I get how that could be like a really huge deal. Uh, uh, I, that could be like a really huge deal for someone. I also get how, you know, like someone could overreact to that kind of a thing and, uh, uh, you know, you get almost like the bittersweet ending version of it. If that makes sense. Yeah. It's also been a number of years since I played it, so I'm, I might be misremembering some of the things, but I, that, that's basically just kind of how I play, how, how I felt um, coming out of it. it was like this, this decision felt unearned. This main kind of storyline felt bad. And at the end of the day, this was a walking simulator um, that had a story that I didn't find compelling and thus was not justify its. Um, also, part of this was it didn't feel like it didn't justify its price tag, um, which which is so, something that I can't help from entering my mind. It's like a fifteen dollar game, I think, at the time, um, and I, you know what? I had heard such good things about it, and I played it. And I was like, this is kind of like nonsense. Um, you know. Uh, Fair enough. Okay. Uh, the next question is uh, for the Derpies: uh, What games are on your list for potential award winners for the for the year? Um, Player Unknown's Battlegrounds. I, I I can't play a game for two hundred hours and have that not be on the list for for something. Yeah, that is going to be on the list at some point. Uh, well, what other what other games have I played that got released this year? I mean, the Total big War. three. The big three that are coming out are Total War Two, Mordor: Shadow of War, um, and uh, uh, the uh, the XCOM. Uh, uh, the XCOM expansion pack, which I've played a lot of and I think is great, um, and I it will it will definitely make end up somewhere on the list. The problem I have with the Derpies almost is that it's very hard to talk about them because like when you actually make a list of all of the games that came out this year that you played this year, right? Like the the, the list is smaller than you might think, yeah. Because games take forever to play. And a lot of games, like, I, you know, I didn't play Darkest Dungeon until this year, for instance, right? <coughs> I didn't play Factorio until this year. Um, these game, these are games that got released in other years, but I'm also a little bit like, well, I should review this now because this is a game that I've played, right? Or also, what do I do with a game like Total War Warhammer that I, that released two years ago, right? But I came back to it this year now that it's DLC complete, and, and I love it, and I want to talk about it, and I'm like, oh my god, this game is great, or whatever, um... Uh, like it, it, it's a much more it's a much murkier question than I would have uh, than yeah. I otherwise thought. Uh, we don't really have a great system for putting up with this, but I have played more games this year than I played last year, which is nice. Uh, it's just there's a lot of stuff that's on here that didn't that didn't necessarily come out this year. Um, I hope that Total War Warhammer Two is going to be good. Everything I've seen about it seems to suggest it's going to be great. Uh, I really hope that they put out the combined map mode because. Uh, if the combined map mode comes out inside of this year, it will be gigantic. It will be it will be just like huge uh, and loom large, I guess, in my mind. Um, I it's also a little bit hard for me to kind of uh, kind of rate certain things. Like for instance, how do I think about World of Warcraft in the context of like patches seven point two and seven point three came out? And I've played a bunch of them, and they it feels pretty good. But like I don't know uh, if that if that's enough change to make it count and qualify for the list. There's just there's a lot of unresolved questions with the derpies. The good the good news is that we don't have that much of a format for it. 
Um, so uh, I think it will be an okay thing to fudge, uh, fudge the numbers and fudge the time frame a little bit to be more of a year in review of all the things that we played uh, more than more than anything else. Yeah, I I, I think that's fair. Probably um, the front runner for me for the derpies uh, comes comes down to XCOM two, Total War Warhammer one. Uh, as of as of this moment, those are the two that I that I that I think of uh, as being like the best games that I've played this year. Yeah, games that I've played this year, it comes down to Player Unknown's Battlegrounds and maybe Dead Cells, um, depending on how where that is at the end of the year because uh, it's technically an early access game. Um, and uh, what else? I mean, the the other big ones are the Horizon or Destiny two and uh, Shadow of Destiny War. Destiny two, jeez, yeah. Um, Shadow of War, which I'm much less excited about now that I have been. Um, but we'll we'll see how that goes. You don't like them profiting off of the death of one of their developers? I really so shouldn't have made that joke without unpacking this for the whole cast. Yeah. So so I I actually think that kind of like, like, I think pointing out that the fact that it wasn't going to happen in five of the states and internationally was fine. But I think kind of accusing them of profiting off of that was a step too far. I think that was, that was kind of irresponsible. Okay. Um, cause like what that reads to me is like, there's some legal restriction on why they can do what they want. Um, and they have since, since total biscuit has put up his video. Um, for those of you who are not familiar, total biscuit, uh, or rather somebody working on shadow four died of cancer. Um, and they made a piece of DLC honoring him that cost five dollars and three fifty of this DLC will go to the family, excepting in five of the states in the United States and any place outside of the United States. Um, uh, people like uh, John uh, Total Biscuit, John Bain got on got on the horn and basically said that this is them profiting off of tragedy. Um, he did, for his credit, say that he he might be biased because he is a sufferer of cancer himself, um, and I think he got the better of him this time. Um, I think that yes, um, every kind of outlet that ran it without kind of explicitly mentioning the exception was probably in the wrong, especially someplace like Eurogamer, which is a European centric, um, a European centric outlet where it wouldn't be valid. Um, I think that's all, I think it's all valid to criticize them for that, but to then go the extra step and accuse them of profiting off the death of this person without any kind of response from them, I think is kind of irresponsible because I think that, um... I think what it reads to me, what it what that reads to me is like some sort of weird legal exception that they can't they can't benefit from it for some weird reason. I'd like to know why that is, and I would appreciate it if uh, Monolith came out and explained it. And they have claimed that they that them that WB Interactive and Monolith will not profit from the sale of the DLC, regardless. But I kind of want to know where that money is going to go because it's obviously not going to vanish into thin air. Um, but I think like um, assuming kind of malice in the situation w- w- was unwarranted. Uh, yeah, the, the big two that really got on its case uh, were definitely Total Biscuit and Jim Sterling, who are kind of the, the most typical um, to, to kind of rag on publishers pulling kind of crap like this, um, if you want to if you want to frame it that that negatively. Uh, uh, I also think that it that it ca- that, that it kind of uh, like piggybacks onto a lot of really just shitty news recently um, when it comes to. Uh, Mordor Shadow of War you know like the the single player uh, like loot boxes people are really angry about uh, pretty justifiably 
in a lot of ways in a lot of places um and so you know it's it, it's kind of like an easy thing to to punch uh to punch at i guess yeah uh, though i do kind of agree that there's there's probably a little bit more context here all right uh Hello. but yeah uh and then the last question from Raylana. thank you Raylana, for sending these questions in uh we review movies from time to time, and what movies are you most looking forward to reviewing in the nearest future? Um, are we going to review Kingsman Golden Circle? Because I kind of want to, but I don't know if we have the time. Uh, man, we are really stacked for time. Uh, yeah. I could do a review for Kingsman Golden Circle. I have a lot to say. I like Mark Millar a lot. I think he's pretty great. Kingsman 1 was uh, interesting, if not... I mean, it was good, uh, but... I loved it in the same way I kind of loved John Wick, um, which is kind of like as like just like a this. So Kingsman kind of took me totally by surprise, uh, and so you know it it, it kind of pulled you know it was it was uh, it was crazy like that for me right like the funny, I, the, the funny thing about Kingsman is as someone who likes Mark Millar and has read a lot of Mark Millar comics and think Mark Millar is a uh, Mark Millar is a, 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 a Scottish comic book writer. Um, and he's one of my favorite writers. I think he's really good at this. But, like, it's really obvious that this is a Mark Millar concept um, kind of through and through. And so it was basically exactly what I expected, uh, if that makes sense. Um, uh, but I also think that it's, it's, it is a particular idea that is um, that's something that has actually been kind of lacking in a lot of spaces and places. Uh, like... You get a lot of kind of quote unquote realistic spy movies. I feel like nowadays, right? You know, ever since Casino Royale came out and was the best James Bond movie of all time, hashtag Fight Me. Um, the uh, the the kind of go to for this for Mission Impossible, right? Uh, for any of these kind of spy thrillers that come out, um, has been kind of like hardcore realism, right? Tinker Tailor, Soldier Spy is another example of this. Uh, you know, last year we had the guy, the man from Uncle movie. Uh, that was, uh, that was right along these kinds of lines, um, you know, and so Kingsman came out and was kind of like, no, you remember in the 1970s where James Bond went to the moon and fought an evil supervillain with a laser gun? This is that kind of movie. Uh, I think that it, it was very, that was, that was very fertile ground, uh, and it was something that people weren't getting in other spaces, so. I don't know. I, anyway, I would be down for Kingsman too. uh, I guess, uh. Uh, we have talked about Death Note is next week. Uh, yeah. We're doing the three Star Wars episodes, two of which are double-sized because we're fitting the full sagas of uh, the prequel trilogy and the original trilogy into them. Uh, and then we're doing The Force Awakens as a regular size episode later down the line. Uh, we have Thor Ragnarok, Justice League, Star Wars Episode Eight. Uh, we talked about doing Blade Runner last week. Yeah, so, fuck, we've got... There's, there's, a, there's a lot. I mean, hey, man, I like talking about movies as much as the next guy. Plus, we have big releases for Total War, Warhammer 2, Shadow of War. Uh, <laughs> Destiny 2. Destiny 2, like, man, uh, we're rolling in it. Oh, Jesus. What else? Is, is there anything else in here that looks particularly crazy? Uh, uh, I'm trying to think if there's just anything else that's coming out. That, is Logan uh, Lucky like the like the kind of like redneck Ocean's oof. Eleven? Yes, Logan Lucky is directed by my boy Steven Soderbergh of Magic Mike and Magic Mike XXL fame. Well, I actually did, didn't direct Magic Mike XXL. He just shot it. He was just the cinematographer. But I love those movies, and I love him, and he's great. Yeah, we're, uh, we're I probably not going to see Logan Lucky. Yeah, we're, we're probably not going to be able to review all of these. 
It's not going to happen. Yeah, we'll figure it out. Obviously, the one that I am the most excited for is Justice League. Who the fuck is surprised? Though I keep having stress dreams that Justice League is bad. So, you know, yeah. that's bad news. I, ha I, have a f I have a sinking suspicion uh, that it won't be very good and that it won't even be good in the kind of Batman v Superman way where it's like it's flawed but really unique and interesting and therefore I love it. Um uh there is there's there's cool subtext in the trailers i guess um and and i hope that that stuff uh i hope that that stuff is indicative of uh kind of like a philosophical or thoughtful movie um uh or a movie that at least attempts to be philosophical and thoughtful uh but i very much fear that it won't be uh, so I am I am looking forward to it. I'm really excited for it. This is the first time we're gonna see Aquaman on the big screen. He's gonna be a huge badass that looks like me. You know what else could I possibly want? Um, but uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, mine's probably actually our reviews of Star Wars, like one through six, just because I love those movies so much. Um, That's so. true. I also love those movies. I also just really want to talk about them. Jesus yeah. Christ. It's so crazy to me that we have never actually like directly talked about uh, talked about these movies. Yeah. Speaking of Star Wars, if you want to hear some more discussion about Star Wars, the first hour of our most recent, uh, uh, what's it called? Uh, <laughs> uh, Hell's Rebels cast is just arguing about the Star Wars thing again. Uh, so you know, feel free to check that out. Yeah. For those of you uh, who may not have listened to an episode, Mango and I did an episode about the kind of fantasy of Star Wars in like an RPG setting, right? Like, if you're gonna play a tabletop game like D and D in the Star Wars universe, what should that look like? And we got into a pretty heated discussion about how sacred the canon yeah, is to you know to the GM and to the players playing that game. Essentially, my suggestion being that you uh in in the late you at, at some point during the game you make a very big powerful break from canon like the death star blows up yavin 4 and luke han and leia all die um in order to kind of rip the rug out from under your players uh and, and kind of uh uh you know play those expectations that they have against them if that makes sense um Mango believes that that kind of thing is unfair to your players as a GM. Uh, yeah, I, I, f I feel that, like, it's essentially those kind of expectations need need to be laid out at the beginning of, of the game. Not necessarily in explicit terms, but that there needs to be some sort of warning. Um, check both our old episode and the first hour of the latest Tells Rebels for uh, more, more discussion therein. I'm sure we'll circle back to it at some point because... Every time this comes up, we end up in an argument. Um, I'm going to cut it off now before we get into it. Yeah, that's um, good. We don't need to waste more time here. Yeah, <laughs> and then go, and go to uh, go to Sour Patches has some more questions. Um, if a child asked for you guys to make a wish to, for the Make a Wish Foundation, how would you spend the day with the kid? Uh, uh, playing D and D and potato chips, he suggests. Um, if somebody wanted to hang out with us for, uh, for for the Make a Wish Foundation, I'd do whatever the fuck that kid wanted, like. If, if, if some kid is dying and decides that hanging out with us is his best thing to do, um, if he wants to, like, play video games, I'll play video games with him. If he wants to, like, play d and I'll absolutely pull in everybody I, I you know, the, the best people I know to play that game with him. Um, it's just kind of like, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know how, like, I don't know why anybody would want to pick us for Make-A-Wish. 
Um, uh, he, yeah, yeah. I feel like if the kid didn't know what they wanted to do, uh, something that I could definitely see myself doing with a, with a kid like that would be like taking him to like an actual like like flesh and blood arcade. Um, there is one uh, in the, near the beach uh, by my by my house in Redondo Beach um, that uh, that is very cool, and I feel like you know I, I feel like that's the kind of experience uh, that would be that would be just like really neat. Um, I don't know. I would also be super super happy to kind of DM uh, or GM a game for a kid like that. I think that would be I think that would be I think that would be awesome. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Uh... I, I, I definitely have him as a guest on the podcast and engage in, in rigorous intellectual conversation with him. That's what kids love, right? Yeah, right. Um, you have any, any deeper thoughts on that? Nope. All right. Uh, question, next question from Sarah Patch. If I act like I'm in an anime and run around a children's playground and the police are called, <coughs> do they have the right to escort me out? Um <laughs> Um, I mean, we did ask for trolley questions. Yeah, we I did. Guess. Yeah. Um, I believe, I am not a lawyer, but I believe the answer is uh, yes. I believe you can actually get um, in serious trouble for being an adult near a children's playground without having a child with you. Um, like it's 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 a thing that's like arrestable, and you might even be able to be put on a list for it. Uh, so don't do that, people at home. Um, I actually really up. wonder what that would be, uh, like what the. Like what the law would be, I guess. Um, I, I know that there are some protect like pr- protectionary laws. Like, I had, um, I have known some people who, um, kind of like in early adulthood, just kind of like were derping around on a playground at night for like, for like, you know, laughs. Uh-huh. Um, and they got in some trouble with the police and potentially and like just barely managed to not be on a registry. Um, Jesus Christ. So yeah, don't don't do that. Um. The power of anime won't save you. Um, <laughs> I don't know, uh, man. The power of anime saves a lot of people. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, but, you know, I wouldn't rely on it uh, versus the police. <laughs> yeah, you're, ro- you're really rolling some dice. You're really rolling some dice yeah. if that's the decision that you make. Uh, um, in, in a similar vein, he also asks, if I suck on a lollipop in front of a middle school at 3 p.m. on a weekday, do the police have the right to escort me away? Um <laughs> I think that depends on what you mean by in front of a middle school. Like, if you're on the school property, probably yes. It also depends on what you mean by lollipop. I mean, is that a euphemism? Because I don't think sucking a dude's dick uh, out out, out out in public like that is a really good idea. Yeah, yeah. Like, if the cop thinks it's a cigarette, you might, you know, be in trouble for it being a no-drug zone. Uh, You know, uh, but, you know, again, it's not something I would would roll the dice on. I would stay at least across the street from the middle school. Um, that probably puts you, like, far enough off. Um, somebody might come up to you and ask you questions in that case. Well, you're probably within your rights to be like, I don't have to answer your questions, copper. I might answer them anyway, just to kind of, like, ensure smoothness. I would definitely um, wink a lot as I'm licking the lollipop suggestively. Yeah. Anytime anybody makes eye contact with me, I, I would want to wink at them so that they understood that, that, that what I'm doing is suggestive of, of fellatio. Yeah, so 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 if, if you really if you really want to push this, <laughs> you stand across the street, you do this winking thing, and then when a cop comes up to you, you just immediately start shouting, "Am I being detained?" And that's all you do. <laughs> yeah, dude, that's the way to do it. That's the way to do it, definitely. Yeah. Um. Uh. Next question: What do you what do you guys eat for breakfast? So I I think this means in general, not just today. Um. Typically, lately, I've been drinking uh Soylent chai tea flavor. Um. Uh, 
I enjoy it very much, and it's very simple. Um, and it's a great thing to do in the morning when I've got other stuff to do. What about you, buddy? What do you typically eat for breakfast? I don't really exist uh, in the morning enough to eat breakfast because I work the graveyard shift. Uh, and I typically don't eat anything between, like, the hours of, like, midnight and 6 a.m. Like, maybe I'll have, like, a snack or something like that. But um, typically my breakfast, quote-unquote, would be at, like, 2 or 3 p.m. when I wake up. Uh, and at that point, a lot of the time, I just wait for Rachel to come home and bring me bring me food or make me food. Because buddy, I'm really lazy and awful like that. Buddy, if the bre- breakfast is the most important meal of the day. Uh, uh, well, that's good because I eat it for dinner. So now dinner is the most no, important buddy, meal of the day. And to... breakfast is the two of my meals are both really important meals of the day. Buddy, you need to eat when you wake up. Otherwise, you're going to die. Um, We're all going to die, Mango. Fair point. Fair point. Valor <laughs> Mugulis, Mango. Anyway. Uh, uh, moving on. <laughs> More questions. Is it okay to look at a, at a girl at the gym and ask her what her sweat tastes like? Follow up. Is it okay if I ask as a gentleman if I can take her towel to the laundry basket for her? Um, you know, when you say okay, I'm going to say like, is it illegal? Probably not. Is it a good idea? Depends on uh, how fast you are. So, he, so okay. This is something that I used to subscribe to when I was a middle schooler, right? And I really wanted to get a girlfriend, right? And it's thing called it's this thing called Archer Theory. Do you know what Archer Theory is? No. What is Archer Theory? The Archer Theory is the idea that even the worst archer, if he sh- shoots enough arrows, will eventually hit a bullseye. <laughs> <laughs> and so I think if you use Archer's theory, right, and you ask enough women like that, eventually one of them will be okay with it. And therefore, that one satisf- satisfies the condition that, that, that it would be that it would be okay. Uh, I think for the lion's share of them, they would be creeped out. They might call the police. They might go crazy and get and get you thrown out of the gym by like the gym security or something like that because you're displaying weird things but given enough gyms and given enough women inside of those gyms i think one of them would eventually be okay with it and you should test that with archer this this is archer theory which is definitely not a really stupid and bad idea and that it doesn't work that way and you're stupid for thinking it works that way it's definitely, definitely not, not that. that. Definitely not. For, for, for the follow-up, um, for the towel thing, I think there's two two techniques to follow. Um, the first one is is uh, you should dress like the staff and pretend like you're a member of the staff, and then they probably won't think it's weird. Um, oh the other the other uh, way to do it would be to dress in a three-piece suit with an uh, overcoat and a fedora. That way she knows that you are a supreme gentleman. Um, <laughs> And would also be more likely to to uh, accept your offer to take her towel to the laundry basket. Um, uh, I, I also I, think it's important to use the term "milady" uh, mm. when when you when you ask her to do this. Uh, I also think that it's very important that by the time you get to the basket, you look her in the eye, you make eye contact with her, and just go like, and <laughs> do a big sniff. Just go balls to the wall. You mm. really gotta. That's how that, you that, make it work. That's how she knows that that, that you appreciate her. Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, and the last one in this batch from Sour Patch is, uh, what is your go-to alcoholic beverage to have a good time? Um, uh, now, 
Uh, I know you don't typically drink, but I don't drink. I, I, I don't drink alcohol, so my typical alcoholic beverage to have a good time is probably Everclear because you can set it on fire, and that's funny sometimes. All right, so uh, for, for like a real answer, um, my personal fit, like my, my go-to kind of drink if I'm trying to like sip on a drink is a Dark and Stormy, which is a ginger beer and rum. I'm a big rum guy. Um, if I'm just kind of looking for something common, um, rum and Coke. Pro tip... If you want to drink a little bit slower, ask for rum and double Coke. Not a double rum and Coke. It's a same amount of rum with twice the amount of Coke. You drink it slower. It tastes better because it's not – you don't have as much of the well rum. I'm assuming you're doing well rum on this. Um, if you've got a nice rum, then feel free to do like a, a regular. But if you're going for well rum, um, do the double Coke. It'll take some of the edge off. Um, and then my personal favorite for kind of a mix-up, you can't get this everywhere, is a Zambuca and Coke. Um, Sambuca is probably my favorite liqueur. I like it by itself, but uh, mixing it with Coke kind of like lets it lets you uh, push it out over time. Um, it's also fairly uh, sweet. It tastes like licorice. I, I really like the way it complements with Coke. Um, and uh, yeah, um, those are kind of my my, my standards. Um, okay, does Sour Patch have any other questions in this one? Not in. He sent three emails total. So yeah, that, man, that, way to go, dude. Yeah, that that's his first email. So. Uh, Okay. Why don't we throw it back to you for some of our uh, non emails? This questions. one comes uh, from my man, uh, Chakra. What are each of you's favorite comic storylines slash series and why? Um, do you have an answer ready? Yeah. I, have I ever talked about this before? Do you know what my favorite comic of all time is? Uh, something with Aquaman? No, actually. Uh, well, uh, technically he is mentioned a little bit. Um, it is, it's a comic by a guy named uh, Grant Morrison called Seven Soldiers. Um, Seven Soldiers uh, is, is a kind of a, 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 like a modern play a little bit on th an older Golden Age concept, Golden Age being about the 1940s, right, um, of who were the Seven Soldiers of Victory, um, which was, man, if I can name this off the top of my head, uh, Green Arrow and his sidekick Speedy. Um, the, uh, uh, Vigilante, who's kind of the cowboy superhero. Shining Knight, I believe, was in there. Um, uh, Crimson something. Crimson Avenger. How many is that? That's five. Uh, oh, and then, uh, Star Spangled Kid and Stripes, I want to say. So that's seven, yeah. So they were the Seven Soldiers of Victory or whatever. Seven Soldiers is a kind of modern, uh, like, update of, of that, but, like, basically taking the name and not all that much else. Um, the idea being, can you make a team-up superhero comic, right, without any of the team members ever knowing that they're on a team uh, or, or, like, with one another at all, right? Um, and what ended up happening was it was, uh, <coughs> a 30 issue series, right? One double sized mega issue to start it all off. Um, one mega sized ending issue to end it all. Um, and then in between were seven, four issue miniseries for a total of 28 individual issues. Um, those issues, uh, included superheroes, probably the most well known superhero, um, is Zatanna Zatara, right? Zatanna is the one. Uh, that uh, says things backwards, and um, she then does like that thing, like she's a magician or whatever. Yeah, and she dresses like a like a like a like a like a magician magician in the real world, right? Like, yeah, yeah. She's she and she's very much like a performer like that. 
Um, there is uh, Shining Knight. Um, Shining Knight is traditionally an Arthurian, uh, an Arthurian knight who gets like, uh, like booted into the real world, and she has like, uh, or I'm sorry, he has um, uh, like enchanted armor and Excalibur, and just like you know beats beats bad guys with that. Uh, this version of Shining Knight is very different. This version of Shining Knight is actually. Um, uh, a woman uh, who is who was pretending to be Sir Justin, but ends up being Sir Justi Justina, um, and uh, she is from she is from Arthurian times, but Arthurian times is just incredibly different. Uh, it, there, there's nuclear bombs. Uh, they set off nuclear bombs. Basically, the whole premise of the series is that there is an like a like an interdimensional force called the Sheeta who arrive to like re they're they're kind of almost like Cthulhu almost um they what they do is they reap uh like societies and civilizations right um and then leave them you know leave just enough seeds of them that they can be like rebuilt and they come every every 10,000 years it's always prophesized that a group of seven will defeat them but the Sheeta keep defying the prophecy by just murdering groups of seven whenever they like whenever they come around and so the reason uh that um uh the reason that the Sheeta uh don't succeed this time is because this team never technically comes together they are all of these stories all these seven stories interweave with one another right um and uh, 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 like bounce off of one another, but they don't actually they don't actually like ever uh, team up. Uh, another one is the Guardian, who is uh, who works for is like is like a newspaper sponsored um, superhero. Uh, Bulleteer, whose uh, uh, husband really like like she's a woman, and her husband really wants to be a superhero, and so he. Um, uh, and so he like discovers like super stuff, but then he dies and she lives um, as as the hero. Uh, and then the other ones are Frankenstein, right? Like the tra traditional Frankenstein's monster. He has the best of the four issue miniseries, by the way. Mister Miracle, which is a reimagining of the dark, uh, like like the dark side group of new gods, um, centered around Mister Miracle, who is one of those superheroes. And then Clarion, uh, Clarion the Witch Boy. Uh, who's uh, like a, like another kind of dark magician? This one kind of being based around uh, based around like like puritanical, like like castaways almost. Anyway, the point is, it is amazing. It's very good. It's almost impossible to summarize because Grant Morrison is such a like like a kind of like deep and out there writer. Um, and uh, it, it it's my favorite comic book of all time, almost because I read it in the exact same place that I played mass effect in and it was one of the first books that i ever got to like like deconstruct for myself and like get to the deeper meaning of myself that deeper meaning generally kind of being uh like a like a comment on um the various origins of where comics like and superhero comics come from um so you know you've got frankenstein right who comes from kind of victorian uh you know like gothic literature um you know, you've got uh, the Bulleteer, who, who is a comment on the comment, right? Because Bulleteer is a riff on the earliest superhero kind of, like, comics and concepts. 
uh, Guardian, you know, who talk, who's all about like the newspaper strips and newspaper serials that had a huge uh, that had a huge piece of it. Shining Knight, obviously, Arthurian legend, and those kinds of classical heroes have a big have a big piece in it. You you get you get the picture, right? Uh, so that's my favorite. That's my favorite comic book series uh, of all time. Yep. Well, I'm gonna have to answer with uh, it's it's just kind of boring, but I, I'm pretty sure for me it's the Watchmen. Um, it's cause, uh, um, in kind of the same way that, uh, that you said that this comic was the first, that, uh, was the first comic that, that really made you think of comics in kind of like a different light. Um, The Watchmen was the first comic I really ever read outside of some collections of like Silver Age comic books in the library, which, um, or like some, like the collections of like Sunday funnies, which, which are neat in their own way, but, um, obviously don't approach the same kind of, uh, level of storytelling, uh, that, that some of these longer arcs can and that I feel like the Watchmen does um and kind of uh it's kind of like the masterful kind of character storytelling in the Watchmen really really uh pulled me in um and uh you know it's kind of like superheroes that kind of aren't all like you know like kind of like the moral ambiguity that you don't see in a ton of superhero stuff I thought was uh or at least at least my, I hadn't seen in my experience at the time uh, was great and kind of like the idea that the heroes kind of lose in a way and things don't wrap up real nice um you know uh i i, I really appreciated that uh, but i think we've discussed before um uh, our, our kind of differing views on on uh on who was right in the watchman um because i i i kind of i i think that warshack's right and i believe that you think that dr manhattan was right correct uh i think that the end the i think that the ending of uh, I think that the ending of the story is ambiguous. Um, oh, I, I don't mean in terms of the way it's presented, but in the way that like we kind of view things. Oh, right? oh yeah, I definitely think that uh, not Doctor Manhattan, uh, but Ozzy uh, Mandias. Mandias. Yeah, that that's the greatest thing about Watchmen to me is that it makes the supervillain who is clearly doing the supervillain things the best, the 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 hero. Right, he's the one that saves the world. The rest of them don't. Um, in fact, the rest of them fail to stop Ozymandias from saving the world. And that's like the greater context of the story. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, they also leave it ambiguous because uh, Rorschach's journal does eventually make it to some yeah. sort of form of the press. Um, and, you know, I, 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 I am a big believer in kind of like the truth. Um, and so like that Rorschach spoke to me. So okay, okay. So in so insofar as the world is clearly heading to Armageddon, right? To nuclear war between uh, the Soviet Union and uh, and the United States. Um, like I, you, like you would say that even even though Ozymandias is able to actually defeat that menace, right? Is actually able to put a stop to like this impending Armageddon for people on the planet, right? Um, the truth is more important than that. Yeah, I, I, I am in general case not okay with, like, mass deception. Um, like, I, I don't think this is a case where, like, I am generally not a fan of the ends justify the means, which is essentially what this is. Um, and, yeah, so. Sure, I mean, you know, you're sure, but I think in, in the context of, um, so in the context of, the ends justify the means. Uh, this is a story that has built a context where there is no other option, essentially, besides Armageddon, besides 
you know. I mean, I'm also I also never pull the the lever on the trolley. You know, it's it's. Oh, uh, I'm I'm just. Oh yeah, we have also talked about the trolley problem. Yeah. Yeah, um, I think we just like view these things kind of opposite. Yeah. And, but yeah, because because I'm you know I'm not a I'm not a fan of the ends justify the means in plenty of other situations, but there are certain contexts where that is the case, and I feel like Watchmen has built uh, the proper context for me to say something along the lines of, yeah, it's okay that you know. No, like like I understand the case. I just I just you know, I I think that kind of like the lie of the, that magnitude is not is not acceptable. Um, you know, that's uh, that's me. Um, you want to jump o- jump over to a couple questions from a friend of the cast, uh, Charles, who oh was boy. Let's who, do it. who was on um, which podcast was that? That was the PUBG uh, podcast. Uh what are your tips for new GMs, particularly those with limited previous tabletop experience? Um, do you have any off the top of your head? Uh, the biggest tip that I have is uh. You need to think I, – I think about most things uh, in terms of spectrums, right? I think absolutes are bad um, and kind of absolutist thinking is bad. And so a lot of the times what you'll get for uh, for people is kind of saying something along the lines of prepare, you know, be, be really prepared walking into every individual game or, or whatever. And that is, the, that is the, the ticket to success or, you know, don't prepare kind of thing uh, – uh, you know, play it by ear, improvise. That'll keep that'll keep uh, the group that that'll allow you to be kind of fresher and and more uh, and more responsive to the kind of group or whatever. And like most things, I think the answer falls somewhere in the middle of those kind of uh, uh, in those in in in, in between those. Um, I think it's very important to prepare. I think it's important to have kind of an outline of what you want to accomplish, right? Um, I do this for all of the, the Hell's Rebels games. Hell's Rebels itself has been outlined. Um, I knew from day one, uh, for instance, that there was going to be a bunch of the stuff that's happening here now in book three happening, right? Um, but, uh, I think that there's a real danger to over-preparing, right? Where you put things too much on tracks, uh, too much on... Uh, you know, you, you, like like forcing people to go down the routes that you want. Uh, the telltale example of this to me is when things have like, um, kind of like super determined endings. Uh, something that happens actually pretty commonly when people GM things is they say, oh, they they kind of create like a little bit of like a like a like a couple of logic gates almost, and then a couple of different end states based on those logic gates, and you kind of say, well, here's one of eight different endings, kind of pick one. Uh, I think that's a little bit mistaken and not and not a great thing to do. Um, and to be honest, that's actually kind of like a fairly recent. That's uh, uh, like a fairly recent idea that I got through WoW RP. Um, but uh, yeah, like I I think that the 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 best framework um, that you can walk into right is you want to prepare um, a problem. Right, you want to prepare a problem and all of its context, right? And you want to have at least one solution as a failsafe, right? Um, but at the end of the day, you need to be very open to the other solutions that people will uh, come to you with, if that makes sense. Yeah, uh, and um... that the best way, and that the best way that you can frame any of your games is to kind of give your characters a situation, right, and let them figure out how they want to get out of it, and be very open to their improvisations. Yeah, uh, uh, what is it? Angry GM has an article that I, that I particularly agree with that says something similar. Essentially, 
um, leave your players some set options and then be willing to work with them if they want to do something else. But most of the time, they'll probably take one of the options you lay out because people are like that, um, which I think is, is, is pretty good advice. I would also say that um, uh, the biggest thing is, like, don't get too wound up about, like, about essentially like, like don't don't put yourself in a bad mental space for it like you're probably not going to get everything perfect the first time you're probably not going to get everything per perfect anytime i think um for a lot of it diving in and just doing it is a great way of learning the first time and yeah things won't be as great as they as they could be but i think that's kind of like the first step that you got to take um i also think it's helpful that if you want to run a game that's that's like if you want to run a game close to the rules then having somebody else at the table who's knowledgeable about the rules who can help you with remembering those particular rules can be helpful so long as that person isn't, isn't a dick about it. Um, and so I'd, I'd recommend that. Um, that it takes some of the, the burden of knowing all of the rules yourself off of you if you have somebody else that you can essentially turn to and double-check things with. Um, but th those are kind of my, my, biggest, my biggest things. Yeah. That, I also think that it's just a plunge in kind. You know, you can't, you can't. I, I, I don't agree with dip, dip, dip a toe mentalities when it comes to this sort of thing. I think you just have to, you have to cannonball in the deep end. Yeah, uh, that's not to say, like, that's not to say that like you can't do things like something. I I like to recommend to to new GMs is to do like a non kind of campaign session first even if that turns into a campaign but like just kind of like roll a thing it's going to be a self-contained adventure as your first time doing it that way you kind of get the feel for like the kind of beginning middle end of things um, and i think that's a good way to kind of like test the waters and if it doesn't go well you can scrap that whole thing and just and you know do a new thing for your campaign or if it does go well you can make turn it into a session uh you know kind of a session 0.5 for your campaign um Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then the other question from Charles is: Is uh, when will you grow up and stop watching those Chinese cartoons? Um, and the answer <laughs> is never, Mom. Uh, I'm a ninja at heart. Uh, Leaf Village. Life. Yeah, Leaf Village for life or whatever. Yeah. Um, um, in a kind of more serious response to that, um, I actually think that um, anime has the potential for some really great stories that you don't often see in Western animation. I think it's getting better with things like Korra and Avatar. Um, but uh, I think that uh, th there's a lot of cool stuff that happens in anime that you just don't, don't see on the, uh, that you just don't see in animation on the other side of the pond. Um, and uh, there's cool stuff to watch in anime. I highly recommend like Rakugo, which I think I talked about several times before. Um, buddy, what, how do you feel about anime? Uh, I'm typically not a huge fan of anime, despite living in Japan for, uh, for a while. Um, uh, so, you know, I don't know. There's that, I guess. Uh, I don't think that it's bad or anything like that. It's just, uh, mostly actually it's, it's that people, like there's the subs versus dubs thing. Um, and people are, you know, say that the subs are better or whatever. And I typically, like, when I watch things, uh, I watch them while I'm doing something else on my other screen. So I can't read the subs at the exact same time. Um, and, uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, um, I think that's definitely a case-by-case -case basis. I think the vast majority of shows are 
better subbed if just because a lot of shows don't have like a dub available or like a decent dub available like the company just doesn't have enough money to pay for like two sets of voice actors or whatever um but uh yeah i I, mean it feels feels like as time has gone on it's like a better it's a better thing yeah i definitely think it's a thing you could take on a case-by-case basis um and Uh, that you and that you shouldn't you shouldn't be people who are diehard subs are always better than dubs are stupid yeah Um, I mean, I thought I like I like I thought the Attack on Titan dubs were good. Uh, I love the the Samurai Seven dubs. Uh, Samurai Seven being my favorite anime of all time for obvious reasons. Uh, and I have watched both the subs and the dubs, but I love the subs so much more because the voice actor for Kanbei is fucking amazing. Um, all right. Yeah, I don't know. All right. Uh, do you want to move on to some more questions from uh, from from the? From our, from, from, our, from our boys on Discord. Yes, okay, we have two questions from Xanus. The first is, what is literally the derpiest thing each of you have done in a game? Uh, I assume he means, like, a tabletop game? Uh, I think he's just asking us to make a play. I actually really like this question, because I don't really ever think about how we, like, how our, like, our t- title is, our title, or whatever. But it's just a play on the title. Yeah. Like we're derps and yeah, we talk fair about games. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um the one that comes to mind is the time is is in Mark's Rune Lords game. Uh when we uh uh fucking uh what was it? Uh I animated I as the Wooden Wanderer, which is a derpy character in the first place, animated it like a house and had it fight like the giant sea creature. You know that um high level magic's great. Uh, yeah, I, I think that's, uh, oh, um, other strong contender is when we were playing PUBG, um, there was a, a moment where, uh, friend X had, uh, proned next to me and, uh, I was trying to move and, uh, I couldn't move and I couldn't figure out why. And I was looking around and I didn't know he was right next to me. I looked, I saw a person and because he was so close to me that his tag was like kind of floating in the place. I was like, oh my God, there's a dude. And uh, I I shot him to 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 you know to not till he was knocked down. Luckily, I didn't kill him. Um, but yeah, that, that that's pretty high up there for me in, in terms of derpiest things I've done in the, in a game. What about you, buddy? Man, I have a really tough time uh, uh, figuring out uh, what the derpiest things I have ever done in a game. Um, see, because I want to say that it's probably from high school. Like I, I like I've told a couple of stories from like that Star Wars game, and that Star Wars game was derpy as fuck. Um, like, one of the things that happened in that game is I was a Keldor, uh, and we went, and we, we, okay, so, the first thing that we did was hijack a Star Destroyer by ourselves. Uh, like, we docked with the Star Destroyer, and, um, and we took out, like, the people on the bridge, but no one not on the bridge knew, so, like, the thing still worked. They just didn't understand that the people on the other end of, like, the intercom or whatever, um, they, the, like, they they didn't understand that, that, that we were, that we were not, like, the, the, the Imperial crew or whatever. And we flew the Star Destroyer to Keldor, the planet, like, my home planet, where we knew that there were concentration camps uh, for uh, uh, Keldorian, you know, like the, like, the Keldor had been putting concentration camps here. And we used the Star Destroyer to attack a concentration camp, right? I don't know I don't know how we were able to convince Imperial pilots that it was the right thing to attack an Imperial camp 
concentration camp, but we did. And so we like deployed all these star these tie fighters. They they killed all of the, the the like the guards or whatever. And then we went down and we evacuated the the camp, which had five thousand Keldorians in it, into the star destroyer, right? Um, and then we uh, and then we like it's not warp. Uh, then we and then we use hyperspace to go to Coruscant, which we thought was going to be safe or whatever. Um, and then Coruscant wasn't safe. It was being attacked by Darth Levong uh, of the of the Empire, uh, who was who was attacking the Republic forces on uh, on Coruscant. And so the whole the whole thing was uh, like like the whole the whole planet was just like engulfed. It's it's like the, the opening of Episode Three, right? Like it was just engulfed in starship. Uh, in like like in Starship Fire, I decided that we were gonna take on two Imperial Star Destroyers, get right next to them, and then like take them out because they don't know that we were bad guys or whatever. But we just didn't do that, and uh, they ended up uh, and then they ended the, the the two Star Destroyers ended up destroying our Star Destroyer, so we crashed into Coruscant, um, where my friend Max, his character Zolma, died in the crash from massive damage. Uh, and a couple of other people died. Um, Max immediately re-rolled in the middle of the session, showed up at the Star Destroyer crash, and helped us out of it, and was like, hey, are you guys okay? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, you know, you're pretty cool. I hope that we're going to be best friends someday. And I was like, yeah, let's be best friends. Because my character and Zoma had just been best friends, and me and Max were best friends. And now we, we had replaced ourselves with his new character as best friends. Uh, we ended up killing all 5,000 Keldor that we had just saved, which was unfortunate because we later learned that the other Keldor in the concentration camps got genocided and are all dead. And so I was the last Keldor, you know, like alive in the universe, though. I think that there were other spacefarers, probably, if we thought about the logic at all. We then went on to confront Darth Levong, um, where he, we were on like the top floor of like this bio facility, or like like this bio research facility with like this crazy thing or whatever. We went to the elevator to escape um, as the as the as the facility was being bombed by star destroyers from space. Darth Levong shows up in the elevators. My friend Zeev has the idea. He's playing a Jedi. No, he's not. He's playing. A, he's playing a tech specialist. He has the idea. He's like, dude, just cut the cables. And we're like, what? And he's like, just cut the cables. Right. He's in the elevator. Cut the cables. He'll he'll fall and die right darth levong being darth vader right this is like this is like in on on cloud city like opening up the thing and you see darth vader at the head of a table or whatever right it was like that surprising we were like oh my fucking god like darth levong is crazy so uh i then go i'm a jedi i use my lightsaber i cut the cables it's actually repulsor lifts it's not cables but whatever i cut them darth levong like plummets all the way down to the bottom of this miles high building uh dies and because he dies, all of the, and like all of the the droid orders were being routed through him and like his sensors and shit like that. Uh, all of the all of the ships in droid space immediately turn off. Oh, because the Empire is using battle droids, by the way. Um, and Darth Levong himself turned out to be a droid, and we didn't know that. Um, all of those ships turn off, and then they all plummet to Coruscant, uh, and we globally we we commit nine eleven. But, like, globally, right? Everything on Coruscant is destroyed after that. Uh, so that was that was, that was was very derpy. That yeah, happened. Sounds, that. sounds real, real derpy. <laughs> Mo moving on. <laughs> um, the next question is, have you ever, as a player, ever been responsible for a TPK? If so, how? Um, 
I don't think I have in, in especially in like a a tabletop. I'm amazed that I haven't. Uh, but uh, there was probably some time that I was like playing some shooter and was driving a, ve <coughs> a vehicle that everybody else was in and crashed into something. Like that definitely happened in Halo at some point, but that's the closest I've ever gotten. Mm -hmm. uh, have you ever been a part of a couple of, of, of a TPK in a tabletop game? I don't think I have. Um, it just, you know, hasn't come about. Yeah, I don't think so. I've been blessed. Fair Hashtag. Uh, I've been a part of one TPK in my life, but it was not my fault. Mostly because it was the stupid dumb GM's fault. Uh, we were assailed by a group of three goblins um, as level one 3.5 adventurers. However, the goblins had a spawning mechanic where if a goblin was undamaged at the end of a round, a new goblin that was full health would show up, right? Uh, you, you, might, you might understand this. We didn't know about this mechanic. So we all focus fire down, kill one of the goblins, and then two more goblins show up. And then we start focus firing down again, and then all of a sudden we're at six goblins, and then uh, the goblins just begin to overrun us, and the goblins kill all of us because we didn't figure out that there was a spawning algorithm because we were high school students and we didn't understand that concept. We were all very mad about it. We yelled a lot uh, at our GM, who is my friend Jake. Yeah. Neat. Um... Yeah, I, like I said, I don't think I've got any TPK stuff. Welcome back, folks. Uh, needed to take a short break uh, because recording very long podcasts is hard. I don't know how, like, other people do, like, three-hour podcasts. This is, this is kind of – this is long, but it's fun. Um, moving on, we've got some questions from uh, – Friend of the cast, Monic, host of Unwise Index. I hope you don't get mad that we shit on your podcast earlier, Monic. Yeah. We love you. <laughs> we, we do. Um, and we love the Unwise Index. Uh, question one, what are you wearing right now? Um, I am wearing a sweat shorts and a Hawaiian shirt. Uh, you, I am wearing, wearing boxers, plaid boxers. Actually, I like these boxers a lot. Uh, they're red, yellow, and and blue, and for some reason the primary colors look great. And then I have a, a shirt that I got from work that says "I Beat Titan Battle Challenge" with I guess like a like a like an imprint of what Titan looks like. I don't know. It's like a Final Fantasy fourteen thing. Yeah. Well, yeah. That's that's that question. Uh, this one I'm sure will be divisive. How do you feel about putting pineapple on pizza? Um, I am a fan, and I, I know that you are not. Is that correct, buddy? Uh, I am not a fan of pineapple pizza. We have, we have a lot of. Do you want to talk about pizza a little bit? Because I do. We we yeah. talked about pizza. I I am I am a big pizza uh, enthusiast. I love pizza, and I especially love, as am I. I. I love I love good pizza. I grew up. Um, uh, we both grew up in yeah, New Jersey. Yeah, we both grew up in, in New kind of Jersey, of, right? Uh, would you call in the heart of pizza country? Would you call yourself? I mean, I think of it mostly because we're so close to New York in Maplewood. Like, Maplewood is just a commuter town because it just has this, like, artery, essentially, that is the midtown. Yeah. Like, I don't know what that's the, like for the, Randolph. So, so, so the way that, that, that kind of it works, or at least from my understanding, is everybody that's directly along the line is kind of, like, in a commuter town. And the spaces in between the lines are kind of, like, suburbs that service those commuter towns, which is definitely something that Randolph was. Okay, so, like, Randolph um, would service, like, Morristown. I also lived in Morristown for a long time. When my yeah. father was still commuting it, commuting into, uh, yeah. he was go. I think he was actually working in Newark at the time, to be honest. 
Yeah, m- most of the people I knew worked in New Jersey. Um, like like my dad's a civil engineer and uh, was kind of is was the town engineer is this town engineer for uh, several um, uh, of these towns that are kind of like direct feeders into New York City and into direct commuter towns and, and th- that's typically what I what I found for for most people in these kind of in between towns although there were some that did commute in um, they just have tended to do it by car rather than by train um, uh, but yeah I. I don't know. I, I have I have a fair amount of Jersey pride. I do not consider myself a New Yorker. Um, I also think that New York New York pizza and New Jersey pizza are about on par. I think that New York pizza just tends to be more expensive because it's in New York and everything's more expensive in New York. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely agree with that. Uh, I, I really what I'm trying to do is kind of establish almost like a heredity, like a uh, like a heredity for the the pizza and also stuff like bagels, right? You know, like we had a yeah. we had a bagel place in town called Bagel Chateau. Uh, it had just, it just has the, the the best fucking bagels I've ever had in my life. Every time I go back to Maplewood, like I just I have to eat these bagels. They're so good. Um, I, I know what you mean. That place is called Alpha Bagel for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, um, outside of New York, it seems very tough to get to get good pizza, uh, especially pizza that is like this is my philosophy when it comes to a lot of places, right? Like if I'm ever gonna go to a place for the first time, I typically want to get the most basic kind of like obvious thing as a test. You know what I mean? Like if I go to a Thai place, right? I might really want, right? Like green chili duck curry or something like that. You know what I mean? But I'm gonna get the pad Thai because the pad Thai is the most simple, you know, it's, it's, it's the most basic Thing that they have on their menu. It's probably the thing that they make the most of. And I think it's the best kind of metric that I can use in order to rate, you know, a Thai place. Or if I go to a burger place, just get a regular fucking burger combo. You know what I mean? Like this kind of thing, right? And I feel the exact same way about pizza, but with pizza, that's just, you know, cheese pizza, right? A slice or a pie it's, of so, cheese so, pizza. So, 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 so buddy, yeah. do not give in to these weird Californians that don't understand what a fucking plain pizza is. It's called plain. Um, Wait, what, well, I'm sorry, weird, what, do, what do Californians think plain pizza is? They're like, you mean like, just like, like they don't know what it is. It's the weirdest thing. Like, that's funny. Just, uh, I don't know. But like, you have to say cheese pizza or else they'll just kind of look at you funny. It, it, it's weird. Yeah. Um, but in general, I don't know if I agree with you in, in, in kind of the general kind of principle but for pizza i definitely agree you you evaluate a pizza plate uh, a pizza place based on its plain pie um also apparently pie is a thing that some people don't get oh really uh yeah I, basically if you say it just as pie they might not get it um if you say pizza pie i guess they get it i don't know it's, it's weird is, it's is, these, these are things i've had weird. to deal with and, and, you know and i'm not trying to disparage toppings i love toppings right my favorite yeah. pizza of all time will forever be uh this pizza shop in uh in this pizza shop in maplewood called arturo's arturo literally comes from italy right he came from italy to maplewood to make me amazing thin crust wood fire oven pizza and i love it right um and, I, and my favorite toppings are sausage and artichoke cards right uh, though typically because Rachel is vegetarian, that has evolved to be, uh, onions and peppers. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I, I always, I, I'm a big believer that like the, the base plain pie is, you know, is, is where, is where you kind of start from. But I also think that the base plain pie is the core of the flavor that you're looking for, right? The core of the flavor is mozzarella and, you know, marinara sauce essentially, right? 
and that the toppings shouldn't be quote unquote core to that flavor. They should kind of be like, uh, like, like, like addition. They're, they're, they're like DLC to that, to that flavor. Yeah, that no, I, um, I, I definitely agree. I've definitely had positive experiences with like weird, weird pies. Like white pie, I think is its own thing. Um, but like I've had like weird pizzas that are like ranch instead of tomato mm-hmm. sauce and whatever. And those have been like, and like corn and chicken on the pizza. And those are like fine experiences kind of on their own. Um, but at that point, it's like barely a thing that's pizza, right? Yeah. Like, um, I'd, I'd categorize it slightly differently, but like I, I agree with you for like the core pizza experience, you want you you want that tomato sauce, mo- mozzarella, uh, and uh, basil. Um, and so um, and so when I look at something like onions and peppers, right, or even artichoke hearts and and sausage, um, these are things that I think kind of like add on to that like base and 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 bring out and bring out all of it, right? The synthesis of those flavors is just like unquestionably kind of like great or whatever. What I think happens with pineapple and with other kind of just like obviously weird flavors that get put onto pizza. Pineapple is the best excuse me, example because of Hawaiian pizzas, obviously. Um, but I've definitely seen and I've definitely had pizzas that just have other weird shit on them is that the super sweetness of a pineapple is so antithetical to the flavor that comes from the the, the, the marinara sauce and, and, the, and the mozzarella, right? That, like, it's no, it's no longer about complementing those flavors it's about contrasting those flavors, right? And I think for a whole subsection of people, I get it, right? I totally, I totally, totally get it. Um, I understand how that contrast could really make pizza interesting and special for them in a way that having, uh, that like having a regular old pizza might not be. But what I think that typically is an expression of is people having had bad pizza, right? Or being undiscerning about the kind of pizza that they've had, right? Like, yeah, if you, if I've only ever had, right, like, like Pizza Hut and Domino's in my life, and then I get Hawaiian pizza from this place, I actually, I, I understand how someone could look at that and be like, oh my God, this is so good because you compare it to these, these bad, obviously bad shitty chain pizzas, right? Um, but, uh, but like, but my, my thing is kind of like, if you're eating good pizza, if you're eating like, like really, like, re- like really good pizza, that contrast isn't valuable because you're not comparing it to something bad. You're comparing it to something good, I guess. Uh, all right. So I, I'm going to counter you here and I'm actually going to go out on a limb and say that I'm actually not a huge fan of Hawaiian pizza myself. I find that ham is kind of a, a weird topping that tends to dominate the flavor of pizza and, and, and does this kind of like weird thing where you're obscuring the, the kind of badness of the baked pizza. Bad. Um, uh, but I think pineapple by itself, I'm a huge fan of the, of, of sweet and salty together. You love me some chocolate covered pretzels, all that kind of stuff. Um, and I think that um, in the appropriate apportionment, pineapple complements the saltiness and the cheesiness of the mozzarella and uh, of the, uh, and kind of like the, the, the tomato tomato taste of the sauce. Um, and I, I think that, that works for me, right? And I don't think it's dependent on kind of obscuring the badness of a base pizza. Um, I, I don't know. I find it really works kind of like uh, the, the kind of acidity of the pineapple complements the acidity of kind of the, the tomato sauce. And I know it really comes together for me. Um, again, that's just for pineapple on the pizza, not for um, Hawaiian, because like I said, I don't think ham's a great topping. <laughs> okay. 
Yeah, uh, I, I, I mean, I don't agree with that, but whatever. Uh, I don't think either of us can really be right about it because we're not like culinarians or whatever. Um, yeah. But uh, but anyway, so that's what, I, and, and and I also think that people do this kind of thing, like when you see people get kitchen sink kind of pizzas that have like a billion fucking toppings on them or whatever. I think it's kind of the same thing in a, in a way. Like you're used to bad pizza, therefore you're trying to drown out the 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 the, the natural pizza flavor in all of this bullshit. Um, I'm a, I'm a two topping man. I think maybe you could bump that to three with certain kind of things, right? Like like for instance, I like to get garlic on my pizza sometimes, uh, but garlic doesn't really count as a topping in and of itself in the same way that like onions and peppers would. Um, but yeah, like I, I I've never been a big fan of uh, of just kind of like putting a bunch of shit on putting a bunch of shit on pizza. At that point, I kind of think it's like you're eating like a bunch of shit in a new in an in a novel way. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Like it's mostly just about I, I the pizza form that. rather than the pizza taste. I, I think you can definitely get decent, like higher number combinations. Like I think like sausage and pepper and onions kind of like works together just because that's kind of like a base thing that you can do anyway. Like a sausage and pepper and onion sandwich is good. Mm. I think that that works on the pizza because those all also work as pizza toppings. Yeah. Um, I would also kind of th- I also think that certain that certain kind of toppings get like naturally bunched together. Uh, yeah. Like for instance, I think onions and peppers are basically one topping in terms of how they act on on a pizza because they're both they both they're both kind of like that like crispy you know what i mean like that crispy like tang vegetable thing it's a slightly different variation between them but at the end of the day it's the same thing i don't like for instance um i've had pizza that's like sausage and like bacon or whatever and i think that those are two things that are crowding out them that are like they're they're competing for the same space. Yeah, if that makes yeah, sense, I agree. which I think is with yep. the, which I think is bad. Um, I'm actually a big fan of kind of like one meat, one one veg, one veggie sort of thing, and that veggie can be anything. Uh, I'm a big fan. I've actually had um, broccoli on pizza. I actually love broccoli on pizza. I think broccoli. Oh, is see, great. Uh, I'm I'm not. I think I think that broccoli. I don't know. I I generally don't like broccoli because I feel like it tastes too grainy most of the time. Oh, really? I'm, I'm not a huge I'm not a huge broccoli fan in in kind of the abstract. Um, the big problem with broccoli that I've always had on pizza is that people don't cut it small enough, and so it is just difficult to eat because you got these big fat chunks of broccoli, in a way. Like when you slice a tomato, or I'm sorry, when you slice a pot- uh, not a fucking potato, an onion. When you slice an onion right, you know what I mean. You're basically just kind of getting these these arcs that are flat against the top of the pizza or whatever. Um, uh, and uh, and and that doesn't get in your way as you eat a pizza. Uh, but when, what what I sometimes see with broccoli on pizza is they just kind of like put big heads of broccoli on there, yeah, you and you're get like the florets on and you're it. Just yeah, like, yeah, what yeah. the fuck? You really have to like kind of like mince it up uh, and spread it over. But like I've had um, I've had broccoli and sausage before, which is great. Uh, I've had uh, I've had I've actually just had broccoli on a pizza, uh, which I also think is is pretty great. I don't know. Yeah, I like broccoli a lot. Uh, I'm just a general bro- broccoli fan though. I, I I'll have to try it at some point with like this 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 kind of smaller division thing that you're talking about because I don't think I've ever had. You know, that. I don't think I've, I've ever had of... that out here in California, but I definitely had it in New York. Uh, All right, we'll, we'll we'll have to try that sometime. Um, uh, I don't think I, I I don't think we can have a conversation about pizza without us expressing our disdain for pepperoni as a topic. Oh yeah, we both think no pepperoni is... is garbo. I think pepperoni is the um, worst. And since there's no one here to object, uh, that's all we're going to say about it, that it's terrible. Uh, <laughs> Everyone who likes pepperoni um, on their pizza is wrong. Yeah, uh, objectively. <laughs> um, that's how that works. 
um, so mo moving on, um, uh, also from Monik, in one sentence, how would you sum up the internet? Um, and I would kind of say, uh, it's the single greatest communications revolution that humanity has experienced. Um, and you know, there's more that I could go into with that, but I think that's kind of the most important part. Um, the fact that podcasts kind of exist as a medium, um, is because of the internet. And I think it's an incredible thing. Uh, what about you? What's your one sentence? Uh, I think, I think internet? the internet has dramatically changed the world. Uh, but I am not, uh, I'm not sure yet, uh, whether that change will be ultimately positive or like ultimately kind of negative. Well, I'm pretty sure it's positive. We'll see, I guess. Uh, uh, number four, have you ever been in love? Uh, only with you, Monik, is my answer. Well, my answer is, yeah, uh, actually a bunch of times. Um, mostly because, like, I guess in terms of, like, relationships and stuff like that, like, I am a huge commitment file, uh, which I guess makes me unique among the kind of cultural perception that we have of dudes, where, like guys have commitment issues i've never had that i like really hard i mean maybe this is a testament to why the podcast like why, why we've been good about the podcast or whatever because when i commit to things i really like following through on those commitments um and that's meant that even when i was even when i was very young i feel like uh i've had a i've had a very easy time falling in love and loving and loving uh peoples and things ironically and um in a way, I felt it much easier to love um, to love people who aren't my family. Almost like I think that there's a weird thing, and this is probably going to I like I don't quite understand the full implications of this, but I think that there's a certain thing where like loving your family, right? Loving the people that um, you know. Uh, that you like you grew up with uh and and your extended family and all that is kind of like framed as a given in our society that i don't think it is or should be in a lot of ways um and so that's probably one of the that's probably one of the things like like i love plenty of my friends you know i love you mango and it's like platonically too, friend love you know what i mean and i have plenty of this every person who 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 wrote into this podcast, right? There's a pretty good chance that I consider our relationship to be to be some form of, of that kind of like friendship, love, or whatever. Uh, but I also kind of think that it's almost like a cop out to say that I love everyone in my family. I feel like there are people in my family who I don't love, and that that should be an okay thing. And I want to, uh, I almost kind of want to explore the implications of that more specifically. So, so I, I think that's an okay way to feel. Like, I don't think you're, you, you know, you're, you're wrong for not necessarily loving everybody in your family. But I do think that, like, kind of the emphasis and the expectation is the norm is that, like, your family is such that it's, that that's a reasonable thing to do. Like, you know, I, don't, I obviously only know my experience. You have yours. Um, but I feel in a, posi in a position that, like, that kind of assumption that I love my family makes sense because I have... Uh, I have that sort of relationship with, with my parents and my brother um, that it's very easy for me to say I love them kind of unconditionally. Um, but I also um, didn't have any, I didn't have any like things in my life that really called that into question super hard. And I'm very fortunate for that. Um, but I, 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 I suspect, I suspect that either that's 
the norm or that's the expectation of the norm and maybe i'm just lucky enough for that to, to yeah be i also think that true. i also think that it's kind of this might also kind of be how i think about love or i conceive of love in a in a in a way um also because like for me also love is not something that happens right it's not passive it's active i do it in a lot of ways right i you like I think if someone were to ask a question, something along the lines of, like, what's the secret to a great relationship, right? The answer to me is that you work at it. It's it's hard work, and you build this relationship, and you might not even necessarily think about it, I guess. Um, but it's still something that you put time and energy into. Uh, and this is something that I'm conscious of every day, right? That I put time and effort into the relationships that I have with people. And so I think perhaps that this is this is mostly a result of that effort being taken for granted more than anything else. Because insofar as my definition of love includes, right, like the necessity for me that I work on it, right? That I that I put that I put very conscious effort um, into being into being a part of a relationship with someone else, whether that be with friends, whether that be with family members, right? There are absolutely family members of mine that I don't put that effort into. And so therefore I think are undeserving of the label for like love, right? I haven't talked to, you know, I, Hey cousin Nico, I hope you're listening to this podcast. I think you're a great guy and everything, but I haven't talked to you in five years. It's impossible for me to love someone who I don't have a who I don't have like kind of a relationship with, right? But I and I, and I, and I want to say I put the effort in. You know what I mean? I called my dad the other day, and when and you know we don't talk as often as many many kids talk with their parents, right? But the effort of getting in touch with him and spending three hours on the phone as we go over the last you know two months of our lives or or kind of whatever, like that's the effort uh, that, that that kind of gets put in. And so I think. In a way, I think I love my family because I put the same kind of effort into them that I put into my relationship with Rachel or into my relationship with you or into my relationship with Sarian or Mark or Warren, right? You know, uh, but it, it, isn't, it isn't a given, it isn't a default because if I default to those things being true in a way, then I'm discounting my own decision to put effort into the relationships that I have. Uh, I, I get that, but I think that also kind of speaks to like I think the expectation is that people do put that effort into the relationships with their family members um, or that it's just kind of like an ever present part of their, their everyday life that it doesn't feel like effort. Yeah. Right. Like when, I, when I'm at home, right. Like um, there's a lot of little like, you know, kind of like expressions of love that I give to my parents that, uh, that like, I, I you know, it, it's not as, it's not as concrete as when I'm out here because, you know, like I call my parents two or three times a week. Oh, yeah. Um, um, and you know those like those are very defi like defined moments, right? Like those are my points of contact with them when I'm at home, right? Like, like I'm pretty much in contact with them most of the de like, or at least most of the time when we're all home together, right? Like that's kind of much more continuous. But you know, I, I don't think your your point's invalid. Um, I think it's just kind of a matter of perspective. Yeah, I mean, I I also am a big believer in thinking about everything and kind of being deliberate in everything, and so. Uh, I feel as though I'm probably in the minority of how I think about just and how I would define uh, the 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 word like love and the concept of love, right? Like I bet most people don't think about it in these kinds of terms, which is why it's it's such a such a pressing uh, question for folks. Like, what is love? I mean, yeah, I don't. I don't <laughs> no more. <laughs>
Um, so if, if you thought that question was was deep, we got another roaring one coming in from Monica. Are you happy? Um, wow. Which is... Uh, yeah. <laughs> this is actually what I always loved about the Unwise Index, to be honest with you, is there were some times when they got... Like, they did one episode where they talked about, like, their greatest fear... Uh, and this kind of anxiety that they both feel about success, right? And being successful coming out of college and everything like that. And I and I was just like, oh my God, like they are, this is so deep. Like, whoa. So I appreciate that yeah. Monik is, is asking us, uh, asking these same kinds of questions. Because even though I think there's plenty of depth to be had in Batman vs. Superman, uh, it's not quite the same thing. Uh, so 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 what's what's your take? Are are you happy, buddy? Yeah, I'm definitely pretty happy. Um, I have always, I've been deeply unhappy before, um, but in the same way that I kind of think uh, that like the the conceptions that we have and the way we talk about love are wrong. I think the conceptions that we have and the way we talk about happiness are are wrong. In the same in in the sense that like my happiness is my responsibility and I work at it if that makes sense. And I also very consciously frame my life to maximize it in, in, in a certain set of ways, I guess like that. Like, I think for instance, um, there's a version of people that think about happiness at like, they think about rolling dice, you know what I mean? Where they're doing things and they're doing things and they're doing things. And as they're doing things, they're just kind of passively rolling dice. And depending on what they roll, happiness happens to them. Right. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I, I, I think that if I have a job that pays really well, I'll be happy. Right. If I if I if I have that kind of that security or if I have a job in this field, I'll be happy. Or if, you know, I date this person, I'll be happy. Or if I meet this goal or whatever. And I think that kind of transientness like is, is putting a weird middleman middleman between a person and their own and their own happiness. Um in a way uh, that that I don't quite agree with. Like I make, I search for my own happiness and I do things because I, I know, I don't know if this certainty, maybe this certainty is a thing that like other people don't, that don't have in this, in this way. Um, like for instance, okay. Um, you know, you, you, you know, like that, the, the, like the kind of cliche story of like, yeah, he's super rich, the Citizen Kane thing, right? He's super rich, he's super powerful, but he's not, he's not happy. I feel like that's because this person is betting on the idea that being rich and being powerful will make them happy, but they're, but they're not, right? And I think that that's a failure of a person to actually properly kind of discern for themselves the things that do make them happy and the things that would make them happy and then doing those things. I think a lot of the time they are inheriting those kind of value markers from kind of societal expectations um, for what constitutes happiness and what, and, and you know, a lot of the time this also gets wrapped up in success, right? I think of having a job that makes me a lot of money as being a quote unquote successful thing and that will make me quote unquote happy or whatever. Um, but I think that a lot of that's that's a trap. I think that a lot of people get into jobs that they hate and that they don't like and that they find themselves bouncing around from job to job to job because what they're doing at their very core is making them unhappy, right? Um, because they haven't properly thought about the context of the things that do make them happy or unhappy, right? Uh, I feel as though I've put the time and effort into doing those things, right? 
um, and I feel as though I make the choices uh, that I I think are are necessary or uh, uh, or required in order to accomplish that goal of happiness, right? Happiness isn't something that happens to me by way of the things that I do. I do things because they will make me happy, right? Um, anyway, so that's how I feel about things. I don't know if that that's yeah. Yeah, no, no, that that makes sense. I think I take a slightly different bent to it. Um, I think kind of like the concept of happiness is kind of like a weird one to kind of swallow and in kind of like the, the same vein as you're thinking of it. Like, I think people kind of expect that like getting the good job will like, once they get the good job, they'll just kind of like attain a state of happiness, which I, I don't think is how it works. I, I think kind of like the state of being happy is, is, is something that's kind of like misunderstood on, on, on a whole. Like, I, I feel like it's, it's more about kind of like satisfaction and kind of like, contentedness like i'm fairly content but i don't know if i'd say that i that that makes me necessarily happy um, i don't think it, I'm, I'm unhappy but I, I think that it kind of like drives towards like uh like a, a level of kind of like being that 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 is that is just really hard to to, to capture um like what what it, what it actually means to be happy right like i am satisfied uh i was satisfied with 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 my job um, for a long time, um, and the, my kind of su professional success in, in that kind of regard um, gave me positive feelings, but kind of translating that into, like, happiness is, is a, uh, is kind of a, I, I think, a weird thing to do. I, I, I don't think that it's it's as hard and cold as people want it to be. I think it's just kind of like a, a, a state of, like, I don't know, I, I think that state is hard to capture and hard to really describe and is not a thing that's, like, as intuitive as we think it is. I think that's why so many people think that they're not happy is because they expect, like, they expect to feel something that that's never going to kind of be there. I definitely think that um, that's true. In fact, I definitely think that it's true because happiness is almost viewed as, like, an end state more than it is, yeah. like, um, like, in a lot of ways, I think of happiness as kind of being, like, a, like a treading water sort of thing, right? Where, like, bad things, bad things happen, bad things happen, right? Um, and if you don't manage your own kind of state of being, they will pull you down kind of into states of unhappiness. And, and, and by the way, I, I do want to separate this a little bit. Like a state of unhappiness is different from like depression or something like that. Right. Like there, like I understand that there's very clinical, you know, the clinical depression exists and is a real thing. But I also think that there are states of unhappiness, right, that people can be in, that I have been in, right, that are purely about how you frame your life and your activities in your in your world, right? Um, and I think that, uh, that the answer to that is to kind of counter that improper framing with proper framing uh, in a lot of ways um, rather than you know, like, like not a lot has to change about your life. I feel like to change you from being unhappy to happy. Um, I think what mostly needs to change is your perspective and your viewpoint and how you kind of look at, look at things. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm also, I'm also a big fan of kind of like the idea that it's really hard to detect like happiness, like uh goodness without badness is kind of like a, a, like not a great state in itself. Cause it's just kind of like, standard like personally i've been kind of floating at like a, a uh, like a standard of like being pretty okay for a while um 
and I feel like there's there's something that gets lost without without the struggle. And I think the struggle is important to, to fully appreciating uh, happiness uh, in some total. Um, and so I think that if you go too long without uh, w- without struggle, you lose kind of like the, the appreciation of, of the state of general kind of contentness that you're in. And I, and I think that that's, that's valid, right? Like that, that, that the struggle is important to kind of, um, kind of fully appreciating, uh, your own happiness and really kind of maximizing kind of that feeling of joy. Cause I feel like ha- happiness in a lot of ways is, is, is a differential. Um, and if there's nothing to, if, if there's nothing to, to differentiate from, um, it's kind of hard to, it's kind of hard to fully appreciate. Yeah. I also think it's about what makes you, uh, you know, like like figuring out what makes you you happy, and I don't think that that's something that is an easy question to answer for anyone. Um, yeah, which you know, which sucks to to a certain extent, to be honest, um, because uh, it's it's something that doesn't stay. It's it's something that doesn't stay constant uh, in a lot of people's lives. I guess. Like I used to have a lot of anxiety. I used to have a lot of anxiety, kind of about. Um, when we first got out of college, uh, people used to make fun of my degree all the time. We have we have a chat with like a whole bunch of people from college, right? Uh, we call it the GFC. It's it's just a ton of people who who went to college with us. And for a long time, uh, I kept getting attacked over my like we would have arguments or whatever, and people would make fun of my degree. And I used to take that so fucking personally, right? But the thing is, is that I wasn't taking it personally because. Like, I, I, it's not that I was taking it personally because I was mad at myself for getting the degree or, or even that, like, other people weren't, like, respecting it almost. Like, that disrespect was sort of there and that sucked and everything. But the main thing I think I was getting mad at was that I really liked my degree and I really liked how I approached college. I felt very good about my college experience. And so, like... This idea that other people didn't understand that made me furious, right? And eventually, at some point, I kind of just realized, hey, you're not responsible for other people's stupid thinking, right? Uh, because, you know, like, just to, okay, to clarify, the way that I have always thought about my degree and the way that I that, that I had always approached it is it's like me going to college isn't job training, right? This is just me going to be a smarter, better person, and I'm learning about the stuff that I want to learn about, right? I got a degree in writing and writing seminars because that's what I was so passionate about, and I'm really happy that I got that degree because it made me a lot smarter in the thing that I find most interesting, right? And the, 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 thing that, the thing that was frustrating was other people who were framing it as, like, you got a really dumb degree in order to get a job. Like, yeah, no shit. I wasn't trying to get a job. I was just trying to, I was just trying to learn stuff. I went to college to learn stuff or whatever. But the thing is, is that that's me adopting sort of their premise for things. And I'm almost inviting that kind of dissonance in when the real answer is to not give a fuck right i know that i have a good degree for what i wanted it to be right and i feel good about my college experience and i feel good about getting the get, getting th- this stuff and that should be enough and i need to not define in a way those things by how other people view those things if that makes sense do you see what i'm saying yeah, no, I, I definitely do. And I think that that's um, a, and I think that that's a problem that a lot of people, especially people around us, have run into, uh, because we, you have a lot of people who like define their success and their happiness around their parents' values rather than their own values. Um, 
which is really problematic. And I, 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 I think I think I think that's un- uncharitable in some ways. I think that like, I mean, kind of the, the degree space, right? Like, I think that most of most of our friends that would make fun of you for having a writing degree, me included, I'll own up to it. Um, kind of have the the good fortune of of wanting to learn about something that is also eminently practically apl- applicable. Like I love software, um, and so it it you know it it is fortunate that that's a practical thing. But similarly, I felt like I made myself a better person by learning about software, and the fact that that translates into job skills is kind of like icing on the cake. But it's kind of weird. It's kind of weird to from, coming from that perspective. It's kind of weird to conceive of a person who kind of divorces those two things because they, they kind of like roll together so nicely for me. And I think for most of our most of our friends in kind of that space. I mean, I definitely also think that we have friends that just didn't do what they wanted to because. Oh they, yeah, there's that too. Know, yeah. Uh, they wanted to. Uh, uh, they 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 did the thing where they looked at it as job training, which is fine, by the way. Like I don't want to I don't want to shit on that. And I also don't I also don't recommend for like groups of people i mean i've been pretty fortunate about this um and other of my friends in la you know what i mean like we are all pretty pretty fortunate in so far as we've been able to get jobs like in the industry and everything like that but like how many i like we have just as many friends who are people who came out to la or they went to new york and they tried to and they tried to do it and they just couldn't you know what i mean and those people do have like a very tough living situation because they didn't kind of like make themselves uh, make their jobs easier or whatever. And I think that's also a, a, a view of people not necessarily taking responsibility for aspects of themselves and their lives. Like, I 100% dad, if you're listening to this, this is all you, man, right? Like, we wouldn't be, I wouldn't be in the spot that I'm in if I was under crippling student loan debt, right? But because my dad forced me to prepare for this ahead of time um, and helped me pay through the the amount of college that would have ended up as student loan debt afterwards meant that I have such a small amount of debt that I don't really have to worry about it. And I can work, you know, a low paying job at a video game company that I like a lot rather than having to go like become, you know, I don't know, like, like a fucking lawyer or something to make the bank necessary to pay back 200, 200 grand in, uh, in student loans or whatever. Right. So it's, it's authority, it's authority issue kind of no matter where you get into it. But yeah, I definitely think that my, that's my big thing is that I think, uh, is that I think people frame happiness wrong uh, in in our culture in our society, and that people uh, who reframe reframe it for themselves um, and consider it for themselves uh, are 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 at a big advantage. Yeah, I I think I can agree with that in in, in most of it. Um, we spend a bunch of time on this. Let's let's move on something a little bit lighter. What game has disappointed you most in life? Um, and uh, I think I think No Man's Sky is it, um, not because I think it's like the potential. I think was like the the potential to what it was, was was such a big differential without like kind of any warning. Um, for me, that 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 was the biggest the biggest differential for me. It's definitely No Man's Sky, which we already talked about. What about you? My default answer right here is uh, Fallout Four. But that's kind of mean, and I don't think that that's actually true. I think that this is the game that's probably disappointed me more than Fallout 4 has. I just can't think of it. Because, uh, well, in a lot of ways, I try, and, I try and, like, purge this stuff a little bit. But Fallout 4 is just, like, so omnipresent. Um, you, you, like, not, not to 
not to throw stones or anything, but you also tend to find the good things in things that are like, you know, I, I'm sure for most people who are such big fans of Mass Effect 2, the answer would be Mass Effect 3. But I know that you that oh, you like are, for lack of a better term, like a huge apologist for Mass Effect 3. Uh, yeah, yeah, dude. I actually, I, I, to be honest with you, I used to not like the Mass Effect 3 ending, but my stance was something along the lines of the ending is a tiny portion of the game and everything else is fantastic. So if I need to rate the game, there's no way I don't rate it amazingly and then dock like a point or whatever for the ending. Um but actually, as time has gone on, I actually think the Mass Effect three ending is 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 just good. I just think it's I think it's really good. I think it's really deep and it's really artful, um, especially mostly because uh, they did like an extended kind of cut sort of thing uh, that that explained it a tiny bit, you know, like a tiny bit more. And then they added a bunch of DLC after the fact. And if you kind of like. If you bunch all of this stuff together, like the full experience, the, the, the game of the year experience to Mass Effect 3 is so amazing um, because the, the kind of emotional ending that people wanted out of out of like a, the true ending to the game, right? Where like where, you know, uh, the three choices or whatever, that kind of stuff happens um, that comes up in a DLC in the Citadel DLC. Uh, and it is all about that. And so when I view it in the context of all of that kind of stuff, and then I'm just kind of like, well, this actually did have some, some uh, like, you know, kind of cool philosophical stuff to talk about. Uh, I'm just like in, in the spot where I just think it's great. Um, yeah, I don't know. Fallout 4 has really been the big one for me, mostly because it's probably one of the first experiences I've ever had where I've played a game and, um, and it's, and it's, and it's, it's so obvious to me it's shortcomings um it's shortcomings smack me in the face constantly uh and even though i think like the gunplay is better um and stuff like that uh and some aspects of the world are better uh like i think the world design is just fundamentally better and stuff like that i just think you know fallout new vegas was so good that i could that i had internalize this idea that fallout 4 would be better than fallout new vegas and it wasn't i mean it wasn't even made by the same people um and that was that was the the source of the disappointment yeah, i think that's i think that's that's fair all right next one if you could relive any point day in your life what would it be <sighs> holy shit dude man I don't know. I don't think I would want to. I don't think I would ever want to. That sounds awful in a way. Yeah, I, I feel. I feel like there's like a level of like nostalgia that like that makes things feel better than they are, and like reliving it would just kind of ruin it. Um, you know what it would be? It would be um, it would just be like a day that I'm like home alone or something. I think probably what I would love to do if I could relive stuff like that, right? What I would just pick a pick the most generic day possible where I have as many options open to me as possible, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. Because then I could do something, you know, like even with however many days I could do something different with it. The, the easiest way for me to conceptualize this is like with the idea of my steam library, right? There's all these games in here. I've never played. Um, 
if I if I could just freeze, you know, whatever, right? What like one of my weekend days where I have nothing, absolutely nothing going on, and I could just go through the entirety of my Steam library like wall to wall. I feel like that would be the best way. That would be like the coolest way to do it, um, yeah. because then I'm still kind of like. I'm kind of freezing time more than I am like reliving a moment. Um, I don't know. There's a certain yeah. part of me that wants to do it just so that I could re- like I could just like make better decisions about myself. In a way. Oh, uh, I mean, uh, I this is relive, so I don't I don't know if you've got the power to change things, but if that's what you want to interpret it, that's that's fine. Um, he said point, so I'm gonna kind of stretch this a little bit. I kind of wanna. I would go back and relive as it was kind of that um, probably like the first week of college. Um, maybe not the first week, but somewhere in there, there's like, I, I need to kind of like examine it under a microscope, but kind of like, at least for me, that first week was like kind of magical and like rebuilt, like in building those friendships that lasted forever were great. Unfortunately, it doesn't include you, buddy. I didn't know you till years later, but um like a lot of the like a lot of the people I met there, which which include the author of this letter, Monic, uh, uh, I I would like to kind of that that time period was kind of magical to me, and I'd kind of like to re-experience that if I had to if I had to choose something. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I would actually probably if I wanted to do something along those lines, it would probably be uh, somewhere in high school when. Uh, myself and Max, the aforementioned Max, by the way, and uh, and my friend Zeev, uh, like, became really good friends. Whenever that moment was, that's what I would probably want to go back and do. I mean, I, I had a different college experience. Like, I, you know, I had the same kind of thing with my freshman year friends, but then by the end of freshman year, I realized that we were a pretty awful group who were bad for one another, and I basically jettisoned that whole friend group for my own, like, self-being to, to, so that I could be, because I because I I knew that I was being a worse person, uh, and they were feeding my worst impulses by being in that friend group, which is why I kind of redefined my friend group to be kind of like the RAs uh, in sophomore and junior year. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, uh, moving on. Uh, what game would be better served as a book, movie, and why? Um, I'm going to say that such a game... So, I'm of the fundamental opinion that, like, the obvious answer in kind of these is one of these walking simulators, but I'm not convinced that there's a good enough walking simulator out there that would actually be good as a book or a movie. I think we give walking simulators a lot of pass on their on their narrative kind of... Um, on their narrative beats um, because they are games and they are something different um, when they, they aren't actually particularly great stories in the first place. Um... And I think that any game that's that's got a story that's rich enough to for that for it to be considered is just too reliant on kind of the integration of gameplay and the experience of gameplay to really translate well. Um, so that's 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 my answer. Is none. Wow, that's fucked up. Uh, see, I actually don't even think that. Well, I mean, I also think that in a certain sense, you're being a little bit unfair with these walking simulators. Like even for Gone Home. I think there's more to it than that. I think there's more to it to a, than uh, to a lot of these games, um, but like I think, for instance, the way that Gone Home does the, the your ability to like rotate the object or whatever, I think there's a very tactile feel to that, um, and I think that that's kind of like an important aspect, and that's like a mechanic, you know what I mean? Uh, that's like one of the systems 
with which the game is kind of constructed. Uh, not that it necessarily makes it. I th I think the I think the best answer for this is something that is story heavy because stories are kind of media agnostic, right? This is why adaptations exist. You can transfer one story to something else. Um, but in a way, that kind of just begs me to to take the best story ever and put it into a movie. Well, see, see, my kind of point is is that any story. Any game that's kind of good enough to kind of deserve this recognition is reliant enough upon its mechanics that it wouldn't be better as a different form of media, right? Like, specifically, the question is, what game would be better served as a book movie? I don't think there exists, like, I'll, any game that is good enough to be considered for this is better as a game because the game is, is an integral part of it. Um, and I think anything that you you could consider pulling out that might be better as a book or a movie, um, like, I could probably even wa Walking Simulator, that would be... Uh, like, I think Gone Home might be better as a movie. Um, just kind of thinking, you know, working my way through this. Um, but I, I don't think it would be a particularly good movie. I just think that, like, making it a, making it a game was not a particularly great choice. And we kind of give games, we give these kind of narrative-only games a pass on having poor narratives because they are games. Um... And so I think there are some walking simulators that would make better movies, but they just wouldn't be good movies in the first place. Well, the question doesn't ask you that. I mean, the question just says, what would be better? Sure. That is fair. So, that is fair. Hypothetically, yes, I will... your answer would be any of these walking simulators. Yeah, and, and that's not to say every walking simulator. I think there are some that are that are, that are pretty, that are are good at what they do, like uh, To the Moon. Um, but uh, I, think, I think, like, say, Gone Home would be a better movie, but that wouldn't be a great movie in the first place. See, I also think that it would apply to something like a content muncher. Like, we've talked a little bit about content munchers before, um, where, like, you know, you, you the, 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 the gameplay um, kind of gets separate. You know what I mean? Like, where, where the gameplay and the story are almost kind of in opposition to one another in that way, um, where, you know, anytime you complete... Uh, like a ga a section of gameplay, you are rewarded with a section of story sort of thing. Um, and I think that there are plenty of games that have really great stories, but kind of have content munchery, uh, like, like middle parts that aren't great. And I would love to see do have done better. My go-to answer for this is actually Assassin's Creed Revelations, maybe. Uh, the one that where you play both as Ezio and as Altair. Uh, that's actually always been my favorite Assassin's Creed game until I played uh, Black Flag, which is the pirate one, right? Um, but the reason that it's my favorite is because it is, it's, it's an incredibly deep story uh, that, that's moving through a couple of different points in time. Um, and it has all of this stuff to say about fatherhood and, like, the nature of, like, parents and carrying on your parents' kind of, like, like lineage uh, and your parents' legacy. And it's not so much that I think the gameplay, uh, like, detracts from that. I, th I think the gameplay is kind of fine in the sense that the gameplay in any of these Assassin's Creed games uh, is, is, is good, right? You know, is fine sort of thing. Um, but I think in, in a, a version of things where you could really narrow in on that story, right, um, and, and pull out all of this gunky gameplay crap that's in there um, that kind of spreads it too thin over over the length as a whole you would actually you would actually have a really good time right i think assassin's creed revelations has so much story that spread over too much game um but if you if you pulled out those game bits and you let it be an hour and a half 
TV show, at probably like a ten episode miniseries. Um, I think you could really get you could really get something something special out of that. Okay. I also think, by the I'm way, up. this principle works for a couple of other games uh, that I think have really just fantastic stories. They could use a lot of room to breathe, um, even though the gameplay isn't necessarily bad. The the, the first thought, uh, just because I've been playing it some, is the Banner Saga, right? I, I think the Banner Saga has good gameplay. I like the Banner Saga's gameplay a lot. Um, but I think that it would make a, I think it would make a fantastic story uh, in in the context of a book or a movie. Uh, I think the Banner Saga wants to be a book more so uh, than a than a than a movie. Okay, I don't know if I agree with you, but we'll kind of let it rest. Uh, all right. I mean, in a I'm way, in a way, I just want to fight you a little bit on this. In a way, your position is just that there are no good video game adaptations. It's impossible to do that. No, uh, no, no. That is that is not what I am saying. I'm not saying that. Right, no but that's like that's game. like the logic you're using. Um, I'm saying that there are no adaptations that would be better as a movie. That doesn't mean they can't be good, much in the same way that while there might be better adaptations for walking simulators, doesn't make those movies books good, right? Like, I think you could make a good adaptation of certain video game stories, but I don't think they'd be better than the game. I don't think they'd be better than the source material. Do you think that's true for like other other translations of, um, like, thing, of like media to media? I think it's I think it's a generally tough thing to do. Um, and I th I think that there's something fundamental about the interaction with gameplay mechanics that makes it much harder for a game, right? Like books to movies, there's definitely a difference there. But at the end of the day, it's still kind of like a a, a story that's being told at you with, with no interaction, and I think that's a much easier thing to pull off than something that, that kind of um, asks uh, asks for player interaction. Um, you know, I actually think you'd have a better, a, a better chance translating a game into a choose-your-own-adventure book than into a regular book, um, just because of that interactive element. I mean, but there are plenty of games that have completely linear storylines. So, like, I mean, why would a choose-your-own-adventure book of something that's entirely linear, like, you know, I don't know, uh, like 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 a Call of Duty campaign, right? Why would that be better than a movie of that Call of Duty campaign? Uh, so, I, I don't no, think that, there are no, you know what I mean? I, I, said, I said I think you'd have an easier time of it. I don't, like, I don't, I think that Call of Duty does rely on kind of your personal interaction, your personal tying into the characters in order to carry a lot of the weight of that. Um, like... You know, yes, in that situation, the Choose Your Own Adventure book wouldn't be a particularly good integration by also, or adaptation. But I also don't think that a movie would be a particularly great adaptation either. Um, I think a lot, of the, a lot of the story relies on on you being the avatar of of the action, um, and, and and using that to kind of tug at your 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 kind of emotions and whatnot. I don't think you could make. I don't think you could make a better. I don't think Call of Duty would be better served as a book or a movie. Um, that's not to say you can't make a great war movie or that I think that Call of Duty is better better than, say, Saving Private Ryan, but I think the act of translating a video game into a movie has uh, inherent, not only problems, but I, I just don't, I don't think you could, you could do it without losing a lot of something that, that, that makes it, that makes it important, that makes it special. Okay, I guess, um, fair enough, whatever. 
I, I really don't agree with that, but I, I don't want to bog us down in this kind of argument. Yeah, I, I, I feel like I feel like we could do an episode on that maybe at some point. So we'll, we'll, I have we'll, I have a lot uh, of th- I have a lot of thoughts about how we define media in general, um, and uh, and I've gotten into them a little bit, but only in like very early episodes. So I would be absolutely willing to open up yeah. that dust off that old dusty tome of like Buddy's idiosyncratic media theory, I guess. All right, under I'm making a new Google Note episode ideas. I'm writing down adaptations. Okay, uh, what uh, about? Uh, oh, okay, there's, there's one. There's one more. Question. There's one more question. Okay. One more question from from Dear Monic, uh, and that is, who is the best video game player you know? And then he answers it himself. He says, "It's me," um, and I will, <laughs> I will say, in terms of of like skill and kind of mechanical skill, I will definitely say it is you, Monic. Um, I don't necessarily think. You're the most teamwork-oriented player <laughs> out there, um, and I don't—I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. But I, I think I think that's kind of like the natural way for somebody who is a more skilled player to be to behave in a, in, a, in a way that doesn't take into account necessarily everything um, with your with, with with your with your teammates. But I don't think that necessarily makes you a bad player um, for sure. Um, I I think that, uh, but I definitely think you're definitely the most mechanically. Uh, skill player and then probably the best like single player tactical player I know, Monic. Um, do, do you have an answer? I, I uh, think there are too many dimensions on which we could rate this. For instance, I think that I am probably the best video game player I know when it comes to, insofar as being a good video game player is being someone who thinks thoughtfully about what games are and what they mean and those kinds of things, right? Like, nobody practices that kind of, right, that kind of, like, critical theory media theory you know like that kind of stuff as good as i do when it comes to video games right but i think in terms of but but the point is is that there's plenty of different ways uh that one could uh that one could go into this right barry is better than me at league of legends monic is better than me at csgo i'm probably better than the two of them at well i actually don't know how good monic is when it comes to strategy games because i do know that he plays them uh or whatever but like but like you know what i mean and i think at a certain point you start drilling down into specific games you know what i mean um for instance right like i'm probably better at europa universalis than uh any of these collections of people but they're all better at civilization 5 than i am right um and uh uh and so it's it is a it is a tough thing it is a tough thing to answer i will say um, a couple of notable people who are really good at video games in really like neat ways. Uh, Rachel is amazing at these kinds of like Minecraft, uh, like Stardew Valley simulators. She and I both picked up Stardew Valley at the same time. And one of the things that she was doing is she was playing on the weekends um, and streaming. And I would be and I would like watch her streams. Um, and uh, it is amazing how she and i were playing that game in parallel and she was so much better at like organizing her farm um and completing these objectives and figuring out game systems and game mechanics she was amazing at that i was garbage at that uh comparatively um same thing is true uh for uh the same thing is true for uh some friends of mine that have played minecraft max uh my friend max uh, he just builds some amazing things that I'm really jealous of from like an architecture standpoint. Um, I tend to, I, I like, I like Minecraft and I really like expressing myself in my buildings, but a lot of the times I build for function. Um, and I think about kind of, I think about kind of architecture as like, uh, 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 a sub, 
uh, a subsistent level to function um and and so my buildings can look kind of like plain or blocky or normal uh and he just has this way of making like structures that maybe i mean you know like maybe the chests are in weird places but it is the truest version of a minecraft treehouse that i've ever been in in my life and it's awesome right um stuff like that i think that i think that kind of stuff is cool i bet i, I i'm pretty confident that each uh each one of my friends is the best player at some game that i could go into well that's that's a interesting perspective i actually I, by uh, the way i think that is an incredibly unfair way i'm basically just like disagreeing with the whole premise of monik's question monik you're you're probably the best in terms of skills if that's what you want but but yeah. fuck you monik i'll redefine the question to suit my own needs i don't give a fuck oof uh, so, so do you think you're 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 a better analyst than say Super Bunny Hop? Uh, oh, uh, am I a better analyst? I'm curious. Yes, I'm probably better than Super Bunny Hop. I'm worse than a couple of people. I'm worse than Campster, for instance. Um, uh, Bunny Hop's main problem, I find, is um, and and it, this is also a very hard theory to test because all of his deep dives are on games that I don't play. Like I've never played Metal okay, Gear Solid. Enough. I've never played Dark Souls and stuff like that. Uh, but I mostly find that he kind of has this Zack Snyder problem of like uh, of like a maze-like thought process, um, and so he, he if he is better than I am, it is because I can't I have a hard time parsing a lot of his points. Sometimes he can kind of get lost in these like thought cul-de-sacs almost, and to me a lot of that is kind of like dead 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 stuff almost. Um, but uh, you know, maybe I don't know. Maybe if I played these games, I would I would understand it better, and I would think that, uh, and I would think that he's better. I actually think that I'm better than a lot of uh, kind of game. Maybe this is just me being egotistical than a lot of like game critics uh, that I pay attention to. I think I'm better on this kind of stuff than Total Biscuit, for instance. Pretty obviously. Um, yeah, I think Total Biscuit is is not very good at a lot of. He's things. He's probably like the poster he... child. Like when I talk about the difference between critics and reviewers, I think he's kind of the poster child for like reviewers um i also think that i'm better uh i also think that i'm better for at certain things than a couple of people but they are better you know what i mean like in a way we kind of we kind of compete for that slot like i think i'm better than eric kane on a couple of topics but he's better than me at a couple of topics if that makes sense um and so it all averages out to us being about the same um yeah I definitely think that Bunny Hop and uh, and Eric Kane are better journalists than you are, but I think you're not trying to be a journalist. Yeah, that, that, yeah. Anyway. I mean, and I think that that is their that is their core value, right? I think Bunny Hop. The thing that makes Bunny Hop special, and the thing that makes me want to pay attention to him, is when he does these kind of deep dives into like the corporate, you know, kind of like industry side of 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 things right in the same way that i mean i also think that there are pe people who are better at me at kind of like reading and talking about and responding to game uh and like gamer culture right uh, i think jim sterling is a good example of this right like he's somebody that just really has his his finger on the pulse when it comes to understanding and articulating why gamer culture is the way it is and talking about game culture um and there are a, you know a variety of people who are who are who are good at that sort of thing as well I think that's uh, I think that's fair. All right, well, why don't we move on to a question from from the the, the, the Discord? Okay, I guess. Uh, we have two questions that come from friend of the cast, 
uh, longtime person who has been on the cast a whole bunch. Mark, uh, the first of them is what are some of the biggest technical challenges of running a podcast? What kind of improvements have we made since day one? Um, so sometimes things happen that like you can't account for and you can't control and you know, like, like randomly there'll be weird time dilation efforts, um, that, that happened that I have to manually fix. Um, they haven't happened recently and I can't tell you why they happened in the first place, but you know, catching that and making sure it doesn't fuck up the podcast is, is important. Um, honestly, I'll repeat what I said earlier. The biggest technical challenge is probably dealing with guests because they have a weird equipment and not as deep an understanding about how their equipment picks up sounds. Um, and you know, and it's, and it's a pain in the ass. And the way you deal with that is you have less guests. No, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, you know, I've got a list of things that I read off to guests before they, they, they go in now and that, that helps minimize those problems. But that's, um, that's the biggest thing I can think of. Uh, yeah, I mean, I also, in terms of improvements that we've made, I think the biggest improvement that we've ever made is, like, working with our feedback well and listening to our feedback yeah, in, yeah. A, in a, uh, in a good way. Um, uh, one of the first things we did, like, the early episodes of the podcast, right, we used to start with what we did each week and then we would end on the topic, right? Um, and we had a couple of, and we had a couple of people that went both ways on it, right? Uh, some people who liked that we went, were up front, some people who wanted it moved to be in back, but eventually we got to a point where it felt like there was just a critical mass of people who wanted us to go right into the topic right up front. Um, and I think there was, there's a danger in, in a lot of things where we kind of let our egos get in the way of things or whatever, you know what I mean? Or like the idea that we, we, we are admitting to being kind of like implicitly wrong about having structured the podcast, the way we structured it for so long. Right. Um, and I think that kind of thinking is, uh, well, I think that kind of thinking is prevalent among people, right? I think people don't think about things. And then when they are confronted with a better way, a lot of the time they will rationalize their bad thinking rather than, uh, make changes, when confronted with better thinking sort of thing. And I think that, uh, the, the best thing that we've done is not fall into that trap. Yeah. I, I also, th just to point it out, the, the, the summary of our weeks started because, um, a listener, uh, asked us to, uh, ask us to recap what was happening in our games, in our tabletop games. Um, and that's why it started at the beginning. Oh, and right, then as yeah, that grew right. into its, it's a full half hour segment, um, it kind of dominated the first half, and then we moved to the back. But yeah, like I, I, I definitely think that that's that's all part of it. Um, yeah. All right. And then do you did you want to say anything else about that? Uh, no. I uh, I think that it's that's that's the that's the big one. Uh, as far as far as I'm concerned. Uh, you want to? Okay. So and wanna... then the second one uh is coming from Mark says also what are good elements of tabletop RPGs that translate poorly to WoW RP. Um, I'm going to mostly defer to you on this one since I haven't done a ton of uh, WoW the RP. The one is mechanics. Um, uh, I, I, I had this conversation with someone not too long ago. I think it was with Warren. Um, the there are there are different you know in the same way that there are Captain Crunches and Theater Kids right uh, when it comes to uh, tabletop uh, RPGs right. Yeah. The, there's no translation for a Captain Crunch into WoW RP. You only have a translation for theater kids. So any kind of translation of an element that appeals to uh, uh, any kind of Captain Crunchy player, right, 
is an element that will translate poorly, kind of by definition, right? There's just no place for this right. stuff to go. Someone who, who is motivated to play games because of the mechanical mastery, right? Because they want to use these systems to express themselves or to show dominance or, you know, whatever else, right? Um, they will fail uh, because WoW RP is just fundamentally never going to, never going to provide good... Uh, good good substitutes uh, for those things because there, there just aren't systems to master, right? Uh, if there are systems in WoW RP, and I am of the opinion that there should be none, right? Some people, for instance, when, when you have a fight, uh, people will roll for it, um, where two people will just roll the D100 and whoever rolls higher, right, uh, they, they, they win at that. Um, I, I hate that system. I think that system is is bad. Well, I don't really hate that system. I just I just think that it's bad and it's poor, right? I think for any given fight in in WoW RP, there is a better story that comes out of it when one person loses over the other. And so the proper thing to uh the, like the proper thing to do essentially um is figure out which like who whoever wins makes the better story and choose that person and have that person win. In, in that way, if that makes sense. Um, so, you know, that's my biggest, that's my biggest philosophy when it comes to, when it comes to, uh, tabletop RPGs and, uh, translating into WoW RP. And by the way, I think there's plenty of stuff that goes into WoW RP that doesn't translate well to tabletop RPGs, but that's not really the question. Yeah. Um, and I have no opinions since I don't really WoW RP. Um, do we want to keep going on this list or do you want me to hop over to, uh, let's, let's hop over. Cause we have more of these emails. Uh, I feel yeah. like we do. All right. Uh, Sour Patch, I'm going to apologize, but I'm going to skip your second email so we can get a fresh voice in Akshay, the other co-host oh of Unvoice Index. Um, his, his questions are, his less questions. They're a lot, little bit less, uh, uh, serious. Uh, number one. Illidan or Malfurion? Uh, Illidan, any day of the week. Malfurion is, uh, is, is a very flat, uninteresting character. He has not done anything interesting or complex since Warcraft 3, and even then, he wasn't a very interesting or, or complex character. People don't quite understand this. Illidan, or I'm sorry, Malfurion was a supporting player, right? He didn't have a character arc in the same way that Tyrande and Illidan had character arcs, and so just on, on, on the face of it, right, Tyrande is the protagonist of the Night Elf storyline in Warcraft 3. Illidan is kind of an antagonist, so he also gets something of a character arc. But Malfurion is there just to support Tyrande. He is not there to, to be his own character, kind of, at all. And uh, Illidan, and, and, and in, in the context of World of Warcraft, neither Malfurion nor Illidan have really got... Or, I'm sorry, neither Malfurion nor Tyrande have really gotten much... Uh, work done. Malfurion was asleep for the most for the beginning part of World of Warcraft and replaced with Fondral Staghelm, um, who was kind of just like Malfurion but mean. Um, and in the and then uh, but in the context of World of Warcraft uh, and even in the context of the Frozen Throne expansion, um, Illidan was the focus of that because Maev was the focus of that, and Illidan was being tasked by Kil'jaeden to like go fight the Lich King and stuff like that. His his moving into Alden, he just progressed so much farther as a character. He had so much more of a so much more of an arc, and then you get to the Burning Crusade, right? Which is this whole expansion about who Illidan is and what he's doing and what he's trying to accomplish, and then you get to Legion, right? So Illidan has had like four complete character arcs, two from the Warcraft three two from world of warcraft 
Malfurion has never had even one. How anyone could look at Malfurion and be like, "This is a this is a better this is a better character," is just clearly just like a misreading the 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 fundamental structure of this story. The only oh. way you could say is if you don't like that Illidan is a fucking edge lord and and just default to Malfurion because he is the only other option in this fucking question to begin with. I don't know why I got so mad about this. Well, I'll, I will tell you how you can choose Malfurion over Illidan. One, the question, to be fair, isn't exactly who's the better character. Two, I think Illidan's character arcs are kind of self-contradictory and stupid and retconny. And so the fact that Malfurion lacks, lacks that, um, it leads him to just, like, I, I, f I feel like Illidan, like, dips below a negative for me. I don't think and Illidan so Oh, my God, he also has a fucking book. He has five. Okay. Anyway, uh, I don't think Illidan's, Illidan's character arcs are, are contradictory. I think that there are a couple of places where contradictions have arisen because he is a long-lived character with, with, like, a lot of history. But at the end of no, the no, day... No, 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 no. What, what happened was is that the fans liked the Edgelord, and so they gave him a redemptive character arc, even though there was no indication that that was ever going to happen. It's kind of retconned that all that's not true. I don't think that's true. I think Illidan has always been... Uh, well, okay, so... Oh, my God. And then there's actually six, because there's also the War of the Ancients trilogy with Illidan. I think uh, that, that Illidan going back and forth um, and retconning in that Illidan and Outland... Uh, uh, is secret you know like is secretly a good guy and he's working to defeat the legion first of all that's supported by the lore right the illidari uh are a different force in outland than those who are representative of the legion right um and he is and he is warring against them right illidan is is creating outland as a stronghold right to fight against uh against the legion when kiljaden comes to collect essentially because illidan betrayed them like 40 fucking times because he's like the betrayer or whatever um and that them retconning in that his main focus the whole time was to take down the legion makes absolute sense given the context of that story it actually makes less sense for us to go kill illidan there's really not a huge impetus for that to be taking place outside of the fact that he became essentially a bad guy at the end of uh, of the Warcraft 3 books, and we're kind of finishing him off after that. He's also doing some fucked up shit on Outland itself, but yeah. Yeah, I, that sounds like Apologia to me. No, but, I mean, it's, it's, it's literally not, dude. It's in the lore. It's in the lore of Burning Crusade. And it, it, it is the lore of why we, we're going to Outland in the first place. I mean... Illidan is also a very ends justify the mean kinds of guy, but even that has been consistent with his character in in like up to and including Legion. I mean, his, his character has kind of been like power for power's sake for a while. Like that, that was kind of like a lot of his motivation, and then they kind of like changed him into like a goody two shoes, and and I thought that was stupid. He's not a uh, wait, what? He's not a goody two shoes though. I mean, it, it, he was ultimately acting for the good, which is not something that I buy. Um, in, in general, that that feel that felt forced to me. Of course, I am not as close to the lore as yeah, you dude, are. Yeah, dude, I don't but... know. I he has always been he has always been at, at acting acting for the good. It's just he has very different like he has very different opinions on what good means, uh, and they are mean opinions in a lot of ways that are bad for 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 people and for things. But I but I don't really think that the wild lore has shied away from the fact that like Illidan is wrong about a lot of the stuff that he does and. You know what I mean? In a lot of ways, Illidan is kind of a comment on the the kind of uh, uh, like the kind of absolutist principle of 
you know, uh, insofar as the Burning Legion is a threat to all life, no matter what, Illidan has to be an ally despite you know the horrors that he has put every single demon hunter through right or the way that he was turning orcs into fell orcs in uh in hellfire peninsula right uh or even stuff with like the naga and shit like that like i mean all of that stuff was definitively evil but the burning crusade or the burning legion is more evil sure whatever i'm i'm i'm, I'm not convinced but i don't think We've got time to, to deep dive into the intricacies of Illidan. Okay. Uh, question two. You guys going to finish the fight and beat the Liege? Um, I'm probably not. I imagine that you will. I am currently, uh, I am currently moving into uh, Argus. Uh, so, <clears throat> yeah, I've been pretty off on WoW just because there's other stuff that like has demanded my attention, but I have been slowly kind of piecemeal getting myself back into it uh playing argus content and finishing the fight with the legion all right uh question number three is sonic adventure for the dreamcast is the best game of all time not really a question um, oh my god uh i disagree running around at the speed of sound is way overrated Chili dogs aren't that great. I've actually played that uh, game. I think that game is pretty good, at least for its like first level or two. Uh, I haven't played enough of it. I haven't like beaten the game. I played yeah. it at a friend's house. Yeah, I, I think that's about as much as we can get into that question because I don't have a ton of experience with it either. Uh, question number four: What's the type? What type? Or as he put it, Quattro Boy. What type of MMO could get you guys genuinely excited to play one again? anything on the horizon mon um i'm kind of super intrigued by crowfall um it looks kind of janky to me but i'm hoping that they'll be able to pull it together to something really cool um whenever that comes out um and it does the thing that everyone like like every mmo wants to which is like everything's super player driven everything's like the economy super player driven and super uh uh you know player controlled and that's all really cool um, but I think the thing that they've really hit on that can really keep it from, keep that from kind of moving to this place of the people who are in there from the beginning are the best is that, um, he's got these, co this concept of campaign worlds, which reset every, I think it's like three months to two years or something like that. Um, they're different, like each world has different lengths to it. Um, and so by having that kind of fresh starting point, um, on each, uh, on each world, I think that you, you'll be able to kind of. Uh, mitigate these kind of like uh problems of uh of 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 kind of like the first people in are are are, are the best that don't that only gets mitigated in they get mitigated in in uh in theme park mmos by kind of like just making content only consumable at a certain rate um and they kind of spirals out of control in these kind of more open sandbox mmos and i, I think this is an interesting take on how to deal with that um and i'm kind of excited to see them uh potentially uh implement on that yeah i mean they have like 12 million in funding or whatever um honestly this reads to me as too ambitious uh and will not get there um but i guess if it all works out it'll be great right i mean yeah you know, you know what i mean like i don't know yeah i i follow, I follow their development channel i haven't given them any money yet um i i too feel like this will probably crushing on itself at some point but i do think that they're um they, they seem to be 
making good progress from what I've what I've watched him over about like it's about a uh, six seven months at this point. So who knows? Maybe maybe it'll eventually come out and it'll be real. Um. Uh, did you have any other any other MMOs that you want to talk about or anything else that would make you excited to play an MMO again? Uh, I mean the only MMO I I, I don't know. Maybe this is sunk cost fallacy talking, but just World of Warcraft has my attention, and I don't foresee a future where it will not. You know what I mean? I just I've I've invested a lot of time and effort into knowing World of Warcraft and and living uh, uh, in the World of Warcraft kind of world and things like that. Um, and everything I've ever played after that has always paled in comparison. Uh, I think the World of Warcraft lore is basically the best uh, in terms of what I'm looking for, which is kind of mostly like a really interesting space to RP and stuff like that. But I don't know. You know, it's always possible, but I, there is nothing on an, on any radar of mine that signals that there, there will be a different MMO in my future besides WoW. All right. Um question or question sync o as the fan dialing in i request that you play move your feet by junior senior are you familiar with that song buddy no well um i can't actually insert the track because we'll probably violation of copyright but i will sing a little bit for you akshay <coughs> everybody oh, I do know this. move your feet and feel united yeah. whoa 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 hopefully that satisfies you akshay um and uh, six, what game has surprised you the most in 2017? Um, I would probably say Ab Absolver. Um, it's a really super interesting and intricate game that has like interactions that I uh, wasn't expecting. Uh, that that's my answer, Absolver. Um, yeah, Mike. I you know I kind of want to say Factorio. Uh, I want to say Factorio. Yeah, Factorio was a game that 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 I saw and that I like. I knew that would be appealing, but I didn't quite realize how addictive uh, the the it, it would end up it would end up being. It was just really strong and really cool and really interesting. Um, yeah, I watched I watched someone play it at PAX. Like they were, I was like, I was enforcing at PAX. I was like guarding the exit. And uh, when the guys at the corner were just playing Victoria, it looked really cool. So I'm, I might pick that up as a game to play, like while I'm like listening to podcasts or whatever, because it seems like it could be that. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it is. Uh, it is. It was also a very good game. Uh, I played almost all of it with Rachel, and it was a great game for us to play together. Um, <clears throat> The important thing about Factorio is that I kind of think the learning curve is the most interesting aspect of it. Like, as you learn what stuff does and as you figure out the mechanics of the game and you have to kind of, like, adapt on the fly to how those mechanics kind of work, I think that's the most... It is, it, it's an insanely linear experience. There are people who play, like, hundreds of hours of it, and I can't possibly fathom that. Uh, mostly because, like, I just don't think there's enough variance in the world and in the systems to kind of make it something along the lines of, like, Civ, where, like, every game feels unique, almost. Um, Factorio, it feels like you come to, you know, like, you, you eventually end up in a place where you have a strategy that you think is best, and you implement that strategy, right? But the process of figuring out what that strategy is and how, and, and how you get there is what makes Factorio so interesting, because that process is really long. I played 86 hours of it, right? Um, 
to beat the game uh and uh and, and it was great and it was super engaging super fun all the, all the all the way around but unless they do some kind of like major rehauling of mechanics or something i just don't think that i'll ever go back to it which is fine which is fine by me all right uh that's all the uh the questions from uh from akshay okay uh, we have a couple more uh from the discord this one is xanis that says using boolean algebra what is the sum of one and one uh sum in boolean algebra is and and the and of one and one is is one is that the answer to the question oh is it really i mean it should yet yeah, like that so plus in boolean is the and gate and and if true and true is true oh okay yeah um this, you know I have no. Yeah, th I, that's just the answer. Yeah, yeah. I, I, <coughs> sure, sure. I guess that is just yeah. the answer. I hope that wasn't on your homework because we're probably a couple weeks. I just assumed it was two. I just assumed it was two, obviously. But I guess that's what the the question wants you to. Yeah, bo Boolean algebra is, is is all ands and ors, and you never get away from like you only you only ever go from like it's false and true values. Okay. Uh, want to read the next one? Uh, the next one is from Rachel, uh, which is I have a question. Will you marry me? Uh, which is a good, as good a time as any, I guess, to announce on the podcast that Rachel and I are engaged uh, to be married. We're going to get married next year. Uh, accordingly, my answer to this question is no. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's also funny that Rachel's never been on the podcast. Especially, the, I, I feel awful that we didn't have her on for the Wonder Woman podcast because mm -hmm. we both loved that movie and everything. Uh, and it was such an auto... I, it just never even occurred to me uh, that that she should uh, that she should come. Well, on. that's your fault. Yep, it is. Uh, <laughs> well, congratulations to you too. I appreciate I'm that. <laughs> like that's that's actually super exciting news. We're here. actually that, not we're, so awesome. we're actually not having a wedding or anything like that. Like, oh, okay. We're gonna get married at the courthouse with uh, with two of our friends, Max and Warren, like as like witnesses or whatever. Um, but we are instead going to go on like a wedding like tour, I guess. Where like we get married and then we just like go and visit people like as a married couple because so because nobody like not not a lot of people live in Los Angeles you know like not a lot of our friends right, right. and family right like most of our our family lives out on the East Coast and stuff like that uh, so we'll probably uh, so so that that that's that's the idea I feel very good about this because I came up with this idea because I didn't want to have a wedding yeah. well if, if you change your mind about having a ceremony I am an ordained minister in the Church of Universal Ministries oh shit uh, but yeah. Uh, Fair enough. Uh, yeah, I imagine that our wedding tour will will probably include San Francisco, because so many oof. so many people live up in San Francisco. Yeah, um, I mean you're. I, I look forward to it. Congratulations to you two. I don't know if there's much else to say about I that. I guess there really you... isn't. I guess there really is not. Um, all right. Uh, do we want to jump back to some questions from Jimmy? Yeah, sure. Um, again, I'm I'm sorry, Sour Patch. But you put you submitted like thirty something questions, so you're going on the back. We do appreciate how many questions you submitted. Yeah. <laughs> um. Uh, question negative one from uh, Jimmy. Um, what do you think your dream your dream jobs are? Um, honestly, I feel like if I could make a living as a Twitch streamer, that'd be pretty cool. Um, just because I like playing video games, and that would just be my job i feel like that's probably got some drawbacks that i'm not anticipating but it'd be something that'd be cool to at least try for a while uh the the first one is impossible which would be for me to write and direct with full creative freedom 
the very first Aquaman movie, which has currently wrapped its production in Australia uh, and is coming out in December of next year, which I am obviously incredibly hyped for. I actually have like a whole tree. It's somewhere on my Reddit. If okay, so this is this is a job. This is a job for like Easter egg hunters. If you know what my Reddit account is, you can search through it, and there's somewhere where I write like a twenty thousand character. Just like I just go really in depth on what I would want the first two Aquaman movies to be about, uh, and I actually felt incredibly good about these stories um, that I just kind of got obsessed with at at one point, and then I put it down onto uh, I put it out, down onto paper. That would have been that would have been my dream job. I I missed I missed the mark. Oh well. Uh, I guess if we're if we're being practical, it is probably along the lines of being kind of one of these like YouTube uh, like video essayists that it, that exist out there. I love uh, uh, I love the way these these kinds of people think about you know culture and media that they consume, and I want to do and I want to do the same shit. And yeah, honestly, if we could make a living off of doing this, I think I'd be ecstatic. Yeah, that's true. It that's absolutely awesome. true. Definitely. Um. All right. Question zero, tits or ass? Uh, I am in general uh, a breast man, even though I do appreciate um, nice buttocks so, as well. So, some junk in the trunk. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I am. Uh, I, I am. I'm all about them titties uh, with two D's. Uh, I guess uh, if they are diametrically opposed in that way. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, favorite fictional character from a book. Um, do you have a good answer for this? Yeah, uh, I got. I just got a. Um, let me think. Uh, favorite fictional character from a book. Right. I got an answer. Uh, Rincewind from uh, the Terry Pratchett Dis- uh, Discworld novels. Um, he's a wizard that's kind of like an asshole and goofy and like has a bunch of problems. And I love him because he's. Because I love those books, I love I love humor in those books, and uh, I think he's he's a great kind of um, avatar for kind of like a straight man put in a bad situation into some bad situations. I think he's super fun. So uh, yeah, it's Rincewind. Um, man, this is actually okay. So I'm gonna limit myself uh, to things in specifically like books. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to cop out and say, like, oh, Jon Snow or whatever. Because really, at the end of the day, the principal way that I consume Game of Thrones and the only reason that I've read the Game of Thrones books is because of the television show or whatever. And I think that's a little bit of a cop out. Um, but uh, in terms of only in terms of only books, uh, my favorite book of all time is Foundation by Isaac Asimov. Um, and it is specifically for the presence of one character who I find to be just the, the, the coolest. Um, the character is a guy named Salvor Hardin. Um, he is the mayor. So, okay, so the premise of Foundation, right? There's a big galactic empire, um, but because... Uh, so, th- th- and then there's also a new science that exists. The science is psychohistory, right? Psychohistory says that one when people, right, are, are when there's a large enough volume of people, you can predict their behavior, right? Um, based on mathematic, like 
based on math, right? So you can predict the future with math. It's just that that math is incredibly like hard, right? And that's called psychohistory, right? And so foundation is set up by a guy named Hari Seldon because he's the super genius psychohistorian. Um, and he realizes that with his psychohistory, right, that the galactic empire is going to fall and there's going to be 30,000 years of just barbarism, right? Um, and that all of this knowledge and shit that people have gained will be lost and it'll be really bad and everything like that. Um, and the only way to preserve this, right, is to create something called the foundation. Uh, the foundation being a small, uh, community on an, on an outlying planet called Terminus, um, where, uh, at first, uh, all of the, 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 the knowledge in the universe is being collected, right, um, uh, being is being is being collected by people uh and to, to to preserve this this will have the the net result according to Hari Seldon's psychohistory of reducing that one that 30,000 year period just to 1,000 years um and then on the other side it will come out to be another you know strong empire where 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 good things are happening and a good society right uh, Salvor Hardin is the mayor of Terminus uh, City. A couple of situ uh, like a couple of generations after Hari Seldon, and um, he is best. He he he's just really sm he's just like the best conception of one of these like characters who wins because he is more intelligent and clever than everyone else, and I love that. He's kind of an embodiment. This whole series is an embodiment of my worldview that knowledge is like. All, it, like, knowledge is good like knowledge is good and ignorance is evil right um and uh and he has these like great little catchphrases that i like a lot like for instance uh one of his one of his things one of his like like truisms is violence is the last refuge of the incompetent uh which i just i love that idea uh i just love him he's great He's tricky. It's 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 great. It's it's wonderful. I highly recommend Foundation to anyone who wants to read it. Yeah, awesome. All right, um, we might need to start rapid firing these because we're it's getting long. Yeah, man, we uh, are we are we are deep. We are deep in the shit. Yeah. Um, you guys believe that a personality, human consciousness, could be coded into a program, sort of like her, her being the film by Spike Jones. Um, I believe that it will eventually be possible. Um, and I don't think it will be attained intentionally. Like, I don't think you could set out to make a personality. Um, I think that with, um, with the advent of genetic algorithms and the like, eventually we'll hit that point and it will be because we put in some, like, seed of a personality and eventually evolves itself into a personality. Um, but I don't think that that's coming for a while at least. Uh, yeah, I bet that that, that will probably, this is, this is, uh, this is ambitious. I bet it'll happen in our lifetime. Uh, that something along these lines will exist, but uh, yeah, yeah, I, I, think, I think it's possible. I think, I think it could happen. I could think it could happen within our lifetime. Um, uh, next question: How do you feel about the technological singularity? Oof. Um, so I like the idea of kind of like explosive progress. Like, I I hope that like I will live long enough to see the point where I won't ever die because I've uploaded my consciousness into a computer. Um, but the idea of losing my individuality to a kind of singularity is kind of terrifying to me. Um, I'd rather not lose my individualism. It's something I value highly. Shit. Uh, 
Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, insofar as, uh, insofar as the singularity allows for and um, is the best representation of kind of accumulated, uh, uh, you know, knowledge and learning, uh, I, uh, I am in favor. I am in favor of it. I think there's going to be a lot of really tough questions that our society has to ask about the value of being human. Uh, yeah, I mean. I'm of the opinion that if that's the way that things are going to go, it's there's nothing that we we won't be able, like, you can maybe ask those questions, but it won't fucking matter. It'll just kind of happen, and it'll be it'll be, if if that's the way that things will go, it'll be over before we can do anything about it, and that's the way it should be. Like stopping technology never works. Um, I hope that that's not necessarily the way things will go. Yeah. Um. All right. Any deeper thoughts on that? Uh, no. I mean, as an individual and as a person, obviously, there's a certain amount of existential dread that goes along with that. So I empathize with being terrified of losing those sorts of things. But uh, that is at odds with my foundational worldview and philosophy. So, yeah, fair enough. Uh, favorite anime? Um, you've you've already said yours, yep, right? Samurai Which is seven. Seven. Um, I think at this point. I'm gonna have to mark it down as, uh, uh, for for dramatic, Rakugo, um, just because I think that movie is done with an, with, with with an artistry, um, that is uh, that just is 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 un uh, un uh, unmatched. Um, and for comedy, I think uh, Konosuba, God's blessing on this great beautiful world, is hilarious. Um, there's some moments in that like there's there's this one recurring joke. Where like, um, like somebody will call out the main character's name, um, uh, and he will very occasionally randomly respond like, "Yes, this is like, yes, this is, uh, this is this this is he," um, like like he like he's answering a phone, and it's just kind of random, and no, they never acknowledge it or anything, they never pause, it's just kind of like there, and that gets me every time. I love it. Um, uh, it's it's funny because it's 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 one of these kind of like trapped in an MMO world type things, except it's like very hilariously done instead of being serious like like sort on online or whatever other garbage people like um but yeah uh so so th those are that for that do you have any deeper thoughts other than samurai seven uh nope Sam samurai seven Sam samurai seven is the best it's, it's all my, right it's my fave this this question is for me uh which is the worst version of hell either you have to watch a special version of batman versus superman for the rest of eternity <laughs> with with Buddy on the same couch, oh this version God. has Buddy's commentary left for the movie accompanying the regular movie, oh or oh Buddy casts you for the role of Tonric in a film he writes, oh and you have to deliver oh the lines exactly as Buddy desires, and he's a rigorous coach when it comes to directing. Oh the Tonric movie series is a hit, but now you are famous for being Tonric and forever known by that name. Oh my God. <laughs> this is the best question. Um... I'm going to say that sitting on the couch watching Batman v Superman is probably the worst hell. Because um, <laughs> at least I get, like, fame with the other one. Mm -hmm. Also, like, I, I, I do respect your, your kind of writing chops. Um, and, you know, as much as he says you'll be a rigorous coach, I'm sure that, like, if I had a good idea, you'd recognize that and let me go with it. Um, even though it would ultimately be your, your direction and vision. And I think I can live with that. You know what's actually funny is I do have a Tonric movie. I have like maybe 45 pages of a screenplay written out with like the rest of like an outline of it, of anything for a movie about just like a fantasy movie about Tonric. 
would, would, I, would I be a good a good fit for the uh, no the best part I mean this is probably like Freudian or something and reveals a whole bunch about myself the 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 best person that I know to be a Tonric would be my dad my dad would be well, a fantastic well, Tonric I would actually probably be the best Tonric just in terms of I understand like you know like I would be able to execute most about myself. I, or whatever. It's all part of my original vision. Uh, but I would only ever be... I would only ever be able to be a good Tonric, I feel like, if I had a kid. And if I was maybe in my 40s. My dad's probably actually too old to be Tonric at this point, but... Uh... Yep, well, there's that. There's that. Um, Alright, question for you. What's your favorite villain from Dragon Ball Z? Oh, that's a great question. So, my favorite character from Dragon Ball Z is Vegeta. Um, and he is a villain for the first bit, um, but he's not a, but I don't like him because he's a villain, like, and I don't really like him for his villainy. The, the, the part about Vegeta that, that is my favorite and, and that is the best is, uh, when he becomes Super Saiyan after the Frieza saga, right? So Goku goes Super Saiyan, kicks the shit out of Frieza on Namek, right? Um, and then they, uh, and then they all come back to, uh, I don't even know if it's Earth. I guess they come back to Earth or whatever, right? Um, during the, like, during the intervening years on Earth, ooh, excuse me, uh, during the intervening years on Earth, Vegeta is so, like, pissed that Goku could go Super Saiyan and that he couldn't, that he wills himself to being able to go Super Saiyan, which I think of as being the coolest fucking shit in the world. Plus, I also think that Vegeta has an awesome uh, relationship with the other characters. Uh, I love his rivalry with Goku that that forces him to be, to be better and better. Um, I love uh, his interaction with Trunks, his son. I cry like a little baby when he knocks out Trunks, when Gotenks uh, fails at defeating Majin Buu and then blows himself up in order to do so. Uh, I just, I think he is by far and away the best character on Dragon Ball Z. And because he's a villain at first, I want to classify him as a villain. And he's the best. He's the best. That's why I like him a lot. All right. I've only ever seen pieces of DBZ in the abridged form. Oh, man. You uh, haven't watched? Man, it is, it is. I don't think it, it would be worth it now, but you've really missed out on, you really missed out on nope. something as a teenager. <laughs> Fair enough. Next question. Favorite flavor of Rita's? Um, I'm going to give you an unconventional answer. Um, I'm a big fan of custard, so um, the vanilla custard is the answer. Oof. Because um, you can't really get custard in many other places. Th this so. is actually, by the way, a uh, this is actually a um, uh, uh, a reference. Jimmy and I used to go get Rita's all the time when we were in college together, and I appreciate this reference. And I get this Easter egg, I, Jimmy, and I love you. I for used it. to I used to get it all the time with uh, with with the Rohan. Oh really? Actually, yeah. Did you guys go? Yeah, and so you in in Baltimore, like you went up to the one. Uh, uh, like up and around, kind of by fucking what was that place called with the big dome? Fuck, I can't even remember what the place was called. God, I've been the Rotunda. The rotunda, right? It was up by the Rotunda, right? It was it. I, I don't remember. Rohan had a car, so he just drove us there, yeah, and yeah. I didn't really. Pay yeah, too this much was attention. when this was when I bought my first car uh, at the beginning of that summer, um, and so uh, we went we went all the time when we were RAs, uh, and I was technically his boss. Um, yeah, my favorite flavor of Rita's is uh, uh, watermelon uh, the, of the ice, but like the gelato version uh, with the custard at the bottom and at the top, and I always get vanilla. Um, they don't have watermelon all that much, so I default to cherry just as easily, right? It's, this, it's the same sort of thing, but yeah, man, dude, I fucking love Rita's. Yeah, that's fair enough. 
Um, I So it's, just for the record, that's actually not my favorite custard. It's just the easiest available custard. My favorite custard is Core Brothers, uh, which is a classic, um, I think, Delaware Shore thing. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Um, favorite type of cookie? Um, I'm going to have to go with... Uh, uh, my mom makes these great, like, chocolate and butterscotch chip ones with, in, like, an oatmeal cookie, and I love it. It's great. Um, but in terms of, like, generic types, I'd probably go with, uh, I'd probably go with chocolate chip classic. Uh, you know, my favorite type is snickerdoodle. Um, but I am a big fan of, I am a big fan of chocolate chip. What a, what a, what a, what a classic. Uh, yeah, I don't yeah. know, but snickerdoodle, snickerdoodle has my heart. That's fair. All right, uh, moving on. Uh, play the movie game, get from one actor to another as quickly as possible through movies, and get from Charlie Sheen to Jason Statham. Did you play this while uh, we were at Gen Con? Uh, I don't think we, so. We played this uh, a bunch in, in, the, in the car. Or not a bunch, but a little bit. What it, okay. So the, the, the movie game, right, is you go... It's like six steps from to, to Kevin Bacon, except yeah, without Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Bacon. so what were the two Charlie, Cha Char Charlie, Charlie... Charlie... Charlie Sheen and Jason Statham. Charlie Sheen and Jason Statham, okay. Um... Charlie Sheen, I believe. not using the, the internet for this. Yeah, I believe Charlie Sheen was in Family Guy at one point, which seems to be a good kind of, like, way to, like, open. Was that a movie, though? Oh, does it have to be movie? I guess it does, yeah. All right. Uh, shit. I don't even know that many Charlie Sheen okay, movies. Okay, he's in the Three Musketeers movie, which he was in with Chris O'Donnell. God, man, this is dirty. This is a really dirty connection. Which Chris O'Donnell was with George Clooney and Batman and Robin. All right, George Clooney, that's a good one. Uh, Ocean's movies, Ocean's movies. Was Jason Statham in the Ocean's movies? No, I don't think so. He's in the Fast and the Furious movies, he's in the Transporter. Fast and the Furious, I think, is the best way to get to him because you can get to him with The Rock. Uh, wait, so where am I at? I'm at George Clooney. Fuck, I'm at George Clooney. Okay, and so George Clooney goes to Matt Damon. That's not good enough. That's not good enough. Julia Roberts. Uh, okay, let me build it from the other side. Okay, so we have the so we have Jason Satham in The Rock in the Fast and the Furious movies. The Rock. The Rock has been with Kevin Hart. Boy. Um. Man, he's starting these movies that I like a lot, but I can't think of a, a good a good crossover with him. If we can use movies he's that have not come out yet, he's going to be in this uh, Jumanji movie with Jack Black, which would be a good connector, right? Jack Black's been like yeah. in a million things. There's got to be some overlap there. <laughs> um all right so let's do uh god jeez oh man this is so hard <laughs> yeah Is there anything that Kevin Hart has been in that I could make a good... Or also, fucking Aaron Paul. What has Aaron Paul been in that would make a good connection? Boy, oh boy. 
else has The Rock been in that I really like of his? G.I. Joe. Holy shit, that's it. Channing Tatum. Okay, Channing Tatum. What has Channing Tatum been in? That shares with an Ocean's Eleven person. Man, these guys have had to interact at some point, right? Come on. Magic Mike? No, fucking Christ. This is so much harder than I thought it would be. I unfortunately am not great at this. Uh, is there anybody else in the Fast and the Furious movies? Vin Diesel. Okay. Oh, shit. That might be it. George Clooney to Vin Diesel to Matt Damon. Here, I, I got it. I got it. Okay, okay, here it is. Here it is. Okay. It is uh, Charlie Sheen to the Three Musketeers movie to Chris O'Donnell to Batman and Robin to George Clooney to Ocean's Eleven to Matt Damon. God, this is the worst chain ever. To, um, I'm sorry, uh, uh, to Ocean's Eleven to Matt Damon to Saving Private Ryan to Vin Diesel to Fast and the Furious fucking any of them. Fast and Furious 8 to J Jason Statham. Boom. There we go. All right, so I looked it up on a site that does this for you, um, and the connection, the shortest connection, is Jason Statham in Wildcard to Pete Antico to Wall Street Money Never Sleeps, which has Charlie Sheen. Oh, wow, that would have been a fucking great answer. Dude, Wall Street Money Never Sleeps, man. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, he was in those movies, those two Wall Street movies with Michael Douglas. Well... Sorry, I couldn't help you with that. No worries, no worries. <laughs> um, uh, do, 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 do you guys like wrestling as children? What was your favorite wrestler and why? And did you ever, would you ever pile drive your siblings? <laughs> um, well, I think is our both of our favorite wrestler is Tyler Breeze, right? Clearly, it is Tyler, Tyler Breeze. <laughs> Is that, is that the only, like, wrestling match you've ever watched? Uh, I've watched a little bit of other ones. So, the context of this is Mango and I went up to Mark's house for Thanksgiving. And at one point, we just ended up, like, turning on the TV because we were all, like, really tired or whatever. And just, like, flipping through the channels. And we came across this, like, wrestling match with what was the other guy? Was it, like, Dean Ambrose was there, I think? I don't remember. Uh, I just remember Tyler Breeze. And then there was, and then there was uh, the, one of the announcers was Dolph something. Because it's become a meme later where someone says, focus on the fight, Dolph. Dolph. <laughs> uh, but Tyler Breeze was basically the best, and uh, uh, and he is definitely, without a doubt, my very favorite wrestler. After watching that one one thing of wrestling from him, yeah. Um, and to the question of uh, would would you ever pile drive your siblings? Uh, when I was younger, man, definitely. Uh, did you did you used to fight to do and to do and Greg? Oh yeah, viciously. Oof. Um. Yep, you know, that's the way it was. Did you ever fight with your siblings? Uh, yeah, I fought with my older sister a whole bunch until I got big enough to like beat her, and then we stopped fighting. Yeah, I never started the fights. I was always the victim of the fights. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's different when you've got two brothers that are like my my brother and I were around the same age. Um, there was never kind of like a, an era of like either one of us being particularly dominant. Um. Yeah, I don't think I would ever. I would, I don't think I would ever pile drive a sibling just because that's uh, rough. Yeah. Uh, next question: Favorite childhood cartoons? Uh, My easy answer uh, here is Rocco's Modern Life. 
insofar as it is a cartoon that I watched as a child that I loved and I still love today. Uh, I don't know if those are the parameters for the for the for the question, but insofar as they are, that's my answer. Uh, yeah, I don't know if I have a great answer. Um, I really liked Rugrats when I was a kid. Um, I didn't watch a ton of cartoons. I watched a lot of Arthur. Oh my on god, PBS. Dude. Arthur was the best. I always, I, I always really liked the 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 rabbit, his best friend rabbit, Buster. Buster yeah, dude. Buster Baxter. Yeah, yeah. Um. But yeah, I th- I think I'm gonna leave that that one there. Uh, you can set up a D and D table. Let's go with four players, one GM of anyone throughout history. Who do you choose? Uh. Can I just answer myself five times? <laughs> I don't know. If, that is. Know if that, that is. You know what? That's a. That's the perfect fucking buddy. I answer. don't know if that's like. I don't know if that's like indicative of my narcissism or anything like that. I. I think it definitely um, is, and I, I think, think it's perfect. I, I, think I think that's the most perfect fucking the buddy natural, answer. Natural. I think like the natural kind of thing to do in a lot of ways for D and D, like the perfect version of a D and D campaign. Um, in a lot of ways is a campaign that you would want to play in and if I follow that logic to its extreme and I'm given like this ultimate power in order to you, you know what I mean like I would want to I would want to run a game for four other me's right yep no I, I totally get it um, my answer is uh, is it's me Tolkien Terry Pratchett and R.A. Salvatore around the table that Gary Gygax himself is DMing that's a fantastic answer. Um, yeah, uh, I I figure that's the... a much better answer. <laughs> um, but you know, that's just kind of like pe- fantasy authors I really like. Plus, Gygax plus me because I want to be there is uh, it's exactly it's exactly what I want. Um, favorite restaurant in Baltimore. Uh. I'd probably say, um, oh, what's that place? Uh, uh, do you have an answer for this? Man, I look up uh, in this place? I'm trying to, uh, uh, I'm trying to remember, uh, to be honest. There was a, 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 a restaurant that I loved to go to and that was like our best kind of, um, like, uh, like, g- given given an, an an infinite choices of where to go, this was the place I always chose to go. Um, I don't know. You know what? I, you know what I have to say. I think my favorite my favorite restaurant in Baltimore, uh, and this is specifically because Jimmy is kind of asking the question, is a place called Chicken Rico, which is a place that he showed me, which is a uh, which is a Peruvian kind of like chicken like rotisserie chicken kind of place. That place was fantastic and it was like it was really good and I really loved that kind of food. Um uh, but I specifically loved it because of the experience of going there with Jimmy the multiple times that we did both like as RAs like with our whole group like we had programs where we where we headed out to Chicken Rico but also just like I think he and I went there once by ourselves which was like the most fun. Um and so that's my answer. Chicken Rico, Jimmy. Uh so um, I've got a couple answers then. Uh, uh, Alewife has the best burger, one of the best burgers I've ever had in my life, and also has a great beer selection. Um, GNM has the best crab cakes I've ever had, uh, which I love. 
which is a it's, it's harder to get to. I went there with my parents a bunch. Um, but in terms of like best experience with people in Baltimore, that's got to be the Taco Bell in Baltimore, oh, holy shit. which I went to many, many times in the trunk of my friend's car. I went enough times that I could tell when we were at the Taco Bell. Wow. Um, I would just pop out of the trunk. It was great. Um, it was many, many a college night that ended that way. And I would not trade that experience for the world. Um, and so, you know. In terms of quality of food, Alewife and GM, in terms of closest to my heart, it's gotta be the Taco Bell. You know, to be honest I, with you, uh I think honestly my my favorite place might just be Tambers because I really love Tambers. Oh, Tambers is good choice. Indian yeah. food, man. I don't think I had anything at Tambers ever except for like Indian food. <laughs> I mean, they had they had they had good American food too, the Cloak and Dagger. <laughs> I never excellent I sandwich. just never got it, right? Like I, yeah. I love Indian food. Indian food is probably like my like like gun to my head favorite like place to go get food. Um, so, you know, uh, yeah, I, I mean, you want another casually? I, I loved Ajima as well. I went there recently when I went back for a reunion. So, you know. oh man. Okay. This is what I was thinking of. Tapas Teatro, which was, uh, which is a tapas place right next to a movie theater. So we would go oh. and we would get tapas and then we would go watch movies. That was the fucking best. So Tapas Teatro, I believe was the place that had. This fried manchego with a little bit of honey, and that was like one of the most mind blowing things that I had ever eaten. That particular to, yeah, dish I, I, was amazing. Uh, I've been to Tapas Teatro so many times that I have probably I went to Tapas Teatro alone, <laughs> like a number of times because I would go see a movie and, uh, and I would uh, and I would just like go in and, and and get stuff, and it was so expensive, but I didn't give a fuck. Uh, yeah, I probably I probably eaten everything off of their menu at one point or another. Um, because we went there a bunch. Yeah, and and if you want just like another good general recommendation, uh, Brewers Art has some really good food, uh, and some really good beer if you drink beer. Uh, so yeah, now, now that we've gone over our, our favorite Baltimore restaurants, let's. Uh, what are your go-to orders from Charmar? Oh, uh, I, I come on, man, dude! Southwest chicken with lettuce and onions, and that's it. Oh, and, and obviously the chipotle sauce. Did you eat any ch- Southwest chickens? South Southwest Southwest. Uh, occasionally, my my go to though, my, my favorite was definitely chicken salad, provolone cheese, and honey mustard. Um, I'm just a big sucker for chicken salad, but I love that sandwich. Fair enough. I actually eat a lot of chicken salad at work. They have these chicken salad sandwiches at work that are great. Uh, I am forever. I I'm just forever sad uh, that I will never be able to have a Southwest chicken again because they don't serve them anymore. Southwest Chicken for all those for all those people who did not go to Johns Hopkins um, was uh, was a sub where it was chicken tenders it was just chicken tenders with bacon um, with kind of like chipotle ranch um, and then I always got it with uh, with lettuce and onions and the onions there were great they were incredibly thinly sliced red onions uh, but they would put on a ton of them uh, and it was so great it was so delicious fuck Southwest Chicken. Um, uh. Kind of, this is my question because uh, he didn't ask it. But did you ha- did you have a uh, did you have a go to uni mini sandwich? Uh, yeah, at the uni mini sandwiches, I would get um, I would get uh, the ham egg and cheese. Uh, I always, no matter no matter what time of day or night, I always got ham egg and cheese. I I would get sausage egg and cheese with hash brown on it. That that was oh yeah, I would get it. it. Yeah, I'd get it with hash browns on it too. It I must it- have, just to be honest, I must have gotten that with you because I have a feeling that I only started getting. I didn't go to Mini all that often because I was I was an RA and we had dining bucks or whatever dining dollars, <coughs> um, but I have you know it was probably with Barry 
Uh, yeah, no. Barry introduced me to the chicken parm with hash brown. Which yeah, is that's like exactly what it is. A dude. level of Barry. like intensity that's just like a little bit too much sometimes. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I had that chicken parm with hash brown actually. That was very good. But then I, but then once I found out that they did those, uh, those, uh, those egg sandwiches, man, oof, I was all about that. I always got it on a Kaiser yeah. roll, um, which was as uh, close to getting it on a bagel and uh, like and emulating my bagel sand, like my bagel breakfast sandwich life as possible. You, are you, <coughs> excuse me, are you, are you a fan of Taylor Ham? Yes, dude, fucking I love Taylor Ham. Okay, so I was a caddy for five years, right? Um, and, uh, and so what you would do is you would show up to the caddy shack early in the morning to get your name on the list, but then you would leave uh, when the bagel place opened and go get bagels. Um, and I would always get two Taylor Ham toasted uh, um, uh, on a plain, on a plain bagel. Uh, Taylor Ham, egg and cheese toasted on a plain bagel. Uh, and it was just oh so good, dude. I fucking love Taylor Ham. Taylor yeah, Ham is also known as so salt? it's pork roll, pork roll, pork roll in other places of the country that are not New Jersey. Well, no, no, that so what it is 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 in the South Jersey, which is you know the place for for nerds is 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 where it's called pork roll. Okay. Um, it is technically Taylor brand pork roll because it didn't meet like the FDA's definition of ham or something. So in like nineteen somethings, they had to rename it. Um, it's not known as anything else anywhere else because no one eats it besides New Jersey um, and maybe New York and like you can find other places like there's actually a place down the street for me that sells it which is weird really wow um, that's that's yeah you are you are lucky yeah it's definitely in um, uh, in uh, in New York because I've had it in New York but I think in New York they call it like salt pork or something like that no they, they call it well at least where I've been in New York they call it Taylor Hammond usually on like the Jersey or whatever they, they fucking call it um uh, because because New York is close to North Jersey mm -hmm. and the North Jersey terminology is Taylor Ham. Have you ever had a North uh, Jersey uh, uh, sloppy Joe? What is that? No. Uh, so there's a, the, like, it, this might be like a band of like Central New Jersey. Um, if you go to like a mom and pop kind of like sub place or something like that and order a sloppy Joe, it's not a sloppy Joe in like the way that you would think of it, like the Billy Madison kind of like ground beef, you know, right, on, right. A, on a hamburger bun. It is. Um, uh, it's basically just a coleslaw sandwich with stuff on it. You know what I mean? With whatever meat you want to put in there. Um, huh. It's delicious. It's great. I love it. I uh, Yeah. It's just, yeah, it's 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 the best. Have you ever had Italian hot dogs from uh, Jimmy Buffs? Uh, no. What's an Italian hot dog? So well, it's, is, so is, you that, is that the sausage when you, it's just the sausage, but in a hot it's dog sauce bun? So, no, no. Oh, okay. It is, it is, you take uh, like a, they call it pizza bread. It looks kind of like a pita. And it, like, forms, like, a, a half shell like that, but it's a little bit thicker. And you put either hot dogs or sausage in it. And then you put fried potatoes, peppers, onions, salt, ketchup, mustard in it. It is the most divine thing. Holy like, shit, that sounds fucking Heart attack amazing. on a bun, but it is, it is amazing. Yeah, yeah, I can't um, remember what they're called, but there's the, like, I used to get, um, you know, like, the, the green in Morristown? Did you, do you know the geography of Morristown? Yeah, yeah, They had, like, hot dog places. Um, you could go there and you could get a special kind of hot dog that was basically just an Italian sausage, but like in a hot dog bun. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, enough, enough about Jersey food. <laughs> is, this, is, this is all okay because Jimmy's from New Jersey. So I hope he understands okay. some of these references. Anyway, Oof. uh, does he have other questions? Yeah, he does. What street fighter characters do you play and why? Um, I play Zangief and typically other grappler grapplers. I like the grappling play style. Um, although, I have in the past played Dudley and Gokin and Dan for various essential reasons, um, uh, but my favorites are, my favorites probably 
Zangief Definitely overall. Feel that. Yeah, I've always been a Dulcim guy, uh, literally because on the flight to Japan, when we moved to Japan when I was nine, um, they had a little in-flight video game kit thing. Uh, and you can only play a couple of like NES games uh, or Super NES games, and I could play Street Fighter 2, and I played E Honda, and I played Dalsim, and I liked both of them a lot. So E Honda and Dalsim have always been my fave. Fair enough. I think the first player character I ever played was was Honda, um, and that was because uh, you could do you could just rapid tap a button to get a special move out instead of having to do motions and weird stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um. Uh, have you heard of Divinity Original Sin 2 and their D&D mode? What, do you think that could be cool? I have heard of Divinity Original Sin 2. I'm not familiar with the D&D mode, but Divinity Original Sin is pretty cool. So I think it, I think it kickstarted it, so I'll probably have it. So uh, Divinity, uh, the, 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 D, the D&D mode, I think, is there's like a DM, right? Um, uh, I, 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 have a, I have a feeling that that's, what, uh, that that's what that is. I don't know all that much about it. I didn't like Divinity Original Sin. I have had the worst experience with these CRPGs. Um, uh... But you know, uh, I I I am always uh, I'm always in in the running for really cool, really interesting. Uh, yeah, that, it, it's called the game master mode. Yeah, there is a uh, poly there is a polygon article that says Divinity Original Sin 2's game master mode replicates Dungeons and Dragons perfectly for May 9th of twenty seventeen. So I, I I doubt that just because I don't think you can get like. I'll feel like you could capture a lot of like the the kind of like tabletop aspects of of uh, like I think ultimately it becomes like a game where one person controls the creatures and you don't get as much of the uh, uh, you don't get as much of the story stuff and you, you just can't solve things in the same ways. Um, so I doubt that'll actually be just like Dungeons and Dragons, but it looks neat. Um, I was a fan of it in in Neverwinter Nights. Well, I I think it's good that we uh, that we that we attack uh, attack the, the 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 semantics at play. Um, uh... <laughs> I mean, you can't say it replicates D. You can't say it replicates D and D perfectly, and have that be like a true statement, right? Like that, 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 that's a definite, definitive statement there, right? Like that sounds like someone who's never actually played D and D. Are you now casting aspersions on Philip Kohler that he's never played D and D before? Mango. No. God, wow, Mango. What, what I'm saying is, is that like. Playing D and D encompasses more than the ability to arbitrarily generate monsters. Okay, fair enough. Um, the uh, yeah, that this kind of thing is something that I have always, always, always wanted to play. Um, I have never seen a good version of it. I've heard that it's it was in like a couple of Wii U games, uh, but never quite worked out. Um, my, I would love it, dude. If Din Divinity Original Sin executed on this well, I think that would be really the, that would be really great. That would be just. Man, that would be that would be awesome. Um, but uh, uh, I'll believe it when I see it. I guess I'm I'm not a I'm not a big fan of signing on to very ambitious, uh, breaking ground features in games like this. I feel like a lot of the time they fall, uh, they fall short. Yep. Uh, guiltiest pleasure for music. Oh, dude, the uh, the the song "Photograph" by Nickelback. I very oh, unironically gosh. love that song. Uh. For me, it's got to be, like, rockabilly stuff. I just love that stuff, unironically. Um, but I think most of it's kind of trashy. Like, I was if you remember, I was trying to pitch you on uh, Guitar Gangsters and Cadillac Blood by, uh, by fucking, uh, what's, what's the name of this? Uh, 
uh, what's the name of the band? Uh, hold on. Guitar music. Uh, hold on. Volbeat. And it's kind of oh, trashy, yeah, but yeah, I love yeah, that yeah, shit. Yeah. yeah, you did tell me that. Yeah, I love I love that shit. Uh, uh, but yeah, that that's it. Kind of like. Uh, and then what else do we got? Uh, oh, I'm in the wrong. Uh, for me, when did you start listening to YouTube videos at two times speed, you robot? Um, <laughs> I think it was around like maybe a year ago at this point, maybe a little bit less than that. But basically, like I. Uh, I started watching, like, I was like, I only had, like, 15 minutes to go somewhere, but I want to watch a 30-minute video. So it was, it was something where, like, basically, I only had enough time to watch the thing if I watched it two times speed, so I figured I'd give it a shot. And then I just kind of, like, hooked on it. Um, and now I can't listen to things at one time speed because everything feels too slow. Uh, but, yeah, uh, I, I I listen to some videos at one time speed. Like, a lot of comedy stuff I'll listen to at one time speed because I, so, I can soak in it. But, like... I love kind of like, like I find that people talk to you so from now and I think that might just be because um, I've watched everything at two times speed from now on but sometimes I need to slow it down but I I really enjoy it uh, so when yeah. you when you watch things at two times speed are you like you are watching them yes uh, but you're not doing anything else generally yeah um, I will watch some longer form things on the side while I play like a game that I don't have to think too hard about yeah, yeah. Um, when, when there's not much happening on screen. Like, I just feel like I need something. It's essentially the same thing with podcasts. I feel like I need something to distract my eyes. Um, and if that's something I can do without, like, thinking about it too hard, it's all the more the better. Um, and then his last question. Uh, longevity of esports. Do you actually think this is an everlasting industry or it will be gone within 100 years? Um, I don't think we'll see the same. Like, I don't think League will be around in 100 years. But I do think esports as a concept will survive for, for a longer time. I think esports as a concept will outmode traditional sports. It's my hot take. I think oh. by the time we get a hundred, when we're talking in scales of hundreds of, you know, like in hundred years, I think there's a pretty good shot at the end of the next century that we won't be playing baseball, football, basketball, you know, whatever else. Yeah, I, I think for like the particularly dangerous sports, like that's that's definitely true. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I um, I mean to be honest with you, I, I I've never been much. I played baseball when I was a kid. I played hockey and stuff like that. Um, and, uh, but I, I feel like it's just reading the signs, you know what I mean? Like fewer and fewer people are, are being brought up in a society that cares about this stuff. Um, and I think more and more of them are being brought up in a society that cares about games. Um, and so it'll just kind of be like a, a natural, a natural kind of, it dies out, I, you know? I, I don't think that we're actually I, I don't I'm not with you on the, the decline of interest in regular sports I think there's still like a healthy interest in that I don't think that's really declining that much um, and I think especially interest in kind of like raw athleticism and talent um, adds kind of like a, a, a an unknown factor that you don't get as much in video in esports that I like you know like like uh, essentially right like a, a wide receiver in football um like his ability to catch a ball is something that's kind of variable and like depending on the skill of the wide receiver, whereas that's kind of like something that's like set out by meted numbers in, in, in a, uh, in a video game. And so I think there's some value in that variation there um, that, that will give it a little bit more longevity, but I could also see things like, you know, the controversy surrounding concussions or whatever leading to that being, uh, being curtailed sharply. Yeah. 
I mean, um, I think I think it is very plausible that high school football starts getting outmoded um, because of the danger of you know like the very real physical danger of this stuff. And once you, I feel like once you cut that off, man, dude, you're just like severing the aorta for this stuff. Um, in a lot of ways, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, I, 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 I'm not trying to say that I think these sports are unhealthy now. I mean, there are a couple of them that are teetering, right? Like hockey does this all the time because it just doesn't have very good viewership. Um, but it is definitely declining compared to like, compared to other things. Um, and there will come a point if that, if that decline stays true, right? There will come a point when, when we reach kind of, a uh a kind of a ground zero of you know these things start dying off the nhl goes out of business or whatever um you know football is probably the last of them obviously because it's the biggest right but i think that uh, i don't know i think that it is i, I, I think, think baseball right. survives i think like baseball and golf survive and tennis survive because they're relatively low danger i actually so, think like, i actually think that golf will survive no matter what just because it's kind of like catering to a completely different aspect of the aspect of like the populace you know what i mean like i think i think a lot of what props up regular sports right now is essentially interest that comes from being an adolescent right you know doing kind of little league into you know into high school football into college sports of kind of whatever variety right but once you start to cut those things off once those things take take on less of a less of a uh, uh kind of like uh importance uh for for people I, you know, you you you're, you're you're undermining the whole system on which most of this stuff is is uh, uh, built on top of. Golf uh, is built not, on a different system that I don't think is is in that same process. I I, I don't think you've quite. I, I think that there's interest in professional sports beyond kind of like continuation of high school kind of fantasy and achievement. I think there's just like plain kind of regular interest in in, athle- in athleticism yeah i mean there, there's um, plenty of other factors to it too i'm just i my, my my philosophy is that the core of it is that like i mean i don't know how much what you did in high school right uh but i think there's a lot to be said for people that inherit this stuff from their parents for instance right like if my dad is a whatever's fan i might end up being a whatever's fan uh you know what i mean and i think that kind of that kind of through line is probably not going away anytime soon um but uh but yeah, I think the big thing about esports is that none of the esports that have come around, including League of Legends, and this is all, all also a big uh, a big change from my part because I used to think uh, that it was this way, is that you you need to find you you just need to find a good game for it, like a game where the competition makes sense, the rules make sense, the the context of the game makes sense. I used to downplay a lot of the viewership problems that come with spectating League of Legends. Um, as not being uh, as not being as bad or critically important as they are, but really at the end of the day they do. And as long as esports continue catering to experts uh, rather than novices, um, uh, you'll 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 kind of always end up in this spot, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, I, I think maybe we're, we're starting to see a kind of shift in that direction with with PUBG, which is a game that like can only so much rely on. Uh rely on 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 uh, skill um similar things have been said about street fighter 5 in that um by kind of like flatlining out like the skill requirement with the game um the the outcomes are, are more varied which is better for kind of viewers but less good for uh 
less good for actual players. So yeah, yeah. I mean, I definitely think uh, that that kind of thing is true. Uh, it's also I like I think Hearthstone is a pretty good example. Um, I mean, Hearthstone esports is just something I want to talk a lot about, so I'll put a pin in that actually. But I just think there there are a lot of different ways that you can approach your esports content besides the riot approach, um, and uh, and tr trying to figure out which one of them are best. Um, yeah, I don't know. All right. Uh, let's let's move over to Jovelin's two questions. Okay, Jovelin uh, has asked us two questions um, from the Discord. The first one is: Console wars have we as gamers benefited from them? If so, how? So I think there's some minor benefits to be to be to be gathered from like competition and whatnot, and driving the kind of the technology forward. But I think in kind of the long run, it's a net negative because I think that things like exclusives are ultimately harmful to the industry. And it's kind of like make people angry and and uh, mean that games don't come out on good systems like the PC. Um, so there are some benefits, but I think ultimately in the long run, it's, it's a net negative. I think uh, in terms of historically, I think consoles are amazingly important um, and amazingly good uh, insofar as they have... Uh, they, 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 they lowered the barrier of entry to gaming... Um, by a lot and they framed gaming in such a way that it was like kind of a, a toy which put it in the hands of kids you know what i mean and it, like they, that kind of thing is natural to, to to whatever extent um but it also it also makes games more ubiquitous and affordable than if we had just relied on like if we had had no consoles and we relied on personal computers to uh to kind of chart the trajectory for for games right um, gaming as, as a culture would be a lot different without a Nintendo, uh, without Playstations and Xboxes and everything. I think really up until the last generation, uh, consoles have been, um, useful as an accessibility tool, right? As like an affordability tool. Um, at this point, consoles are just so expensive and they're basically just miniature computers that there's not a lot of point to them. And I think we have outmoded consoles by this, the eighth generation of consoles, um, but I think 10 years ago when we were looking at the Xbox 360 and PlayStation 3, we had not reached that point yet um, and ended I, up reaching that point over the course of the seventh generation. I, I think that's a slightly different question than, than, than what was asked. Like, I think that the value of consoles is definitely there, but I think the value of the console wars, which is essentially this intrinsic infighting between the major players in the console gaming market, I think I think those are slightly different things, and I think the console wars, um, ra like rather than doing things like them putting everything on a standard, and like pushing things in slightly different directions that way, in instead like embracing this kind of like exclusive mentality, um, and it's kind of like 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 pitting people against each other mentality is is, is was was is not as great. Uh, yeah, I think all of that stuff is bad. I do think that there's just kind of a baseline, right? Like when you have a lot of competition. Um, yeah. That we 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 bet we benefit from them right uh like the sega genesis competing against you know well i don't really know the consoles from that era but even like the playstation 2 versus the xbox versus the, the gamecube you know the ps3 versus the xbox 360 i think those things are uh you know like that that competition has been good in the past but has now been outmoded because pcs are universal and and pcs get competition in a way like because pcs are competition on a micro level in the sense that you kind of have like amd as a graphics card competing against you know uh nvidia as a graphics card or intel competing against you know what, whatever else kind of thing um 
all of those that competition all benefits the end goal of the pc as a gaming platform right um which is the which is the ultimate benefit of of uh the console and so at this point yeah we're pretty we're pretty outmoded on what you know what is useful when it comes to console gaming yep uh i think uh, i think that handles that question uh, and then Joe Bolin's last question is also, how has early access changed the gaming landscape? Which is a very interesting one. You and I have talked about early access a bunch of times, but I actually haven't, I don't have a very good answer for how I think it has changed the gaming landscape. I mean, I, I, th I think we've got, I, I think this is kind of a point along a, along a continuum. I think when we got kind of the ability to easily patch games via the internet, we had a drop in kind of initial release quality, and this is kind of just another further step along that. Um, the ability to release a game before it's done um, and gather money on it is um, has the the kind of benefits of allowing more games to market and kind of allowing a broader variety of people to make games, which is a positive, um, kind of opposed by the negative of the number of games that never leave early access um, and just kind of like, float on and then eventually get dropped before they're they're finished before the feature set is uh, you know development halts before the promised feature set is finished um it also kind of locks some games into this weird state where like you know like i i think that the 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 best example i can think of this is minecraft when it was still in in beta um there were plans eventually to make like the weird block physics where like things didn't fall um there there are plans to change that to make to give them physics but kind of like the fact that it existed so long with those weird block physics meant that they had to kind of um, leave that in place in order for the game to continue and function as it was, which has an interesting effect on um, on on kind of game uh, on, on kind of game production. Um, but but I think I, I I think there's there's been both positive and ne negative aspects to it. Uh yeah, I I I basically agree with all of that. I don't know. All right. Well, <laughs> I think I think at the end of the day, it is a net positive. I guess I will say that. I think having uh, diverse models for how you can get your game funded um, and out there is, you know, at the end of the day, that is just such a powerful thing that it overcomes the other negatives, though they obviously exist, and it is a mixed bag, no matter what. Yeah, I, I think there's a big heaping helping of caveat on tour when it comes to purchasing early access games. Yeah. Uh, uh, and you just have to be cognizant of that, and that shifts the responsibility to us off of, um, off of kind of like the producer. But you know that that that's what it is. Um, all right, let's let's rapid fire through Sour Patches. Other fucking questions. Uh, how did how did Buddy get the nickname Big Dick Buddy? Oh God. Okay. Uh, so in high school, I used to wear pajama pants uh, under my actual pants um, because it was more comfortable, and it was in like the winter or whatever. Um, and I, and I was cold, but then when it became spring, uh, I eventually was like, well, why am I going back to fucking jeans? The pajama pants are the most, the most, uh, comfortable one thing. So I started going to school in pajama pants. And at one point in pajama pants, um, there was a guy, there was a, a friend of mine. Well, not really kind of a friend of my friend who was kind of a very flamboyant uh, gay guy. And uh, and he saw, I guess, my dick and then grabbed it a little bit and then was like, oh my God, your dick is huge. And then that spread around school really quickly. And then that's how I got that name. 
That's how that happened. So you got... Is that I got, how you got sexually your first assaulted. Girlfriend? It's really the end of the day. That's <laughs> that's what happened. Though I didn't really think of it in those terms at the time. Yeah. Is that how you got your first girlfriend? Uh, no, that is not. Actually, I had to overcome that uh, in order to get uh, in order to get girlfriends because it also came with this this weird reputation of being kind of like a player, which was completely ah. unfounded. Basically, um, uh, so I had to kind of convince people that I was like a committed person looking for love instead of just like looking to just like fuck or whatever the other oh also okay so the other half of this is that it quickly became a game between myself and max and z max and z being my two best friends in um in high school to show one another our dicks uh basically of do you remember the movie waiting they had a game that was about trying to show someone your ball sack um, and that was that, like, you, you would try and, like, non nonchalantly show them your ball sack. And Zeev did not participate in this game. He was the victim. Um, but basically, we would, do, we would just do these things where we would just, like, you know, like, we would all be, uh, we would all be, like, in a sleepover or whatever. And then Max would come down the stairs butt naked. And we would all, you know what I mean? That We also played Strip Smash Brothers, where if you lose the game of Smash, uh, you, you had to strip. Um... And eventually we were just naked playing Super Smash Brothers Melee. There was a lot of nudity in my college experience or my high school experience. Yeah, that's that's weird. <laughs> okay, I guess. Oh, where, where where did where did the buddy part of your nickname come from? Uh there's really not a good example uh for this. When I um my grandfather, my mother's father, uh, had a quasi-nickname that wasn't even really much of a nickname where people called him Buddy, um, just because uh, his name was Charles, and uh, and like the, the fashion on that side of the family was to name the eldest son Charles, and so there were a whole bunch of Charleses. Um, when I was born, I was bald, uh, and that was a comparison to my grandfather, and so they started calling me Buddy for that reason. And it just stuck. And it just and it just stuck. Well, actually, there was a while where I didn't like it anymore, uh, where uh, I started calling where I all of my friends called me Chris, and I went by Chris for a long time. But then, uh, when I switched schools to go to high school, like I I went to, I was in middle school in Morristown, and then I went to Maplewood for high school. Um, I realized that I liked Buddy better, and so I started going by that, and I've gone by that ever since. Neat. Yeah, I don't know. Friends of the cast. My real name is Christopher. Fun fact. Yeah. Uh, how did Mango get the nickname Mango? That is a good is question. Por- it's just a portmanteau of my first and last name. Right, right. But what was the onus for that portmanteau happening? Um, people call me by my last name a lot, and then I had a brother that was like ran in enough close enough cir- social circles that there was like a need for distinction. Also, kind of desire to kind of like this was partially seeded by me. Um, so we had triplets in our grade. Um, that all, that, that did similar, like, they were like Matt, Seth, and Albert. And so they went by the, um, the kind of abbreviations of their last name with, with the, um, with their first letters of their names. Um, and so that just kind of like, eventually somebody applied it to me. I was like, ah, it's mango. I was like, ah, that's pretty great. And it's kind of like went from there. Um, but so it's been like, like since middle school, um, you know. I, it's a it's a nickname that I that I embraced. That's all. Fair enough. Uh, in fact, it's much more universal in college in, and my post college life because I introduced myself as Mango generally. Mm. Um, whereas in high school, there were still people who called me by my last name um, or occasionally by my first does, name. Does your brother go by Grango? 
Uh, that would be amazing. Not, not, the only people who call him Grango are my friends, um, and he hates it. Uh, okay. Like, uh, he goes by Tang, or he goes, yeah, my last name's Tango. Woo. Uh, he goes by, uh, by, by, by our last name. Um, huh. Question three. What is your favorite Ghibli movie? Um, oh, oh, wow. That's a good one. Uh, my favorite is Princess Mononoke. Uh, mine is Howl's Moving Castle. Uh, moving on. Uh, what specs would be good to make a new PC if I wanted to use Adobe Flash, Photoshop, Premiere? Um, if that's literally all you're going to use, you're probably best off getting like a MacBook. Like they're built to, to do that. Um, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I just built a new PC, but it was so that I could be, I could have powerful gaming, um, which was, uh, a big, I don't know. Uh, that, that, that was a, that was a, that was a big priority of mine. So my PC is a gaming PC. Uh, the, the graphics card, I have a 1080, a GTX 1080 Ti graphics card, um, which is insanely powerful, obviously. Um, and I like it a lot. I definitely recommend it to folks. Um, I don't know. Uh, where does Final Fantasy VII stand in your list of best games of all time? I've never, I've never played, played it. it. Wow. All yeah, right. Yeah, I have never, I have never all played right. it. Question six. Did you ever try and steal Sephiroth's sword during the flashback? Irrelevant, since we never played the game. Um, what is your favorite anime? What is your favorite manga of all time? We already answered anime. I have um, never read a manga. The only manga I read with any regularity is One Punch Man, so that wins by default. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, what is your, uh, favorite anime manga slash manga that you're watching reading recently and they aren't the same um well for manga the answers have to stay the same um anime recently i've really enjoyed uh uh boku no hero academia i've heard that's um, really good it's it's fun uh it's it's, it's actually kind of like one punch man but uh, it's it's been a lot of fun i watched a bit of it with 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 akshay um i give give my thumbs up to that uh, have you watched any anime recently? Um, no, to be honest, I, I, I really haven't. Uh, I The only anime, the most recent anime I've watched, which is maybe like six months ago, was the first season to Attack on Titan, to see what all the, uh. the, the craze was about. Uh, and I thought it was very good. And given what I thought was going to end up happening on Attack on Titan, I was like, wow, this is actually really exciting. And then I heard from someone about what the anime, what direction the anime took, which was an insanely... that, that It was like... That's, the, that's the, the manga goes in a weird direction. I don't know if the anime goes... Is, is, are you talking about the anime or the manga? Uh, the, the, they, the manga. Somebody told me what, okay. what happened in the manga, and uh, and I was like, Jesus, like, fucking... What the hell are you... Where, where what, what what are you doing, was my, was my kind of initial thought there. Okay. Um, and... Uh, so I am much less excited, though I have recently heard from Warren. I actually got dinner with Warren the other day, and we talked about uh, Attack on Titan. He was like, no, dude, the anime is amazing. Yeah, the second season has gotten good reviews. Um, uh, uh, do, do, have you watched the pilot for Death Note yet? No, I have not. All right. Watch that before we, we, we do the uh, the cast. Okay. Um, uh, I have hot takes about that anime uh, that we will discuss Oof. next week. Um, all right. That's his second email. Third email, Sour Patch. If you were to gain superpowers, what would those powers be, and what would your hero name be? Um, this one's easy for me. Uh, I have always wanted to have telekinetic powers. Um, I feel like telekinesis is a woefully underutilized but very cool power set just in general. My superhero name would be Scion, uh, S-C-I-O-N, just because I think it looks cool. 
Not really because it has any depth or meaning behind it. Um, yeah, I'd want the ability to kind of like, I just want to live forever. Call me Mr. Immortal. Oh. Like literally that character would be fine. Okay. <laughs> um, would, you, would you stop crime? Would you fight crime? Um, my understanding is this includes an, an implicit kind of endorsement of crime fighting. Yeah. I mean, if I had the power to do good, I would, I would do that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, how do you best waste time at work? Um, I argue with Buddy on the internet. That's a good one. That's a very good one. Right at this moment, it is, uh, uh, right at this moment, it is watch uh, Hearthstone streams. Because I've been watching a lot of Hearthstone streams, and, and, and I'm super into Hearthstone, I guess, at the moment. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, question three. How how often do you guys exercise and how much water do you drink each day? I rarely exercise. I occasionally go on hikes. Um, and I drink a ton of Coke Zero, <laughs> so whatever amount of water is in that. Water by itself, not a ton. I uh, I drink an insane amount of water. Uh, uh, a couple of cups of water each day. I don't know how many, to be honest with you. Um, at work, I drink more. I have a 24-ounce fluid ounce, like water bottle thing that I fill up and, and down multiple times over the course of uh, my, you know, nine hours. Um, the only exercise I do each week is uh, on my lunch break most commonly what I will end up doing is uh, putting on like a podcast, like I have an hour for lunch, I'll put on a podcast and I will try and I will walk just around uh, the, the, the building that I am. A lot of the time I will try and walk to a specific place that's kind of tough to get to. Um, like there's a subway that's like a mile and a half away, so like three miles round trip. So it's like you kind of like it's like a brisk, brisk, brisk pace. That's my that's my exercise. Yeah, I when when I was still working at the company I used to work to, I would walk to it every day, which is like a mile and a half, two miles. Um, but I haven't been doing that for a while since I haven't been working. Uh, what is the powerhouse of the cell? It's the mitochondria. It's the mitochondria. <laughs> have either of you ever been arrested? Um, yes, actually, I have been arrested. I was arrested uh, for you, shoplifting in in high school. Uh, I uh, I don't think I was technically arrested, but I once like, got so blackout drunk that they had to handcuff me to the hospital bed, um, and then they transported me to the hospital. Uh, low point in my life. Uh, yeah. Any? any do you want to go into detail about your shoplifting? Uh, you know, I just I I would sh I would steal my lunch every day from the local. Uh, like the local a and p which is like a supermarket um and at one point the manager saw me putting stuff in my pockets uh in the aisles and he took me to his office and called the police and we basically went through the whole thing where my admission of guilt was kind of assumed i was absolutely planning to steal that stuff and so i never challenged it um and so the police came they arrested me i got suspended from school for stealing uh and because it was on my lunch at school or whatever uh, and I ended up going to court, but because I had never admitted to it, and because, more importantly, I had never walked past the register line, uh, I had technically never stolen anything. Um, the guy, all of this stuff, uh, in the, in the context of what actually happened, uh, didn't constitute stealing, so I was, uh, uh, I, I guess I was acquitted. I don't think I was technically acquitted. I think technically, like, the, the case was thrown out of court, um or something like that. And then I eventually went, 
Uh, and I had a really good relationship with the vice principal who did disciplinary stuff because he did the musical every year and I did the musical every year. And I convinced him to wipe that suspension and that record off of my uh, my school records so that when I was applying to colleges the following year, no one knew. So my whole life basically played out very differently based on the outcome of that whole thing, that whole situation. Neat. All right. <laughs> Uh, is California really that amazing to live in, and should I be jealous living on the East Coast? Yes, it is amazing. California's the best. Live here. It's okay. Uh, I wouldn't be jealous. If you're living in Baltimore, maybe, but it's, it's I feel all like right. You live in New- I feel like uh, uh, Sour, Patch Sour Patch lives in uh, New Jersey. Uh, well, like he I don't lives think somewhere, somewhere kind of by like Fort Lee, I want to say, is what he told me. Uh, like near there. Uh, well, I don't know. I think it's all right out here. I don't think it's that special. Uh, I think California's very special. I highly recommend mm. it to everyone and anyone and everyone. Uh, question seven. What do you think about Asian people? <laughs> <coughs> I don't know. I uh, mean, I, I, have, I am pretty immersed. Uh, I have a lot of Asian friends, obviously. Like, a lot of our friends are Asian. Uh, my stepmother is Asian. I lived in Japan. Uh... So I feel good about. I, I don't know. Uh, the Chinese are a barbarous people. The Koreans <laughs> are the best. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, it, is, it is always funny to me because I think of racism so much in a black versus white American context. Um, people don't understand like the kind of racism that happens between Japanese people and Korean people, oh, which I, 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 lo- I love interracial ho- racism. Yeah, I find it an eminently hilarious topic. Uh, you know what my fa- my favorite thing is is for like given the least amount of prodding, occasionally without any prodding at all, uh, Chinese people will shit on Korean culture. <laughs> I have no idea why. I don't know, dude. I also uh, I also find the difference between kind of mainland Chinese people and Taiwanese people and the way that they their cultures interact to be in a similar sense uh, funny, which is kind of awful if you think about it. Being that like you know what I mean, like. These are deep-seated real problems, like, in, in you know, so in society, I think, but I just find them hilarious. I think it am- find it amusing in the context of essentially Taiwanese-Americans and Chinese-Americans having these same kind of cultural, like, rubbing points where, like, they're not in that situation, right? Yeah. Like, it's, like, they're both living in the American democracy. Um, and, and so those things are, 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 are kind of amusing to me. Um yeah, moving on before we dig our holes any deeper. Yeah. <laughs> uh, would you fill, save five people by pulling a lever to kill one? The classic oh trolley problem. God. Yes, yes. Less people dying is good. No, I do not have the right to condemn anybody to death. Mango's um, awful. Mango, you're a terrible person. No, I'm not awful. You're a murderer. <laughs> I'm just an observer. I don't care. I'm, I'm, if I am murdering one person in order to save in order to save the five, I, I'm absolutely... I do not have the right... I do not have the right to condemn anybody to death. Um... Uh, <laughs> Uh, how awesome is Stranger Things? Uh, we, we did a whole podcast. That, yeah. We did a whole podcast on that. Oh fuck! fuck Stranger you, Things Sour is Pouch. coming out. Fuck! That's another episode. Oh god we damn it! To we have to do that too. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's. Uh, oh man. Well, you know. What is the easiest way you guys think is to murder someone and get away with it? Um, if you don't, if if you want to murder someone in particular, if you just want to murder someone, uh, I don't know, go to like Russia and shoot someone in Siberia. No one will care. Uh, if you want to murder someone in particular, um, I would say uh, you probably uh, 
uh, want to get them to kill themselves. I don't know. Uh, Make them so. Uh, oh, easiest. Huh? I can't That's... believe I know the. I can't believe I know the answer to this off the top of my head. Don't don't like like judge me for this. Okay, so if you just want to murder someone, right? Like you just want to have like the 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 rush of killing another person. Um, the easiest way to do that would probably be something along the lines of like military service. Um, uh, but obviously, I kind of think that defeats the purpose of the question since we wouldn't consider that murder in a lot of cases, right? Um, same thing with cops, obviously. So if you wanted to, like, actually murder someone... Uh, so according to the FBI, there are about 200 active serial killers at any given time in the United States. Uh, and it is incredibly hard to detect and find them. And the reason why is because they they prey on um, kind of, like, the underbelly of society that doesn't get looked after. Um, so, like, the top three murder victims are prostitutes, homeless people, and runaways. Um and so if you were looking to if you were looking to just like get get your jollies off by killing somebody that would be your target you know what i mean like you would you that you you would want to target one of these groups of people um uh, because they are the least likely uh to have connections to pe to people that would call the police that would get them you know called on you you also want to do something random right uh catching ser serial killers who choose their targets randomly is much harder than catching serial killers who choose their targets deliberately right the reason w that we know the zodiac killer uh was um I was about to say Lee Harvey Oswald. Um, Arthur Lee Allen um, is because he chose his targets uh, deliberately in, in a couple of places, and that, that allows police to kind of, like, string the context together. Uh, the other thing that you're also advised to do, this is what cartels do. Um, so if you want to murder somebody specifically and get away with it, the way the cartel does that um, is they essentially kidnap the person, take them to a secluded place, uh, kill them. Uh, dispose of the body discreetly a lot of the times the breaking bad kind of acid you know like you dissolve it in acid sort of thing uh, the metal lands in New Jersey are filled with bodies uh, that were dumped there by gangsters um, but not Jimmy Hoffa's uh, but not Jimmy Hoffa's <laughs> um, someone someone checked when they were really built the new stadium someone checked beneath the old stadium before they paved it back over and he wasn't there uh, wow, I didn't actually know that. Uh, yeah, that, that was like a thing. Like the old rumor was that his body was buried beneath Giant Stadium. Right, right, right. And then, and then they said that they weren't going to do anything about it. And then some construction worker was like, "Fuck it," and went and looked, um, and he wasn't there. Fair enough. Um, uh, but the reason, you know, like the reason that kind of thing, you know, that the reason that kind of thing obviously works is water erodes things, and sometimes it gets to a point where you can't identify bodies, right? Making sure the body, the body can't be identified is important, and disposing of the murder weapon is also important. It's really hard to make a conviction without a, mur without a murder weapon, without a body. So, there's that. Obviously, you don't yeah. kill people. Killing people is wrong and stupid and bad, and don't do it, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm making a very good case for the fact that I've just killed people given the trolley problem. I just said I don't care if I'm a murderer. And then immediately <laughs> afterward, describe a process by which you would successfully murder people. Thanks, Sour Patch, for, for helping us bring <laughs> Buddy Delight as, as America's active serial killer. <laughs> the Batman v Superman killer, right? Like, Oof. <laughs> uh, all right, question 11. What are your views on the prison system? Personally, I can... I can do the time and the labor and the food is pretty much the ass rape that I can't handle. You think there should be oh some God. kind of system to get rid of the ass rape? If not, what do you guys think about an insert butt plug that activated sensitivity to the anus area where it opens up with blades so that when people trying to ass rape you in prison, it just rips their dicks to shreds? Um, so there's actually like uh, for for women, there's a thing that you can insert into your into your vagina. 
that is basically like it's like a bunch of inward facing spikes so if someone tries to penetrate you against your will they get caught um and it like sticks on the person's dick um so i, I imagine something like that miniaturized for the asshole would, would work uh well um um i think i think all rape is bad um yep uh, that that's I'm gonna I, I think I'm gonna leave it at that. I think the private uh, I think the private prison system is pretty bad in general, but you know, is what it is. I mostly think that yeah. things like the war on drugs and mandatory minimum sentences and stuff like that are bad. I think there should be less people in prison um, in general, but uh, uh, private yeah, prisons. I agree. That, this this whole complex I think is is pretty fucked up and bad and should be gotten rid of. Uh. What does 100 episodes mean, truly mean to you guys as entertainers? What does 100 episodes mean to you guys as friends? Uh, as entertainers, I don't know if it means much because there's not many people we entertain. Interestingly enough, I don't really think of myself as an entertainer on the podcast. Yeah, neither do I. I think of myself mostly as like a critic or uh, I don't know. Yeah, mostly as uh, a critic, I guess. Um, as friends, you know, I think it proves that, uh, I don't know. I can tolerate your bullshit for this long. Probably will tolerate it for. <laughs> I actually have to say that I feel very good about our friendship just from that like perspective, uh, which is that like you and I disagree about a lot of things, but I think the ability for us to hold like kind of a mutual respect for one another in life, yeah. in, in, despite those things, uh, is 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 important and good. Um, so. Yeah, no, I agree with that. All right, this 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 question is gonna be. Uh, Interesting. Are you guys best friends? Um, Oof. I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I really have anybody I'd call my best friend at this point. Um, I think you're certainly up there. I think you're certainly top 10 friends, buddy. I don't know if I'd want to rank them. Uh, yeah, I kind of think the idea of a best friend is something that's juvenile. And I don't mean that in a disparaging yeah. way, but it is something that's very important for kids, you know? to have a best friend um in uh and, in, and i think sorry go on well and, and so like and so for instance like the idea that max and zeve were my best friends in high school i've talked about them a couple of times in the cast right like that is really important to me right the, the fact that karen was my best friend in college right but by the time i'm out of college and i'm fully fledged into an adult the concept of a best friend is more uh is 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 less important to me i sh shut up rachel um Mostly yeah, I was because, gonna say you have a fiance. You're right, right, probably right, supposed right. to answer so, with that. So if I were if I were like forced to to answer the question, the answer would be Rachel, right? Because she's the person with which I share the most of myself and on whom I depend the most, right? This is the strongest social connection I have, and insofar as that is what we de de define best best friendhood being, right? Rachel is my best friend, but I think that that is uh, I think that that's kind of a. Uh, uh, I don't think that that's how we define it when we're juvenile, uh, when we're kids, you know what I mean? Um, and I think that by the time I'm an adult, it's an outmoded thing, so I just kind of don't have one. I have lots of very, very good friends. And like I said before, right, like I put work into into these friendships, right? It was a very conscious decision for me to pick up PUBG and start playing with, you know, with Mango and with Monik and with X and stuff like that because I was aware of the fact that I hadn't done a lot of that kind of thing since we had put League down a year before, right? You know what I mean? So like, they're friends, yeah. they're very good friends. I think about I think about my relationships and I make decisions about my relationships, but best friends I think is an outmoded concept. Definitely. Yeah, I, I, I think it definitely, at least for us, I, I think that there are people for which there is somebody that they can singularly define as their best friend. I don't think there's a problem with that, but I don't think that's either you or me. 
Um, in terms of kind of relevant things, I don't think there's anybody I'd rather be doing this podcast with than you, um, for what it's worth. Um, so, you know, there's that. Um, so take from that what you will. I think we've covered that significantly. I mean, I think the, uh, I think the real answer is I'd rather be doing this podcast with myself, right? That's the meme. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Yes. That would be awful. Yeah, yeah. I, would hate, I would hate myself, I think. <laughs> podcast just with me. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, um, what's the one thing you won't do for love? Um, Boy, that's rough. I mean... Any number of basically things that I am ethically uh, opposed to, I guess. You know what I mean? I, I, I feel like I feel like anything that somebody I loved asked me to do that would be so bad would cause me to stop loving them in in a way. Ooh, wow, that's whoa. Right, like if 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 someone, I don't know, like. If someone said to me, like, uh, this is going to get dark, but if, if you know, if, 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 if someone said to me that, that I cared deeply for, said to me, you have to go rape this person, I think I'd stop loving that person pretty immediately. Um, and like, the, so, so there's like, a, like, it's this thing I'd refuse to do, but like in kind of like this other, like this, this situation, this, this like terrible situation that I come up with in, in my head, which is kind of like, if you know, the only way to save somebody I loved would be to commit an act of rape. I might do that, right? Like, that's that, that, that's a weirder situation. Um, you know, like, where, where this condition is imposed on me by a third party, right? Like, not, not a demand from a loved one. Um, and so, kind of, from that perspective, like, what I would do to save a loved one, there is um, not a lot I wouldn't do. And this actually breaks with, like, my, my, my general personal philosophies, right? Like, um, if like the, if like, if it's the trolley problem and it's like you pull the lever and it's to save my family, I think I'm willing to break with my, my philosophy on that to do that. Um, even if it's like in the opposite direction, right? Like if I kill four, five random strangers to, to save my brother, I think I'd probably do that. Oh, boy, uh, I'd feel, tough. I'd feel terrible about it, sure, but I think yeah, I'd yeah. do it. Um, and, and, you know, who knows how I would react in the moment, but like that, that's just like the kind of thing where like. I feel like my emotions would 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 would, would, would cause me to violate my, my general principles. Yeah, I mean, I definitely I'm a big believer that there's no such thing as kind of like uh, universal ethics, right? That part of being human means you need to be all right with your own imperfections, and there are definitely places where I am willing to uh, put my personal philosophy aside for my loved ones, right? Um, so in that kind of context, I definitely kind of agree with where you're coming from. Um, yeah, I mean, even I, – I, 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 I think it's a little bit more complicated when it comes to loving someone and not loving someone, right? Like I don't know that there's kind of like a switch that can be switched off in, yeah. that, in that kind of way uh, for me. I think we talk about love as a very mutually exclusive topic, but it's it's not. It's yeah. it's complex and it's complicated and it lingers and it starts before it should and all these other kinds of things and uh, and a lot of these misconceptions are stuff that I talked about earlier in the cast or whatever. Um, but at the end of the day, yeah, I mean if there's a if there's a moment where a loved one is asking me to break my ethical code um, or whatever for them, um there's definitely some stuff that I'm willing to do, right? You know, I'm willing to probably lie to a certain extent uh, for a loved one or even, you know, like, fuck someone over in kind of an abstract sense 
you know, things that we would consider mean or unethical, right? But like, when you get up there, right? I'm obviously not going to murder somebody for 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 love. Um, I'm not going to rape somebody for love. I'm not going to, you know, commit commit heinous heinous kinds of those kinds of crimes. Uh, you know, for love. So yeah. I'm also not really all that willing to compromise my own kind of like safety and security for love, right? If someone was like, sell these drugs, right? I probably wouldn't do that just from a security standpoint of I don't want to go to prison and I'm not willing to like put that chance of me going to prison on someone else's drug selling. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. And then the last question from this email, have you ever tried to eat a hot dog without biting it? Um, I have done that actually. Uh, I have been in a hot dog eating contest, but those all have required me to bite things. I so was no, in a hot I, dog I eating contest, but I bit it. Uh, but then after the fact, in college at one point, I'm pretty sure it was with Max and Zeev. Um, I think Max asked me if he thinks if he thought I could swallow the whole dog, <laughs> like like put it in my mouth without biting it, right, and put it in the back of my throat and start swallowing it such that the full hot uh. dog gets down my throat and into my stomach i was not able to pull that off but i did try and was that with or without the bun uh, it was without the bun it was without the bun uh, all right <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's a thing that it might have been someone else i don't know that it was max maybe it was another one of my college friends but i'm pretty sure that 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 happened i tried i failed all right all right last two questions from the the the, the chat itself. Rounding out the five-hour podcast extravaganza. Yeah, Woo! Fuck. <laughs> um, this one is from Judy. It says, why does Mango hate BB-8? Uh, it's because BB-8 is a usurper and a shithead and a little naive bitch. And uh, also because the fucking BB series is a terrible model for a set of astromech droids. It doesn't make any fucking sense. It doesn't fit well into a starfighter. Because you have to do the fucking globe thing to get it in there. It fucking doesn't move well around on a starfighter. It moves okay on capital ships and on planet. It shouldn't be an astromech droid. It should be like a alternate, like uh, like like service droid of some sort, not an astromech droid. Um, also, it's a little bitch, and it's and they put R two D two in a coma for it, and so fuck BB eight. Um, fuck it with with the rake, and fuck his fucking lighter thumbs up bullshit. Um, so. Stepping away from the meeting, uh, I'm sorry, uh, from, from, from the memeing, um, you just like in, in completely earnest, sincere terms, you don't like, uh, you don't like, I don't, because he, he's not a good replacement for R2D2 or C3PO, which is what he is supposed to be effectively. Okay. Um, and he's, he's not like. Like I thought that Alan Tudyk's robot was was a better version of that in in uh in in Rogue One. Um, so it's because he's a bad character, essentially. Is that what I'm? Uh, is that what I'm getting? At? Yeah, and also because he 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 is very visibly replacing R two D two, who's my favorite Star Wars character. Oh, R two D two is your favorite Star Wars character. He is. Yes. I did not actually know that. That's interesting. Um, cool. Fair enough. Um, uh, I, 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 mean, on BB-8? I hate BB-9. I mean, I'm sure you and I... Uh, we haven't gotten on record on this, on this on the podcast. You and I are remarkably in sync about how we think Star Wars Episode Eight looks very bad based on all of the information that has come out. The only thing it has going for it, the single thing it has going for it, um, is that it is directed by someone who has made a good movie. Um, that being uh, my boy, Ryan Johnson. Uh, I like him a lot. 
He did great work on the episodes of Breaking Bad. I like Looper. I think uh, I think he, he is talented. Um, but I do not know that that talent is going to outpace the dumbness of this movie. Uh, and so I think it is not great. I, I, I don't know. It's not looking good. Yeah, yeah. Everything points to... My, my bold prediction is that this will be the worst Star Wars movie. Is, I will be happy if that's prediction. not true. Um, and uh, just to kind of explicate on that, it's not just that I think it will be, like, in the same way that, like, you talk about ambition versus kind of, like, execution, I think this will be the worst Star Wars movie, not because it will be particularly incompetently done, but because it will be a bland corporate piece of shit. It will be, like, the Marvel movies of the Star Wars movies. Oh, I will hate it for it. That is really um, interesting. Um, and so that that is my bold prediction. Stake it here. We'll we'll come back to it when the fucking movie comes out. Um, yeah. And uh, unless you had anything to add to that, we've got one final question. All right. Yeah. One final question from Sour Patch. Uh, why is Mumra named Mumra? Now, I don't know if you're up on your. What is this? Is 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 it He Man or is it? Uh, this is, it's Thundercats. This is Thundercats, Thundercats, Thund- Thundercats. Yeah. You're up on your Thundercats lore, but uh, I think I've got a pretty solid theory as to why he's named Mumra. Wow, the, the I am not initially... up on my Thundercats lore at all. So. So, 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 so the way this was initially posed is like, was he born with that name and he happened to become a mummy, or was it like a thing bestowed upon him that he changed his name to? Um, so one of his quotes is, uh, uh, do do. do uh, ancient spirits of evil transform this escaped form to Mumra, the ever-living, which implies that, like, Mumra is the thing he transforms to from the weird beast to the, like, the powerful thing. Also, he has a good counterpart called Mumrana, who is everything that is good, um, in the Thundercats lore. So, my, I would posit to you, buddy, that he is named Mumra as that was a title that he inherited upon becoming Mumra, um, and that his name has just been forgotten to time. Um, and that would be the most logical explanation. Um, it would be quite the coincidence for him to be named Mumra and for his good counterpart to be named Mumrana by chance. You have done so much research that I'm just going to have to congratulate you uh, on, on your ability to do research for this question on this episode. All right. Well, that's the final word on Mumra. That's the final answer to our questions. If you would like to ask us some more questions for us to answer during regular episodes that aren't <coughs> five hours long, <coughs> you can email us at podcast.somedervsplaygames.com. You can follow us on twitch.tv slash somedervsplaygames. You can rate us on iTunes. You can follow us on SoundCloud. You can do all of that great stuff. We will read all of your comments. We will hopefully answer some of your questions outside of a five-hour, 100-episode special. Jesus. Uh, Send them in. Uh, Buddy, do you have anything else that you wanted to promote? No. No. I think I'm good. I think I'm all right. Until next time, loyal listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners.